Hello, and before you get started on this episode of Zapped to the Past, we would just like to give a massive shout out to the following people Andy Marsh, Cole Hutchinson, David Hearn, Sven Osa, 2000DC, Gary Heather, Roger McNally, Lee Dove, Mark Fletcher, Etienne Vettingfeld, Niall Bullitt, Alexander Gosling, Tim TJ Walker, Phil Sowerby, Joshua Kay, Dominic Kendrick, Rune P, Nick James, Daniel Spreadbury, Peter Price, Richard Davey, Dennis B, AL82 Retro, Liam Carew, Dylan Darch, Trevor Planner, Alistair McMillan, Mark Schutz, Lee Sparkles, Dan Wales, Gary Wilson, Oscar Jacobson, Brian Howarth, Rob Clayton, and Clyde Radcliffe. These amazing people have backed our Patreon at the C64 tier, and the support they offer is just awesome. If you want to join them and get a mention in next month's shout-out, access to our Discord server, early access to ad-free episodes, along with any special releases we put out, along with anything else we can think of, then sign up by the 18th of the month at patreon.com forward slash zapped to the past for little more than the price of a pint of beer. It helps us keep playing the games so you don't have to. Welcome to episode 119 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. Last week, we looked at our third batch of games from issue 47 of Zapped 64, which we are in no way affiliated with, and were lit up by Lead Storm, turned off by Technocop, and knocked out by TKO. This week, we conclude our look at the games in March 1989, along with what was also lighting up our cinema screens that month. Graham, it's been a long month. Have we left the best till last? Have we? <laughs> Have we? <laughs> Have we? <laughs> in this episode, where we try and ascertain whether chips or jackets buds and carrots or frozen peas will indeed satiate the appetite of a team of construction workers... We grab our fancy flying pants, slip on our welding helmets, grab our jetpacks and take to the skies as we fight for our very future lifestyles in the uber-exciting Rocket Ranger, step back in time and dust off the old 8-bit paddles for a game of Pong, only this time with extra added medium-res battle stuff in the cumbersome Spaceball, run to the right and do some floaty jumps across the surface of Klimalt and other places as we kill our way through the monotonous conversion of the 12th best arcade of January 1987 with Soldier of Light, drive another odd-looking and hard-to-control vehicle around some mostly yellow film sets in the clappy Super Stuntman, and explore yet another D-Make-Remake, this time with very fancy scrolling, but not much else, in the badly photocopied Defender clone, Star Ray. Our initial investigation findings seem to indicate that in spite of an array of options, the prevailing expectation for the average construction worker was, in fact, chips. We will, of course, investigate further to define what kind of chips. While we do that, we also shoot, kick, dive, shoot some more, and dive and swim some more even. 
in the well-realised, though stereotypically challenged, supersports. We have our brains erased while we suffer shoot-em-up hypnosis in the D-make shuffle-scrolling menace, pop into the cockpit of a Harrier jump jet to scoot around the skies and fight off the aliens that are attacking the US Navy in their clearly confused Operation Hormuz. We also have any expectations of exciting racing car action killed dead as we go head-to-head with the utter arcade conversion calamity that is Vec Le Mans. We revisit a remake of a remake of a different but familiar game as we blast through the complex caves, zones and enemies of the arcade conversion of our type before finally popping in to see Bob Morton, reminding him that he made a mistake and then taking to the streets of old Detroit while we decide whether dead or alive this game is any good or if we would indeed buy it for a dollar with Robocop. We've packed so much stuff into this episode that it's got more bird bulge than a man bird from Metabolus's pants. Now that is a lot of bulging and feathers. That's what we're here to find out. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> it's been a long, long month. The longest March, you know, since Marches began, really. Was this, I went think, was Mass March? Was the March all, 1980? All Marches have been massive. I was going to say they've been, they have the Mad Marches, aren't they? Because last yeah. time it was, and that was a big multi i think that was a 50 gamer or something wasn't it, it was a yeah, record breaker it was something so. ridiculous but yeah but yeah so we've got 10 games 10 games to round off the month we've got films crapverts monthly wow, roundup okay. next month we've got loads of stuff to get through so we'll put all the everything at the back our omni sacks are full to bursting <laughs> absolutely my sport billy bag can take <laughs> no more <laughs> and on that news let's just get into the first game and just get on with this lot And Graham, that first game is all your pleasure. It is <laughs> Rocket Ranger. Of course it's Rocket Ranger. Finally, finally, we've come to another Cinemaware title. It's always nice to get a Cinemaware title. They always have a bit of class, don't they? This was fourteen ninety nine. I think it was disc only. I can't imagine there's a tape version of this that would work in any way. But anyway, mm-hmm. I don't think it's fourteen ninety nine. She's quite big, cost-wise. But it got 95% in Zap. It was a Sizzler, I mm. believe sizzled it did it did um, bizarrely enough this was developed by um, Alien Technology Group although it's a Cinemaware published game obviously but the designer's Kellen Beck the producer's John Cutter the graphics Kurt Turmain Steve Quinn musician Jim Simmons there's actually a whole bunch of credits for these as is always this, the way with Cinemaware games the computography was Peter Kaminsky and Tom McWilliams the additional computography Randy Platt <laughs> Um, the storyline, Robert Jacob, the art direction, Robert Landis, the chief graphic artist was Jeff Hilbers. The additional artwork, Betsy Scafati, Mara Blom, Steve Quinn. There's, there's a whole raft of credits and stuff in there, but principally that's, you know, there's a big teams take on these projects, don't they? Big, big teams. Mm, very big. So another cinematic productions arrived then from, well, Cinemaware. <laughs> <laughs> um, who else? Yay. At this time, based around the themes, the ideas, and tropes of the King of the Rocket Men movie serials of the 1950s, as well as the great named Commander Cody, Sky Marshal of the Universe. So there's a series of movies, and back then, of course, there weren't TV shows, TV episodes will be now. There were movie serials that happened, into, I think, 12 episodes on each of those. The, mo- the, the Commander Cody and the Sky Marshal ones, they are actually films that are on the back of these others. They're not directly linked to. King of the Rocket Men, because they did just feature men who wore rocket suits. Um, but principally, right, the one okay. that, the one that this is based around is really King of the Rocket Men. Famously, I that. yeah, it's classic. I mean, we always saw snippets and episodes and stuff. Even though there was only ever twelve made, I always thought there was loads more. Really. There always seems to be loads more because they were on loads during tea times and mornings at school. And you know, it suddenly occurred to me that the time I must have seen these was when the ITV strikes were on. 
So they were showing any old crap. So we probably saw some of them in reverse, some of them in the wrong order. It's just, <laughs> when I wonder, I thought there were so many. I saw the same one about 50 times. Anyway, indeed, as has always been the case with these games, there is an entire section of the manual devoted to the history of said Rocket Men, Rocket Man serials. It's worth a read in the manual. The manual's online. We'll put the link in the show notes. Of course, we'll put the link in the show notes or a link to a version of it. Read the show notes. Read the show, do read the show notes. We put a lot of effort into them. This came out, of course, on the Amiga and I think the Atari and it's a whole bunch of other formats. But principally, this, so this is kind of a deport um, from mm. the Amiga version, which was, I think, sort of the main version. But let's see how we go. So anyway, in this incarnation of uh, Rocket Ranger, our story starts with you in your lab at Fort Dix. <laughs> um, chilling. <laughs> I'm going to do that every time. Sorry. Um uh, chilly when suddenly a series of weird objects materialize right in front of your eyes on your desk with a magic sound. Thankfully, this isn't Tron, so it wasn't just an orange, which would have been really depressing, <laughs> wouldn't it? What is this? Ah, oh, oh, here orange. comes nothing. Here comes an orange. Oh. <laughs> Take it back. Um, <laughs> Bloody Flynn. <laughs> I'll get you, Flynn. Uh, so it's not an orange, thankfully. It's a mysterious range of objects, Adrian. Some kind of massive arm clock a portable water heater or large kettle, a water pistol, a wheel puzzle, and thankfully a letter with instructions. Wait, it's not just a letter. This is a warning and some instructions from 100 years in the future, and things don't sound too good. Mm. Apparently, everywhere you go is plagued by people calling themselves influencers, and all the music sounds exactly the same no matter where you go. <laughs> not really. The dreaded auto-tune. <laughs> <laughs> if that didn't sound bad enough, those deadly Nazis somehow won the war and have gone on to establish an evil empire that dominates the whole globe. Now, that's just not very nice, is it? Nope. On top of that, they've kidnapped all the scientists and forced them to make new weapons and devices and all sorts, all while holding their families hostage, which sounds somewhat like the plot of Automan, but hey-ho. Um <laughs> And well, unbeknownst to the Nazis of the future, the scientists have also developed a time machine of sorts. It can't send people, but it can't have everything. <laughs> Is it a butte? A real it's winner? A it's a real winner. They're on a tight budget. Money was a real problem. <laughs> Does it write words? That's all I want to know. <laughs> the future scientists know a few things too. At some stage around May 1940, the Nazis made some kind of giant technological leap, which led to their victory. It involved a substance called Lunarium, something to do with rockets and the moon, and a band called Led Zeppelin, or possibly just Zeppelin airships, which was out on that one. Someone called Otto Barnstorff and his daughter, whom you apparently attended school with. They know the Nazis had some kind of rocket bases and possibly even a base on the moon. They don't have all the pieces, though clearly they have quite a lot of them, it turns out. But they do yeah, know that yeah, if yeah. they can somehow supply you with some future technology stuff, you might be able to put it to good use, stop the Nazis back in 1940, and thus change the course of history for the better. Because the fact they sent you that from the future technically means that you must have failed or they wouldn't have been able to send you the equipment back in the uh, first place. That's yeah, a paradox. Yeah. <laughs> timeline paradox, timeline paradox. <laughs> it's a paradox, but we'll just go with the idea of multiple branch timelines just for this. Absolutely. So, so Adrian, what do you have? What arrived? Well, you have a, a Himmelwerfer Rocket Pack Model M2000, a Schmeiser Radium Pistol, a Telefunken Ooh. Wrist Monitor, and a Secret Decoder Wheel. And why these do indeed sound like they came from the old Central Isle de Obscura in your local Aldi supermarket, <laughs> they are in fact super powerful gadgets from the future. I've got Telefunken stuff. <laughs> I've got a Himmelwerfer Rocket Pack. And now, <laughs> now I know what it is. Now I just use it for boiling water, really. And there's more, there's more. It seems that in your timeline, your own timeline, right about now, the Nazis are imminently going to kidnap Professor Barnstorff and daughter and whisk them off to Berlin really slowly in a sneaky airship raid. Your rocket pack is loaded with lunarium. You haven't got a clue how it works. 
uh, what you're doing. So, in fact, this could just be a massive goof from somebody. Your wrist monitor, though, apparently will help you track the professor if you can figure it out. So you best slip on your metal helmet and take to the skies as the rocket ranger. So the game begins. This is actually a clever game, I think, that involves part action sequences, part espionage and spy management, part fighting, part plot, all quite cleverly told in its own way. Generally, between any action or selection sequences in this game, there are text panels that give you indications of what is happening, sort of extra story or narrative elements or hints and information and such. As you begin, you will get one of these telling you a little more about the professor and his daughter's kidnapping. And then prior to your required intervention, you will see your wrist monitor screen. And that's kind of your main interface for the game. Here, you will always have four basic options. War room, fuel depot, rocket lab, and takeoff. It's always nice to see something with simple instructions on it like that. Yeah. Not like, remember them Casio watches that had a, like a, <laughs> the uh, calculator on them and stuff? Nobody could figure them things out. Each of those things has a special purpose. So we'll just go through those because you encounter them and then you, you sort of interact with them and the game kind of starts to roll the narrative forward. So in the war room then, if you choose that, this is to help you in your quest for information about the Nazis' plans and the location of their rocket bases and such. General Horace Bulldog Brady will place five secret agents under your direct command, which you can deploy around the world and use to find out stuff. These agents can be assigned and reassigned to different countries, ordered to infiltrate or organize resistance in the country they are assigned to. And you can choose whether their cover is low profile, low risk, or high profile, high risk. Risky that. The war room itself is depicted as a map of the world with your home country in the USA highlighted in pink and the Nazi-occupied territory indicated with a Nazi symbol on it, and in Germany being in grey. As they gain more control, more of the map has their symbol on it, and their efficiency will increase, which means they're getting closer to Doomsday. This, along with the current date, is indicated at the top of the screen. Your agents are indicated with little people icons, and will flash when the agent needs your attention. You control a selection arrow which you can move around to select the agent, and from there you can get their report, change their status, etc., that kind of thing. If they have something to tell you, they will. And this can be anything from there is nothing, please redeploy me, I'm bored, to there is a Nazi base here, quick, that kind of thing. They could also get found out by the Nazis. And when this happens, instead of a message from them, you will get a message from the Gestapo or the German general informing you that your agent has been discovered and executed. So keeping an eye on your agents and moving them around, etc., is critical, either to find out where things are or decrease the Nazi efficiency by organizing resistance and preventing Nazism taking over territory and buying you time. All of these things are designed to buy you time. And remember, timer is always counting down. Controlling all of this is simple. Up and down to select any options, fire button to do any actions, and you hold fire and left and right to change statuses and things like that. By the way, at this point, you'll have found out that to win the war, they're going to bomb everybody with lunarium bombs. And somehow they're getting the lunarium from the moon. And it even says, I think, in the game, those Nazi SOBs have got lunarium from the moon somehow. It's like, all right, okay. So you know, the parameters, it's all very 1950s tonality of that kind of thing. You've got to mm. kind of go with it with a little bit of that. So once you've gathered up as much information as you need, you can then exit back to your wrist monitor, of course. And then you go to the fuel depot. Lunarium is a limited resource in this game. You can find more but you must rely on your agents to discover fuel depots and places and sources of that and such, and then complete action sequences to earn it. On this screen, you control how much Lunarium you have in storage, in your rocket pack, and also in your rocket ship. As you will have discovered, of course, the Nazis have a moon base, where all the Lunarium is coming from, and so you've got to get up to the moon and destroy it. Mm -hmm. So you must balance how much Lunarium you're using and how much you need to store over time so you can get to the moon. Controls here are simple, up, down, fire button, hold, left, right, decrease, increase. Having the right amount of Lunarium is also very important to the game, as we <laughs> will discover. Mm. I'll skip the Rocket Lab a little bit to later on. And so the takeoff, prior to the running launch, you will again see a map of the world. This time you are indicated with a little RR symbol, Rocket Ranger, obviously, in your country of the USA. For the beginning part, remember we are meant to be rescuing the professor and his daughter, if you remember, because they got kidnapped. You will see an airship in the middle of the Atlantic. This is where you will need to go. Here you will need the code wheel to match USA to Atlantic, 
And so do you add the correct amount of lunarium from your lunarium tank into the rocket chamber? If you don't get it right, you will not arrive at your destination and will fly to nowhere and will ultimately lose the game if you keep doing that. If you do, then you'll need to take off. And this is shown with a nicely drawn and large rocket ranger sprite on a well-realized background of Fort Dix. As you begin to run in a very well-animated sequence, you must time your joystick button presses as your feet land on the floor. Get this right and you'll pick up pace. A beep will sound. You push up and rocket rangers away. Get it wrong. And you won't be going in here and he flies and crashes. Not very nice. <laughs> it's not actually yes. that difficult to master that. Maybe the first couple of times you'll do it wrong. But then once you do that, the first action sequence is upon you. There's a nice sort of middle sequence where I think it's a bit of loading actually going on. We get a nice animation sort of uh, side view of the uh, silhouette view of Rocket Ranger flying over the map with kind of nice stuff stirring. It's quite yeah. nice, that bit. So the mm-hmm. Zeppelin then, and each one of the sequences you've got to, I'm not going to go through every single sequence because some of them are derivatives. I'll just explain the main ones. And they all have separate special names. So this one is called the Zeppelin, but they rename them with other sequence names. So when you get to the Zeppelin, and you'll sort of encounter this a few times, the plan here is to fly carefully and shoot at the Nazi gunners at the bottom of the giant airship. You need to aim carefully as a stray bullet or a stray plasma shot or whatever it is will cause the airship to explode. And that's the last thing you one want shot to happen. I took, one yeah, thing I blew that's all up. it takes. <laughs> I was like, oh. The- <laughs> Damn it's it. quite hard for that crosshair. It is. It really is. Well, how do I know where I'm aiming? <laughs> the view is from behind your uh, rocket range as he flies towards the Zeppelin. Below you, some animated sky rolls away and a large, and it is big, airship looms. Mm. You control rocket range with your joystick, moving him around and firing off shots with your radium pistol. You do not have a crosshair, like we said. So you have to sort of shoot first and see where that goes and then try and adjust yourself accordingly. It's not as easy as I'm making it sound, trust me. No, Your movement is hampered not. by the friction and the wind. So keeping a steady hand is tricky, not to mention the Zeppelin moving and them shooting at you. Get your shot right and you'll board the Zeppelin. Get it wrong and the airship will explode or get away and the professor and the daughter are captured and smuggled away. And you don't want that to happen. Nobody wants that. Nope. Although really you're just trying to preventing the inevitable, but we'll come to that. If you're successful, you get to see a funny old section actually, which made me laugh probably for all the wrong reasons. We have, you end up having a conversation with the professor's daughter now, the sequence feels somewhat awkward, to say the least, it includes, and includes some quite scratchy speech samples. It is quite funny in its own way, and the graphics are actually quite well drawn for what they are. It seems Jane Barnstorff has all grown up now and blossomed since you were at your school days with <laughs> Miss Fudrucker's class. Some of the conversation starters, such as, I flew without a plane and I'm on a mission from God, all the way to responses like, loosen up dollface and I'm more than man enough for you. It gave me a giggle, I have to say, but eventually you get to... Uh, sort of uh, get the Professor and Jane back to safety and then it's on with a bigger mission. There for sort of shits and giggles that little bit, but it, it, it is totally a bit naff, but it, you know, it's cheesy, but it made me laugh. Mm. So generally the game plays out then as a sequence, a series of sequences driven by your agents and what they discover. If they find a rocket base, you can fly there with the goal of either finding a part of the, of, for your own rocket, possibly getting some lunarium or maybe nothing. More often than not, you'll have to duke it out Indiana Jones style with the German soldier that is guarding the base. Giant German soldier that's gardening away, should I say, about seven foot tall. In such mm. sequences, you'll see a soldier standing with his dukes up. You will be stood slightly into the front of him, to the right. And at the bottom, there's two energy bars, yours and his. Use the joystick to launch a series of punches, body, head, hook, uppercut, and try and avoid your opponents if you can. You basically punch each other until one of you loses all of the energy. If you win, you get the rocket parts, etc. If you lose, well, I ain't good. It ain't good to lose. Tell you that. <laughs> to Nazis, no, it's never good. Yeah. It's at these moments when, and you should win, you will then have a choice to continue to another destination using your wrist monitor and Lunarium or send an SOS. Why would you need to send an SOS? Well, did you think about how much Lunarium you chose to put in your Lunarium tank for the return of ongoing journey? Because I didn't. <laughs> no, no, I didn't So if either. by chance you happen to have the extra fuel, and you might have, you can fly onwards to another place, get your code wheel out, off you go. Or you can go back to Fort Dix if you want to. If not, 
you need to send an SOS to come and rescue you. And it takes two months, costs you a lot of time. And most of your agents will be dead in that time, trust me. Mm-hmm. There are other action sequences. Some of them are sort of a night attack on a base. And if you're flying in a similar way to the Zeppelin sequence, the most cop-out game of all time this is. It's just you flying on a black screen with dots appearing and <laughs> flashes of explosions appearing. I suppose it's effective enough in its way, but it is a bit, it's a bit like, I was, when night. I looked at it, I was like, I know it's nighttime, but I was like, really? <laughs> this is, so this is just me flying over black, a black screen and using my imagination a bit anyway it is what it is but this time you're kind of dropping radium splodges at the uh, anti-aircraft batteries that are shooting at you and then as you fly over them if you hit too, if you're hit too many times you'll tumble out of the sky graphics are a tad simple here given that it's mostly a black screen like i said but it plays okay maybe runs a little too long some of these levels do there is also a daytime variation of this we are flying in a similar way to the zeppelin sequence only to be attacked by german warplanes uh, obviously, you need to avoid getting shot while gradually shooting down the, all, all the enemies, and you'll sort of get a theme. And th- those kind of sequences happen quite a bit. There are five rocket parts to collect from the five Nazi bases, and also amongst these are Lunarium stores, etc. So you'll do this until you have all five and are ready to head to the moon. The bases are in different locations, and so each one does have a variation of the kind of games you'll play. And some of them are duking it out with the German, though some of them are like a jungle-type game. When the jungle game appears, I thought it was particularly good where you see an ancient temple with some gun emplacements, and you must target and shoot them out. Again, you don't have a crosshairs, but you sort of get away with it in this one because you can cover, which you can't do in the other one. So you can pull back on the joystick and you can sort of get into cover. Quite nice to see a cover shooter like that in its own simple way. Mm. It's quite nice to touch. The controls here, really simple again. Joystick to move, down to cover, button to shoot. You see, keeping the joystick control simple on this is one of its great strengths. And the graphics are actually pretty good in that sequence as well, with really quite well-drawn backgrounds and and decent enough characters. It's a good little mini-game, that. Eventually, you will have all the rocket parts you need, and you can assemble them back at Fort Dix. Yep. Um, And as long as you have enough Lunarium, and I'm assuming that you've saved your Lunarium, you load up and ready to launch and get ready to launch the moon. And by this time, the Nazis will have recaptured the Professor and Jane. Now, that is something of an overused mechanic in this game, because I think I must have rescued them at least six times from from airship attack. So by now, of course, and once you've done all that, and the Nazis are also in the final throes of their deadly, dastardly Lunarium bomb plan. So you need to get a bit of a wiggle on. Now, I have to say that the launch sequence for the rocket, considering the graphics so far, is really naff. (laughs) <laughs> it has to be said, it is naff. And things take a bit of a weird turn from this point as well with it, everything. Once you've landed on the moon, you will encounter perhaps the oddest of levels, the Lunarium Mines. Apparently this is filled with slaves mining Lunarium, choking on Lunarium dust and being treated like eggs, whipped and beaten. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's just a crap joke, but I had to get it in there. Um, this plays in a similar way to the Jungle Temple level that I already described. So it's kind of a cover shooter, only this time, oddly fetishistic or stripper-looking Nazi women dressed in knee-high boots and leotards and Nazi outfits, power ascend in and start taking pot shots at you totally randomly as well. It's like, why? Why are they appeared? Why are they on the moon? Why aren't they in spacesuits? Anyway. Because it's hot. Then they also ascend back up the ropes in a really weird way. It's really strange, this level. It really is odd. Anyway, we're, you know, whatever. Yeah. So you've got to shoot at them and get pretty precise with it because as you kill them, more will follow. And then you've got to move and cover and shoot the Nazi strippers until they're all defeated. And it's not as easy as that either because you've got to get real pixel accuracy on that bit. I found it really quite difficult and really, really annoying because they are very accurate. The background here looks, I thought, like a little bit more of a nighttime version of the Ewok village from Endor in Return of the Jedi. It and includes wooden framed piers and walkways. And I'm just saying this, just for saying, just seemed odd to me that in this sort of future superior technical force that's managed to find their way to the moon and um, that you've been dealing with all the way through, that they would think to take carpenters and timber to their secret moon base. Just seemed like a strange thing to want to take up there. Anyway, um, so the Nazi strippers will keep on attacking you until they, you win or die trying. Then, well, it turns out, turns out 
that an alien race was helping the Nazis all along. No real mention of any details of that at this point, just a realisation that the Nazis were in league with aliens. You know, just mm-hmm. as standard. It's like, oh, by the way, and then you realise they were in league with aliens. Anyway, hey, hum, okay, well done. I was like, hang on a minute. Yeah. I didn't felt, you know, so you, then after that, you know, it's, it's weird that they didn't mention these aliens. Now, anyway, after that, there's the cheeky kiss with uh, Jane, a bit of a cheeky wink, and then that's it. You know, you've saved the earth. You know, hasta lasagna, don't get any on you. Well done. It's all good. Happy days. So that's kind of it. There's a lot to unpack with all that, isn't there? Really quite crazy. Lots of stuff going on. Nazi strippers, did I say? Strange. Now, since I've mentioned the controls and graphics all the way through, all of which are good until that last little bit, which is not bad, they're just weird. Let me just focus on the game and the game design a little bit. This is obviously another downport from the Amiga, and all of it is kind of there with everything, and they've done a great job, I think, with converting everything to the 64. We've got speech, the music throughout is very good, drives the action in suitable steering ways, very in keeping with the theme of it all the way through. The game load isn't massively obtrusive, considering this is across two discs or four sides. And all in all, this is the most accomplished cinemaware title, I think, since Defender of the Crown. I think there is a tendency for the game to be quite repetitive, and some of the logic can quickly become annoying around the whole Lunarium quantity issue. While I like the idea that you have a resource you must acquire, having some movement and not labelling the countries in some way can quickly lead to issues and errors around where you're flying to. This doesn't kill you per se, it does delay you, and that can turn the game from fun to dull very quickly. It's hard to sustain excitement around fuel management. And why should that be the thing of this game anyway, opposed to kind of the peril and the danger? Mm -hmm. It's a a mechanic. It didn't need to be that faffy and that centralized. Speaking of which, the perpetual peril of the professor and and Jane is silly, as is the idea of repeated Nazi incursions to Washington with giant balloons. Just something tells me the first time they tried it, they'd have been watching out for that. And then the other six times it happened, I'm thinking, look, just keep an eye out for giant Nazi-shaped balloons. (laughs) <laughs> they're flying over Washington. It's not it's not hard to spot them. And maybe it is. Anyway, so just see the bird. So maybe they're disguising it. I don't know. So all these don't think, these things don't kill the game. They just start to drag things on. The third time I rocketed off to rescue the professor and do all of that from another Zeppelin, I was thinking, they can keep them. They're not grateful. And, and they're going to end up on the moon anyway, which they do. The fighting with you and the German soldier also drags. And the fighting feels really arbitrary. There's no skill that I could ascertain or anything. You just punch until you win or you don't. It just lacks thought which is odd considering some of the other levels have so much thought put into them. Also, the aliens did it motif thrown in literally the last paragraph of the entire game is such an oversight and odd. You know, Adrian, not since Assassin's Creed 2 have I felt such a weird notion of alien shit for no reason in a game. Anyway, the action does push on, I guess. Controlling your agents is funny while they last, and getting to grips with the game does gradually get you to the end point with some classic shootouts and Nazi strip joints on the moon and all sorts of weirdness. Though it has an oddness and some bits of dullness, there is a well-themed and realised conversion here and some nice art and sound. It does ultimately pull together as a game in the end, and there is some fun to be had, there's no doubt about it. I'm not 100% sure they were fully into every bit of the idea and every scene is a great scene in it. Some of them feel a bit more thrown together than the others. Some of them feel a little less, little less due care and attention than some of the other bits. Fair enough. But on balance, well, as long as you're using the right amount of Lunarium, you're probably going to enjoy this game. And I did. So I'd say go and play it. It's worth, it, worth a shot if you can find a decent working version. But what about you? Yeah, I'm not going to... Add, add much to that. It's, it's a good game. It is. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, uh, it's it has an interesting story that goes slightly <laughs> yeah. off the rails at the end. I'm not quite sure, but you know, and it is very, very well presented throughout. It looks great. It's, I thought it was more. It's more cohesive and engaging than Sinbad was. 
Yes, um, yes it and, is. And it sort of marries the differing play styles better. Um, yes. More in line with the way that Defender of the Crown does, yes. um, I think, whereas Sinbad was Sinbad and the 40 Signs. <laughs> um, this at least has an interesting thing. And Sinbad and the 40 Signs and a war game for some reason. It's like True, what, it, it, did, a, it did have the lip dance, remember, as and well. It did the, have the, the lip sultry dance. Lip dance. dance. <laughs> how, how could they forget? <laughs> <laughs> and it's certainly better than the Three Stooges, obviously. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, as a throwback to classic serial adventures of the 1930s, I think this is a welcome return to form for cinema. Um, yeah. I think this is the best, as you rightly said, the best since Defender of the Crown. So the graphics, really good, really nice throughout. I mean, they've done a really good job of sort of taking the Amiga visuals and, and making them, putting them through a C64 lens and doing them well. I was terrible at the game. I shut the Zeppelin start off with, well, actually, <laughs> it let me take off because I failed the first three attempts to take off. And it went, you're rubbish. <laughs> just get in the air. It just, <laughs> I was following the thing and it just kept putting, I was like, oh God. And then it went, you're carrying too much Lunaria. I went, I carried how much you told me. <laughs> it says it's harder to take off if you have too much. Now you tell me. Now, now you tell, tell me. me. Yeah. But I did enjoy my time trying to figure out how to stop the Nazis. It's fun. And it, it shows again, like we've seen with quite a few games, McCracken, you know, Neuromancer, Times of Law, you know, that the humble C64 is more than capable of producing something of really high quality and different than your yes, sort of typical absolutely. shooter or platform or whatever. Then, you know, when people take the time to do it, these games show it can be done very well. Just shame it happens so rarely. And I get it, Cinemaware were always probably afforded a lot of money and time, big team and stuff and things like that. But yeah. if you want good games, it takes time and money. <laughs> Yes, it does. <laughs> Mostly, you know, the odd one over that. But yeah, it's good. 15 quid. I'd, I'd never played it. I think I might have played it around at yours on the Amiga. Yes, I had it on the 64 and the Amiga, strangely enough. Yeah, I think I played it. On, I, I, played, definitely, I, I never played it at mine, but I, de- I definitely did see it around at your house back in the day. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, 95%, maybe a bit high, but you know, it is what it is. I'm not going to argue too much. Yeah, fair enough. It's a good game. Play it. Good, good stuff. There we go. Rocket Ranger. Um, don't know. Is it Snow Flash Gordon though? Is he? Was he? No, King no, he's Snow Flash Gordon, King of the Rocket Man. He just had up and down on his control panel. <laughs> I remember King of the Rocket down. Man. Ooh, just lands flat on his face as well. I do remember King of the Rocket Man. I'm laughing <laughs> my, my like a drain at it. It was just like he was dead rubbish. He was dead yeah. rubbish. King of the Rocket Man. To be fair, at the time, it was the most expensive movie serial ever made. Wow! It was right, right at the end of the era of those things I think it's one of the last ones that that particular company ever made as well <laughs> well you, you can see it all the money's up there on the screen <laughs> there it is there it is because it's clearly you know this the famous bit where he's got they've just got obviously got a um a dummy of rocket man on a piece of string and stuck yeah. it and then sort of thrown it across a large field and filmed it it's like yeah. okay it's not i don't good. know he's it's that noise <laughs> his rocket noise is brilliant <laughs> oh there we go rocket <laughs> king of the rocket rangers let's get on to our next one And our next one, well, this is an odd thing, isn't it? This is the uh, conversion of the John Candy, Bill Pullman film, Spaceballs. <laughs> uh, weird. What a weird thing to convert. Who thought yeah. that could be a game? This is Spaceball. No, it's not. This is Unfortunately, this is Spaceball or Starball. I don't know. The retro com- comeback continues apace Doesn't it with just... the release of Spaceball or Starball, as it is otherwise known. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's from Rainbow Arts and US Gold, and it's the princely sum of £9.99 for some reason. It, Ouch. It's also, the Amiga version was uh, reviewed in this uh, issue as up as well. That was £25. Uh... <laughs> Can you imagine? £25. 
Yeesh. Uh, so that what they gave, that's what they gave you when you went to, when you went in to complain. Yeah, I've got the dispersion. It's fifteen quid. Why would I want dispersion? This anyway. Anyway, what's the story here? According to the back of the box, it is the year 2146 and the planet Utalis has been invaded by the cruel Jitterbobs. And so the people of Utalis <laughs> fell into slavery and humiliation, as you do. But as in every year, the inhabitants of Utalis get another chance by the Jitterbobs to find their freedom. This is straight off the back of the box. They have to defeat the Jitterbobs in a challenging game. Starball, <laughs> I mean, Spaceball. Stupid. Jitterbobs. Yeah, that's on the back of the Amiga version. The C64 version, though, is slightly different for some weird reason. It labels the slave-inducing Jitterbobs as wicked but fun-loving creatures. <laughs> I'd be laughing for ages. Those, oh, those slavers. They're wicked, but they're such fun. Oh, So much fun, those so slavers. Much fun. Just, you know, let us out in the morning. Um, whatever. It's all nonsense. That's absolutely no bearing on this game at all. Um, no. I don't, I didn't have any, there's no, I couldn't find any specific C64 credits aside from Chris Hulsbeck doing the music. I mean, it is very good, but does that review says it has terrible music, which is, I was thinking, well, it's, it's not actually, but it's weird. I'll come yeah. to some of the music in a bit, but the Amiga version though, so I don't know if it was, it was programmed by Matthias Sikosh and graphics by Holger Flutman. And, and maybe they did the C64 version. I I don't know. Maybe. Um, all I do know is that there's only one good thing about this game, and that is Chris Schulzbeck music, which is pretty good throughout. Even if the main theme in the game breaks into Kim Wilde's You Came halfway through for no real reason. <laughs> I thought that. It does. I was like trying to play it. I was like, suddenly go. And it goes off on its own. I'm like, that's why did it just do You Came by Kim Wilde? Then weird. Anyway, upon loading, you have a really hard to read set of buttons. <laughs> I was like, what Those do these buttons. do? Some, so they're all designed the same, and some do stuff, and some don't. You just have to find out what does what. You move a ball about as your icon, and I think you can enter up to eight names. If You first, you can only enter up to eight names if you change it to player one and player two in the top right, at the top. <laughs> There's buttons for them. You have to turn player two on. Then you can enter more than two names. You can have up to eight names. You know, you have up to eight players in this, I think. Although, you know, the chances of getting eight people to play this, it's just, no, it's never going to happen. Never. No. no never, it's not ever going to happen. Happened. So leave it on one player. You can do or two, player one or whatever. You can do 80 and then CPU, whatever. So you can have one or two player game and you can look at the high scores and then you can start. And so when you start, this is a single screen Pong meets breakout variant. So, oh dear. you know, let's put them both together. We may as well. We may as well at this point. So the layout of the screen is a little more busy than the usual Pong game. There is what I guess is a spiral galaxy in the background. You know, I guess Spaceball has to have some kind of space. Or stars, space. But, but it's a it's a bit blocky. It's obviously been gone through the C sixty four filter from the Amiga. Yeah, um, exactly. And nobody's exactly taken the time to sort of you know make it look nice. And there's two bats on either side of the screen, just like Pong at the top and the bottom. There are two, there are like two bounce pads which sort of bounce the balls back in, and there's some spaces for power up names to appear. There's a UI at the top. It has your name, your score. There's a timer, and then there's the same for player two whether it be CPU or another player. So behind the two bats on either side are a load of bricks, a la breakout. And once the game starts, the ball bounces quickly around and you have to protect your bricks and try and knock out the opponents. Pretty simple, really. You just got to get it past. Instead of scoring goals, you, you destroy bricks behind the opponent. Once you've done that, there are power-ups and aliens floating around in the middle. 
kind of like uh, so they've taken elements from uh, Arkanoid, Crackout, those kind of games as well, and they cause the ball to ricochet off uh, in various directions. They they're also and as I said they give you power ups and also power down, such as half size, double size, speed up, double bat, blinking bat, and so on and so on and so on. There's all different ones, and that's what comes up in the little thing, and they uh, you know affect either player. Every time you hit an opponent's brick, you get points. So or kill an alien, you get some points. And if you make a hole and get the ball through that hole, you get to score an intergalactic goal. It tells you, and then it starts again. <laughs> each round is each level is one minute long. The timer counts down, and if you're playing against a CPU and have more points at the end, when it counts down to zero, it tells you the level has been completed. I didn't even know there were on levels, and then you start <laughs> again with absolutely no discernible difference whatsoever. It just keeps going. Once you have a decent point lead over the CPU, which is not hard to do. It's almost impossible to lose. And I went on for ages and nothing changed. Just kept saying level completed, level completed. The thing is, nowhere on the screen does it say what level you're on or what you're doing <laughs> or why you're going through levels because nothing you ask changes. too much. <laughs> it's, it's just impossible. The game didn't get any harder. It just went on and on, one minute round after one minute round forever. Yeah. There's seemingly no way to get out of the game once you're ahead. There's no quit button. There's no, you know, there's no reset to back to the menu screen you just keep going on aside from i just stopped moving just let the computer slowly catch up that took about six rounds six levels which <laughs> i kept completing i didn't move i was just not moving and, and it might not even happen I, I tried it again i actually started a game and i didn't move at all and then i just watched it and i won the level i don't do anything <laughs> yeah, oh, this right. is rubbish it, oh, just good lord there's the opportunity to have for up to eight players to play in a galactic championship but why would you ever yeah, want to do that never gonna happen no it's a <laughs> this is a deeply boring game boring it's well programmed <laughs> and put together don't get me wrong it runs fast the ball moves around fast and the, the bouncing stuff and all that kind of stuff if you want a pong game yeah fine the, vis the visuals are not terrible the bats are okay background is a bit blurry but it, you know it moves okay the music's very good but it's boring because it's you don't have to do anything. It's just a very dull experience. And in single player, you'll get your money's worth because you'll keep going forever. Yeah, That's your absolutely. thing. And this is 10 quid. Full price for one screen. The background never changes. Pong with extra bricks. Nope. It's truly a space balls more like. <laughs> Rubbish. Hated it. 13% it got. At first, I was like, it might seem a bit harsh. But after about five minutes with it, I was like, it's not harsh enough. This was crap. What did you think? <laughs> My first instinct was, uh, Pong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it stinked, yeah. Quite literally, Pong. <laughs> I knew that about the music from Starball because um, Starball is one of my very, very favourite C64 SID compositions by Chris Hillsbeck and in general because it's just a wonderful piece of music. It's so good. But this game is utter dog egg in every capacity. So the only re the only good thing about this is the fact that it's got that music on the loading screen and some of the music in the game. It's a deport from a crap Amiga game, yep. which wasn't great anyway. Nope. Um, suffers from really weird issues, doesn't it? The first one being nobody wanted Battle Pong. <laughs> Nobody ever said, you know what Pong needs? It needs to be more of a battle. Nobody yeah. ever said that because it doesn't, it's not needed. Or Pong out. <laughs> pong out. Nobody, want, nobody <laughs> wants a Pong out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no one wanted it. Pong's age is old now. Pong is old. It's, it stinks. It's that old. Pong. Pong's. Pong out. And these weird D-makes, remake D-makes, actually, are doing my head in. Yeah. And aside from that great, great piece of music, and it really is good, this game is utter crap. The CPU player had... It wasn't even intelligence. When I played, it's it just went up moving. and down, up 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 and down. There's no coherence. No, yeah. it just went up and down. They just programmed it to go up so far, down so far, up so far, down so far, up, down, up, down. There was no logic to that. Um, mm -hmm. 
So the challenge is really for this is not so much about the game, but how long are you going to put it on and have it on the screen for before you reach for the off button? For me, it wasn't very long at all. Apart from no. for that, no, I listen to the loading music because I always do, but I've got Sid play for that. Don't need to play this game, thankfully. Utter rubbish. Utter, utter rubbish. It, it was bad on the Amiga. It should have stayed there. No, stinker. No wonder it's called Space Pong. <laughs> Pong out, space balls, star balls, rubbish. Whiffy. Yeah, Whiffy balls. Whiffy balls, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Stink balls. <laughs> oh, like. Oh, dear. Uh, there we go. Awful game. Let's move along quickly and get away from that terrible, terrible Pong. Because our next one, well, this is Soldier of Light. Sounds great. Tell us all about it, Graham. <laughs> 8.99s. So uh, I'll tell you what, give me nine quid and I'll give you a penny change. That seems fair. Yeah. 61% though. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. Publisher is Ace. This is copyright potato. And you know what that means? <laughs> the conversion, that dreaded word, the word that makes me go, <laughs> is reptilia design. Coder then Ian Jones and Michael Jones, Ian and Mick. Um, uh, graphics, Robert Whittaker. Title screen, Robert Whittaker. And the musician, Charles Dean and Durantel. The music is actually pretty good. Thank God the Maniacs and I stepped in to sort of bring something to the game. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it a little bit. So this is otherwise known as, I think this is how you pronounce it, Zaned Sleena. I think that's how, X-A-I-N apostrophe D. Is that Zaned? I don't know what that yeah. is really. Anyway, Zaned Sleena is a two-genre, two-genre? I don't know what that means. This is from Wiki. A platform and side-scrolling arcade video game produced by Technos in 1986. It was then later licensed for release outside Japan by Potato. In the USA, the game was published by Memetron, Mimetron, and the game was renamed to Solar Warrior. The European home computer ports renamed to the game Soldier of Light. Why? We don't know. In, by the way, you know how we like to look at the ratings for these? In mm-hmm. Japan, Game Machine listed Zane Sleena on their January 15th, 1987 issue as being... The 12th most successful table arcade <laughs> unit of the month. 12th of the month. Last Twelve. time it was eight. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 I thought the list was only at seven. Waste the main sale. <laughs> so we've got another run and gun in the Hawkeye Zamzara kind of vein on the C64. This one, yet another conversion from the ever giving arcades of curiosities. They're all much of a much as these types of game for me, Adrian. This one in the arcade is slightly above average and so might lend itself to better conversions. Maybe. There's always mm-hmm. that kind of hope in your heart. At the helm, are the demo coding team of Ian and Mick, who are no strangers to well-optimized code and fancy routines with a slew, a slew of one-file demos on CSDB, which you can go and explore to your heart's content, including the famous Bogman. Indeed, the actual game speed and the way it scrolls and moves isn't terrible. If anything, it's good when you're blasting and running. Not so good when you jump and start floating around like a boring balloon, though. The goal here is to kill everything. Collect extra weapons and clear each of the three planets, that is Klemalt, Kledos, and Kleethorps. Not really. Lacto. Clato. That's Klemalt, Kledos, and Lagato. In the arcade, there were five, alas. No quarrel or guild. Um, they're not here, so they're afraid they're not in this game. Um, so you can't play that. You start your mission on a selection screen. There is no specific order how you do these. You can just pick any one of the three by moving your spaceship over them and pressing the fire button on your joystick, and you will begin your adventures. Each of the planets is split into two sections. Section one is a run and gun, with you playing as Zane in your exoskeleton, running left to right, shooting the attacking Federation baddies and aiming to get to the final boss and shoot them too, right in the face. 
Good. Your background varies depending on which planet you're on, but the principle of running, shooting and jumping, leaping, hovering or floating, whatever you want to call that, well, whatever it is, that's all the same. The screen in this part has a UI in the top half giving you your score, damage indication, last score, remaining time and remaining lives. You have a short amount of time to get to the end so you can't hang about and all the enemies will aim to damage or kill you. Along the way, you will see various pods, which are in fact weapon upgrades, armor-piercing lances, double-shot fireballs and triple lasers can be grabbed and used to speed up the killing of things. Eventually, mm. you will kill the end boss and destroy the enemy base. Then after a somewhat overlong bonus score, where it counts down with an annoying noise that goes for what seemed like forever, you'll be onto the second section, which is unfortunately is kind of dreary. It's just like a dreary side-scrolling shoot-em-up where what feels like the same pattern of enemies seems to endlessly zoom towards you from the right as you fly to the left shooting. There are fast-moving stars, which is a nice effect, I guess. And eventually you will come to the end, which sort of just happens in that bit. Not very exciting. Graphically, it's okay. Just not very varied and only a small array of enemy types. Indeed, possibly even one to contend with, just in different patterned ways. After that, it's back to the planet choosing screen, only with one of the planets probably obviously crossed out. You then select one of the remaining two planets and repeat the process with different backgrounds and some slight enemy changes. And so it goes on for the three planets and then it ends. Mm -hmm. It's all very generic. It's all been done before and better. And unfortunately, even the addition of the maniacs and and sound and music duties can't really lift this up to much more than slightly above average. Once again, the game design is based on something pretty dull. And so once again, you simply have a C64 version of the same game with the same issues, albeit with some graphical instability. The graphics throughout, I guess, I guess you'd call them okay. They're quite well drawn and well shaded. They move okay and the animation's okay. Jumpy is floaty and weird though. Um, but that might have been the same in the arcade. I didn't play that. I only had a quick look at that on YouTube. The enemies are not particularly varied throughout, but there are enough of them, I guess. They kind of spill onto the screen, though. Not So they just kind of spawn in a kind of a thoughtless way. There's no pattern or anything. They just kind of splodge onto the screen endlessly. Mm -hmm. The shoot 'em up bit is a bit weird as well, really drawn out, but it all still remains pretty dull. And because of the repetitive nature, it also feels like a dreary, endless slog to get to the end with no real payoff for anything. In between the graphics, I suppose the in-between parts, the interstitial parts, they're kind of like the arcade. They do have them. Planet selection screen, minus the two planets is there. Text-heavy title screen, albeit colourful, and the bonus screens, etc. It's all just a bit of a thankless and brainless task that really requires no uptick in skill. It's just rote, shoot, run, fly, shoot, run, fly, attack. And that might pass okay for a budget-level game like Zamzara, which is way better than this and cheaper, but this costs four times as much as that. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think I get it. Slightly above average score from Zap, slightly above average sums this game up, and the average is not high. Yet another boring arcade conversion because the arcade was the 12th best that month. <laughs> Does that not tell you something about it? What, what did you think? No, I, I, it's not average. I don't know what this, but I don't like it. Ugly visuals <laughs> and naff chuggy controls and endless waves of annoying enemies. This is not my idea of fun. As you said, the music is okay, but that's about it. The visuals on the opening planet are a horrible mishmash of green and brown, and the enemies look like bananas. <laughs> they did, yeah. I, I tried the second planet and was killed by a bush. I, I was it. I was done. I was like, nope, <laughs> this is crap. <laughs> and then I, then I tried it again, got past that, and then some dinosaur-type thing sort of oh, flickered about the screen in a, oh, it was, no, there's nothing here no. about being a soldier of light, just a brown, ugly stain of a game. I didn't like this. I did really yeah. hated it. The, 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 the controls, the jumping is stupid. You have to hold up. Yeah. <laughs> you hold up and then you do a sort of jet push. But it's like, oh, oh. I hate it. Floaty jumps. And then, I hate 
the worst thing was was that you get past the you get past the first lot. There's some platforms. You get up them. You go to the right. And if you drop down off them, you die. Like okay, right. <laughs> oh, so you, obviously you want me to go up over the other platforms. But then once you get past them, there's drops of faith. So you've just got yeah. to like, well, the last time I did this, I died. So where yeah. am I supposed to be going here? Where am I? What's going on? What, there's no just rubbish. Bad design. Bad level design. Don't give me faith drops where yeah. I can't see what I'm dropping onto. I don't yeah. like that. I didn't like this. Yeah, it's not the worst conversion we've seen. I mean, there are a lot worse than this, but it's certainly not a good one. 61% is generous. This is a 30, 40% for me. Bananas. That's <laughs> what they look like. <laughs> big yellow yeah, things. And well, just... and then like cars out of um, big cars floating around out of what looked like uh, that Bruce Willis film for the future. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifth Element. Just, yeah. just, no, this game was bad. I didn't like Soldier it. Soldier of Blight. Yeah. <laughs> just boring and like you said yeah. the shoot up bit in the middle just uh, the most pointlessly dull shoot up of all time isn't it like, oh please uh, end please end please make end. them die it's, it, no it's not that's coming up later in the episode <laughs> yeah to be fair yes yeah. <laughs> i forgot about that snooze snoozy game yeah, that one that's coming soon that one <laughs> comatron you mean absolutely yeah. uh, anyway so there you go yes soldier of blight didn't like it let's move on Oh, God. To our next one, Super Stuntman. <laughs> £2.99. Uh, the life of a stuntman is a hard one, as is the life of a person who said they were going to review every game for, for, that was seen in Zap. <laughs> Especially if we are touted as a Super Stuntman. And that is exactly what we have here. Yes, this is Super Stuntman from Code Masters. And we're mm. back to the £2.99 range of games. None of your Code Masters Extra for eight ninety nine here. None of your no. games shot from... Well, this is shot from above, but not three miles above, at least. Just This is just £3 worth of Super Stuntman action. This was originally on the Amstrad by Peter Williamson, then ported to the Spectrum and C64. And the conversion here was by Neil Rain, with graphics by Richard Cheek, the rather nice loading screen by Stephen Day, and music by Three Second Loop Man, Mr. David Whitaker. Yeah, it is. The title screen sees a picture of you by your car at the top. There's some perspective issues with that car. Things all off. <laughs> it's the least of this game's issues, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's like, where's the vanishing point on that car? Uh. It's like, uh, it's breaking my head. <laughs> It's just off. And you've got the options to play with joystick, keys, or turn the music on or off. It's up to you. It doesn't matter. Once you start, press press to play with joystick or whatever. The game itself consists of seven stages for you to play through, and they're all pretty much the same, just the vehicle and the level layout changing. So scene one sees you going through a deadly car chase through the desert. Stage two, or scene two, sorry, sees you on the river in a powerboat. Scene three is back in the car driving through a forest. Scene four sees you having to jump over the Grand Canyon. I'll just tell you now, it's just another desert scene. Scene five <laughs> sees you battling through the streets of New York at night. Scene six is back in the boat to make it through some rapids. And finally, scene seven is the grand finale. Looks a lot like scene five, but what do I know? <laughs> so it's another top-down car game, uh, kind of much like we saw with Leadstorm only on a budget level. You know, it's, it's the budget version of it. The UI mm. at the bottom of the screen is only a few lines and shows you and shows the, the, the take you're on. That is actually the one thing I did like about this game, the way it thematically keeps it all like it's in a film. Um, yeah, yeah. Give and that is the dues. one 
thing that I didn't mind about this. So you get, so instead of lives, you get takes. That's quite okay. I don't mind that. It's sort of like, okay, so you're a stuntman, you're supposed to be doing like a cool action steam in a film. And when mm. you get bonus points, you get cool, you get bonus points for doing cool action stuff. That's quite nice. Full marks for that. It also tells you the, the stage you're on, you know, your, your score and the time left to complete the stage. I think you're going to get a minute or something to complete each one. The game takes place in a window in the center of the screen. Why don't it take up the whole screen? Oh, don't even get the me window. That. So it doesn't take up the whole of it. Your car, though. So this, it reminded me of the other one we played recently where you were playing in the top half of the screen, but you were playing in the. But at least this one does actually put your car at the bottom of the window. Yeah, so, that one put it at the two near the top, didn't it? Yeah, remember. so you had half yeah, a screen yeah. to play on and you were half a, half a height of the window, so you, you couldn't see yeah, shit. Yeah. So this one actually does put you at the bottom of the window, but it, it's very similar to that other one, I can't, which I can't remember the name of right now. And this is very similar to that, really similar to that. It's uh, So yeah, so you're at the bottom of the window. Pushing up makes you go faster. Left and right steer, pulling back is reverse, essentially. Uh, and fire shoots bullets because you can blow there's other cars and stuff on in your way that you can shoot and blow up the aim of the game is simply to get the car to the end line before the timer counts down to zero or you run out of takes um and this is the same for all the levels it's the same you get to the end um if you do run out of time but you have a take left then you can restart from where you are and that's one of the another thing that's nice nice affordance when you die you don't go back to the beginning you kind of start where you left off so that's not too bad if you make your way yeah if you make your way to or to the end of them all then you're told that all scenes are complete and it just ends and well done you go and that's it there are some nice touches in the presentation like thematically like i said for each start you're told the name of the scene uh, and the take and then action and it's on a clapperboard which is a nice touch and like i said that, that kind of thematic keeping this filming like it's in a film that's it that's where the decent bits end the controls are annoying as all hell in this the car is floaty seemingly speeds up and slow slows down at random the courses are annoying with dead ends in the desert leading to having to back up whilst being beset by enemies who hem you in and stop you moving and although you can shoot, you can only shoot forward. So on many an occasion, I went the wrong way and couldn't get back out because some cars came up behind me because you can't turn a full loop and sort of drive forward no. and around. You can sort of only turn like 45 degrees left or right. So if you're stuck and there's a car behind you, you kind of have to move off to the left, but then it just keeps going to be, you're stuck, no. you're done. So it just blocked me. So I was just stuck. And all I could do is do nothing but wait for the timer to count down. And that's bad. That's really bad. And it happened more than once. The graphics are simple to the case of being basic. The, the, your car is just a red or your boat or whatever is just a block and the other cars are just simple sprites. There's nothing particular here. The backgrounds are very, very simplistic. Graphics are, are basic to say the best. The noise on the car is an annoying whine that gets higher as you go faster and it's the same whether you're in a boat as well. Cars and boats don't sound, don't sound the same. Just no, saying. They don't. they don't. They have different noises. It quickly gets annoying. There are ramps to hit and you've got to not only be lined up perfectly to hit them, Otherwise, you kind of do this spinny, floaty thing. Because whenever you die in this, you don't just die. You do this sort of floaty, spinny thing. And then you get it and sort of thing. But you've also been going fast enough to jump over the gap. So if you're not going fast enough and it's dead hard to aim, problems. With cars bumping you and getting in the way and stuff. And you know, it's quite tricky with the floaty controls and turning. The car has. It's annoying. There are also red circles on the first section. It's just kill you for no real reason. What are they? <laughs> what are they? It's red Annoyances. circles. Yeah, you can drive through grass stuff with red circles, death. <laughs> Somewhere buried in here, there is, you know, these kind of things. There's a decent little game in this kind of V8, last V8 style thing. There's something yeah, about it, maybe. you know, but it's not been realized in this port. Uh, it's not. It's deeply annoying and frustrating to play. Indeed, you know, several down, several years down the line on the 360 and PS3, there was a game called Stuntman, which will be released. And actually, to no one's surprise, that was just equally as bloody frustrating. <laughs> Maybe the life of a stuntman does not make for a good game. It certainly does not here. Got 
percent. Yeah, maybe a little harsh, but probably not too harsh. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, what is this really? You take a game. I wasn't sure what to expect, apart from I knew it'd involve some kind of top-down view and some kind of ass controls. And I was right. I was right about that. Mm. navigate your car around some rocks was the first bit I was encountered in this. I know it's some kind of film. I like that. I did like, like you, I like that thematic and your car can shoot. All right. You control it with the joystick and it's that horrible rotational control, which I've really come to hate about C64 games. Generally, I don't like it. I don't like rotating and left and rotate right and up to speed up. I get it. I get why you might do it that way, but I hate it. And this is, doesn't go full 360, like you say, which makes reversing a real pain as well. Yeah. Got, oh, I've got reverse now. You can't look like a child's shoe, though. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it looked like it looked like in that beginning level you were driving through a bottle of cocoa pops in custard. <laughs> it was a clog, man. It was. It was just the sound became a, a real weird audio cacophony, though. Just lots of sound effects going off all over the place, and it was quickly gipping. And found myself reaching for the off button. I was like, ah, uh, ah, no. It's not a horrible idea. This is just a horrible game. And the thematics are there, but they, it never got really into the, the details of what this was going to be. What you end up with is uh, an idea that once you get into the past, the sort of clapperboard going off, and the, you know, what 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 is it really? It's just a kind of crappy car game, and that isn't much fun even at three quid. So now, 21%, yeah. I wouldn't say it's about right. I'd just say this is not super, and maybe it involved a stuntman, I don't know, but I switched it off pretty quick. So <laughs> Yeah. No, no, not good. Not, good. not very good at all. There we go. Super stunt man. Let's move along. We've got we've still got one more game. We've got to get to that. Let's get to it. And Graham, it's your chance to tell us all about Star Ray. Uh, Ray. 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 <laughs> Ain't got a date. Star Ray there. Nine pounds ninety-five. Sixty percent though. Another one. Another sixty percent there. Mm. We're just taking a big old trip down Average Avenue at the moment, aren't we? This I was wish. published by Logotron <laughs> and developed by Psychedelic Software Developments. They made a game called Hell for Leather, which we've missed because it wasn't in Zap. So we'll probably have to go back and look at them at some point. Mm. The coder here is James McDonald, and the graphics are Jamie Kerr. Keeps happening, doesn't it? It's old arcade games reborn in glorious medium res on the C64. <laughs> Last time it was the crappy Master Blaster, that crappy asteroid clone that we saw. Now we have Star Ray, otherwise known as Defender. Yep. Now, way back in the early days of this podcast, episode three, in fact, we reviewed Archer McLean's uh, Drop Zone, which was a Defender clone and one that kind of beat its own drum with enough borrowings and differences to be its own thing. Very successful. We really liked it. Classic. Mm-hmm. That was July 1985. <laughs> Star Ray is pound for pound Defender, but not in a good way. Perhaps the reason for these D remakes or re remakes is because this was first an Amiga game. Then converted. So this is kind of a remake, demake, whatever that, anyway. It, the, what we <laughs> have here is pretty simple. A re-demake or a de-remake, yeah. It's all simple and all said and done, not very good. There's a story to this, believe it or not, Adrian. I know it's hard to believe. That is hard to believe. But this, is this not the trend? We get these remake, demakes, and then we have to we have to attach a stupid story. Mm-hmm. The story is follows, as follows. Since the first time you saw a Star Warrior on some TV space opera battling violently against the evil Citroen, and Tauran empires, Citroen, all right, Citroen, they make cars. Anyway, um, you have nurtured a dream, a dream, your dream, Adrian, to become a Star Ray pilot. Now you've sailed past the acceptance tests. You've survived the trainer sims. You've done the dummy runs on the ice planet Charon. At last, you've made it. Charon's not a ice planet. That's the name of the guy that guides you over the river Styx, isn't it? <laughs> probably. Anyway. Might be a planet as well, though. Right, just prepare yourself for some of the namings that we've got coming up for the next few games as well. The first mission is on the planet Gorbaxa. Go back, sir. 
Go back, go back, sir. Go back, sir, yes. Go back, sir. This game is no good. <laughs> it's no good. It's a place, Agent, where the used cryptium, the energy cells from the mammoth star clusters, are stored. Since one of the surviving robot ships from the Crix Wars dumped unused cryptium cells there two years ago, the place has needed a 24-hour guard, as the cells are priceless and dangerous. The watch at Go Back, sir, is just your kind of mission. A few months later, so that's that's the first mission. A few months later, you'll be on your way to Seroin. It's a holiday planet. <laughs> it's a holiday planet where dense, impenetrable jungle is growing at such a frenzied rate it could overgrow the high-speed rail tracks within hours. Seroin? That's just a stake with a missing L. <laughs> Here, your mission is to protect the forest exterminator robots against the vicious wildlife. Uh... I don't think you should be protecting anything that's called a forest exterminator robot. <laughs> Just and it just seems like a very you know it's a holiday planet I know but if you're still alive after that the next mission is Shalon, <laughs> where the ozone layer requires your protection. They didn't bother with that one. You can tell they're getting bored writing these things, and that's it for that. And okay. then and it just says, and this is the introduction. It just says, and then that's it. That's what you get. <laughs> That's leaving off, you on a cliffhanger. It. It's leaving you wanting more. So your mission is to is to protect the installations on the ground. I've left this bit in, Adrian, because I wanted to read this because it's important that we get all this correct. <laughs> these are the words from the instructions, I'll have you know. So when these have gone, that's the installations, the game is over. Installations are on are different on each level. Energy cells, forest robots, anti-gravity generators, etc. The most common aliens are the landers, which not only fly around, they'll shoot at you as well and land on your installations, which they pervert. For example, what? in the jungles of Seroyan, yes, landers turn the installations to gun emplacements. Perverted installations should be attacked. <laughs> Some landers leave a bonus ball when you shoot them. These should be collected <laughs> by touching them. Touch the balls, Adrian. Touch the bonus balls. Touch the balls. Touching balls. Is that is there ever a good instruction in a game that starts with touching balls? I don't know. Maybe snooker. The Starray Fighter is enhanced according to the letter on the ball. A for improved acceleration. V for maximum speed is increased. Isn't that improved acceleration? Isn't that the same? <laughs> a V audio visual. No, they're, they're two separate. They're two separate power balls. So A makes you go faster, and V B makes you go faster. Yeah, your maximum speed is increased. Okay. Oh no! I suppose if A, I suppose if your maximum speed is four, you start at one. A goes you two, three, four. If you get V, that might take you to five. You don't need to debate this, Adrian. It's really no, not that bit in depth. No, I'm giving to. St- um, yeah, I just want a steak <laughs> right now. Um, with the, uh, T, if you get one with the letter T, you can fire more rapidly. P, your, la- your laser gets greater penetrating power <laughs> to take down those perverts. Yeah. Uh, C is continuous fire. Now this will make you laugh, Adrian. This is my favourite, and I've left this in. This is for you. If you get the C pod, the C bonus, it gives you continuous fire for a hundred shots. <laughs> oh. okay just is it continuous if it stops i don't know that it is maybe i don't know just fire 100 know. is it just we fire 100 times and stop you also get if you get the i you get invulnerability for 10 seconds they clearly got bored by this point if you get b you just get bonus points don't say yeah. how many or what they are just bonus, you just get bonus points anyway if you hang around doing little the vicious blue hunters will come for you if you are good you get bonus air buses don't ask me don't, don't even ask me what that means <laughs> Shoot them down and collect the bonus objects. On your first mission at Gorbaxa, you'll encounter Krillian motherships. These seem harmless, but when shot, they break up into many small UFOs, which chase behind you in your exhaust stream. There are seven missions, all in all, increasing in difficulty. Look forward to the living crystals, radar interference satellites, the silicon worms, collapsing cave passages, bloodthirsty plants, Deadly guided missiles, etc., etc. Oh, this is awful. That's, that's the wording. <laughs> enough of this. Enough. Enough. 
my writer's <laughs> bone is just being like it's like cringing like a nightmare enough of this you'll say enough of that you'll start the game and be welcomed with an overly large high score you can't miss it it's massive it's like scores yeah. like, okay the scoreboard is as big as the lead title for the game and that should never be no pressing fire begins the game the top two thirds is the fancy parallax scrolling game area with your ship zooming over the landscape just like defender the bottom of the screen is your radar like in defender along with how many vaporizers <laughs> smart bombs to you and me you've got how much energy you have in your current score white dots on the radar enemies weirdly you are also a white dot nothing confusing about that then um, and when the <laughs> an installation is perverted it goes red always does Always do. Fly around, shoot everything, stop getting things too perverted, and you'll finish that attack wave. A second one will happen, just happens. Shoot all of that, and you're on to the next level or planet, so it goes on. Though this does have some nice attempts at graphics, and the scrolling is all very fancy parallaxy scrolling, you do feel like you're shipping all the enemies and their bullets are somewhat lost in it all. It's just a, it's a mishmash of medium res colors and graphics that don't work. Add to that, sometimes the screen is a weird glitch at some of the higher and lower speeds, so it's that sort of fidgeting and twitching. And all in all, it's you know it's all in glorious medium res, so it all starts to get a bit of an eye mash. And though there's some, there is some nice pixel painted type shading on some of the objects in the background. The main objects lack the details and the speed of its Amiga Big Brother, obviously. So it just it's kind of a medium res C64 version of an Amiga game, which was already pretty average. Guess what? There's going to be the outcome here. Even with all that, all that stuff, it's pretty boring, and not you're not really doing anything interesting with the Defender format at all. Not like Drop Zone did. They did something interesting with the format. This doesn't do any of that. It takes all that away. The end result is something that has, I suppose, nice-ish graphics, reasonable sounds, nothing that's going to blow your mind. But it does have a nine ninety five price tag. I'm like, what? And it's another budget game, this. This has got budget written all over it. This should have just budget. It's a budget game. This should be one ninety nine. Had it been one ninety nine, I'd have been a tad more forgivable. But at full price for a crappy Defender clone in 1989, get lost. <laughs> take it back to the place where you made it burn it all down burn your meagers set fire to them and go and become monks don't do this ever again it's a bad thing you did you perverted the amiga and the c64's good name so i didn't think it was very good at full price absolutely not no way they've only would have only scraped by with me with 199 for this not worth it 60 percent too high for something that's a very boring to average but reasonably pretty ish i guess version of a game that's been done better by other people way up way way many years ago what did you think <sighs> the retro reimagining continues doesn't it with the <laughs> judery and ill-advised defender knockoff and i've written the same view here's a tip if you're going to do defender in 1989 it better be smooth and it better be better than drop zone yeah unfortunately aside from going at full speed this is neither smooth nor better than drop zone i like you i guess the background mountains are nice and the power and there's a lot of parallax scrolling going on too much uh, there is and it's smooth at full speed soon as you're not going full speed, those updates become awful slow and painful on the eye. Mm. It's like, oh, that's pain. That hurts. Oh, that's juddering. It's like, oh, what's God, uh, the, the juddering. It's not moving slow. Oh, yeah, it all goes a bit arc right, doesn't it? The scrolling. It gets a bit stuck. Granville, what's going on with that? In scrolling. Oh, awful! I, I, and it's been bored. And it's like you said, everything's just a mash of medium res color. He's like, what? Where am I? Where are the aliens? What's going on? What's happening? What? What are those things on the floor? Why is everything wrong? Why is it just not right? Why am I not playing Drop Zone if I want to defend a game? Oh, yeah, bad starfish. I think that's what I called it. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Cozy collection of greatness we've played there. 
Well, Rocket <laughs> Rocket Ranger started off well, and then the S games came in: Spaceball, Soldier of Light, Super Stuntman, and Star Ray. Yes, they did. Yeah, there's another game that another word that begins with S, and most of them are that. Oh. <laughs> right, I'm going to go take a break, wash my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll well, be the is I'm going to go and listen to some snake jazz. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> uh, uh, we'll be back in a minute. Uh, we've got films. We're going to look at some films. There's quite a lot of films released in March 1989, so uh, we'll be talking about them just in a moment. So please do stick around. And we're back. Loads of films this month. You were spoiled for choice almost. 3rd of March... First one uh, was uh, Scandal. What I watched, I actually went and watched this last night. Was uh, oh, any good? I haven't um, watched that one. It's it's well, <laughs> it's, it? it's well, it's based on the uh, Profumo of um, oh, Scandal that's from right. Christine the Keeler, early nineteen sixties. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, Christine Keeler. So it's uh, Joanne Wally Kilmer, John Hurt, that's Ian, right. Ian McKellen, uh, Bridget Fonda, Trevor Reeve turns up at one point in it, sort of thing, and has a threesome with a pair of them. Shoestring, very what? odd. Yeah, this film, like for the first half of this film, is 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 really raunchy, boobtastic. If that's the word you want to use to get to very sort of thing. And it's really sold, <laughs> but it's really gratuitous. Like I was watching it, going, "Isn't this supposed to be like about this kind of, you know, scandal and stuff like that?" But it's just essentially yeah. just John Wally Kilmer, uh, who is supposedly only eighteen in it as well. So it's a, and uh, she starts with a little bit younger as well. The character, she's obviously not, but it's mm. really, it's really dubiously filmed. It's like in a there's lots of lots of really close-ups in strip joints, and there's this really overlong bit where her and Bridget Fonda get ready to go out, and it's like just gusset shots, and it's really. As I say, I was sat there watching it, going, "Jesus!" I was like, and then like midway, and then halfway through it, <laughs> it's worth watching just for Ian McKellen's hair, which is, uh, okay. which is like he's got it's, it's shaved all the way to the back part from the middle, but it only comes to the sort of top of his head in like a Mohican point. I think weird. We, we may differ on why we're watching this. <laughs> it's worth watching. I'm like, wow, it's, it's amazing. Um, but then, you know, and it's quite a tragic story. I'm not, I don't know, I've not looked into the full story, but the story is that John Hurt's character. Um, also as well, what's his face? Roland Gif, Roland Gif turns up in it as well from uh, Fine Young Cannibals. <laughs> Fine Cannibals. <laughs> yeah, very odd. But uh, yeah, so the, the story is that he sort of gets blamed everything and he, because he, not sort of a pimp, but he's kind of like a, they're all kind of good time people and they get accused of prostitution and all this sort of stuff. But the Profumo was this uh, minister who had an affair with Christine Keeler, denied it, in, you know, in parliament and then came out and went, oh, actually I lied and had to step down and stuff. Really? A liar in parliament? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and had to step down and resign and stop being thinking like, like it actually mattered back then. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. so it, it's, it's not a terrible film, It's but I think it's just a bit, it's a bit of its time. It's a bit of the late eighties. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember it, the video box alone got that rented out more than most films of that because type it ever would. Share, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. Well, it's the famous image. There's an that's an actual image of the woman. Christine that was Keeler, in it, isn't yeah. It? yeah, yeah, yeah. So they re, they remade it with what's her name? Which she's a very you know, Joanne Willa Kilmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, she's beautiful. Even Bridget Jones, uh, but uh, Bridget. Bridget Fonda, sorry, not Bridget Jones. It's it's a it's an okay film. It's not terrible, but it's just very very odd and it's very weird and like and the other the other thing as well is like I would just just uh, just as if you are going to go watch it, the the language is very much nineteen early nineteen sixties, so it's heavily racist. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, some of the terminology is like, oh, good lord. <laughs> I watched. Um, I made a point of watching uh, Gangs in New York recently. I'm all good. I'm I'm kind of you know languaged out. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would be. 
but it's not. T- it's not. T- it's yeah. It's it's okay. I guess. So there you go. Scandal. It was the scandal. If you didn't want to go see that, and you wanted something maybe a little more Hollywood, you could have gone see Rain Man. Classic. Classic yeah, Rain the, Man. Is this the, did he get an Oscar for this, Justin Hoffman? This is a Dustin Hoffman. Tom Cruise. He did. Yeah, I believe he did. Story. I, is he? Is he autistic? Autistic, he's, he's yeah. Autistic, autistic brother. savant, yeah. yeah autistic right. savant, and Tom Cruise needs to has to come and look after him and take him, he's, I mean, he becomes responsible for him and takes him up, and he's yeah. a gambler and blah, 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 blah. It wouldn't have a lot. Lots of plaudits. It's, you know, Took him to Vegas, doesn't he? And he starts earning him lots of money because he's card counting because he's a mathematics savant because he's autistic. Yes. It was a bit of a Hollywood version of autism, not as we as we understand it. It's like when Hollywood treat how Hollywood imagines autism actually is. You know, it's well, look how great they are at maths and all this crazy stuff and colliding. <laughs> yeah, the they're it's really, a, you know, it's they're a, really handy to have these people. Yeah, that's what I mean. But you know, it is it is it was an awareness that wasn't out there at the time. So you know, Hollywood doing its awareness thing as such. But yeah, nothing then, like a good bit of exploitation. And then patting itself on the back at the Oscars, man, aren't we good? Yeah. Uh, Dustin, you did a very good job. Very well done. Checkbox, tick, tackled. Yeah, yeah. We did good there. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. But it isn't a bad film I'll send done. I much prefer Midnight Cowboy to that. But, but I know it's a very different type of film, but it's another Dustin Hoffman movie where he plays. Uh, kind of I, well, I, I do as well. I think Midnight Cowboy is one of the saddest films going. But Yes, it is. Um, that ending is just like, oh my God, I can't no, watch that. It's not it's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot has a similar ending and it gets me every time. I can't watch yeah. it. Yeah, yes, true. That's very true, actually. Yeah, similarities, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, there you go. That's Rain Man. If you didn't fancy either of those, here's another film I did watch for the podcast, which I don't remember much of. This is DOA. Okay, I've never seen it. Never you never seen it? One. This is this is uh, Dennis Quaid. Uh, Quaidy in it. Yeah, Meg, Meg Ryan. Which version of Quaid is it? Is it Dragon, um, Dragon Voice Quaid? <laughs> it's, no, it's it's weird. It's, this is an odd film. I believe this is a remake of a sort of 1940s or 50s film noir. I could be wrong, but I do believe okay. it is. And it has the sort of trappings of a film noir film. Basically what happens is uh, Dennis Quaid's character is a English professor and for some reason he he goes out and he goes out he, he he's splitting up with his wife uh they're getting divorced he goes to drown his sorrows one night he wakes up in the morning in the bedroom of meg ryan who's one of his students but he just because he passed out and she took him home he feels unwell he goes to the doctors and he finds finds out he's been poisoned and he's only got 24 hours left to live he doesn't know why first of all he blames on mcryan and it turns out this whole thing to do with one of his students and there's this other plot with charlotte rampling and all this other sort of stuff and it's all very you know you know it's it's a dying man trying to fight, figure out because it's all told in it starts off with him in the police station telling his story that he's dying and this is what's led him up to that point so it's very film noir tropey in that respect it's not very good though (laughs) i can't recommend it it's very late 80s the story is really predictable in not a particularly good way and dennis dennis quaid is really not particularly very good in it at all none of them and there's just the weird the music the music is so over the top and all over the place in it and there's just weird like montage sequences for no real reason other than it's the 1980s yeah the 80s Um, montage yeah i I can't you know so i I didn't didn't get much from this uh there's a really Mm. stupid action sequence in the middle where they're attacked in this sort of abandoned theater it's just not very good at (laughs) all so i I can't recommend it apart from if you you know dennis quaid pulls a lot of faces in it (laughs) best i can say there you go Anyway, that was it. That's 3rd of March. We had a strange bunch of films to choose then. If you 7th of March, you had Tree of Hands. 
No, not another one I've not really come across. I've never heard of it. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. Is it is it Michelle Pfeiffer in it? Is that is that who's in that? I'm looking at the sort of poster of it. Is that Michelle uh, Pfeiffer? No, it's not. It's Lauren Bacall, oh. Helen Shaber, right. Peter no, Firth. Not, not heard of it. Not heard of no. it. No. Something about a woman is attempting to cope with her son's tragic death when her mother arrives on an ill-timed visit with her own remedies. Okay. Yeah, it wouldn't have been something I would have wanted to see. No. And it still isn't. No, it's not, no. Tenth <laughs> of March, though, something more interesting. Dangerous mm. Liaisons. Dangerous Liaisons is a great, great film. Yeah, you like this, um, don't you? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's a really good film. It's a really good film. It's based on a 1985 play called uh, Les Liaisons de Giroux by Christopher Hampton, which was actually an adaptation of the 1782 novel, the same title, written by Pierre Chaudelot-Laclos. It's a really good young Uma Thurman in this. I think she's only 18, 19 in that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, young Keanu Reeves is even in there as well. Of course, it's got Glenn Close is in there. Famously, it's got Glenn Close in there. And of course, mm. John Malkovich, famously, and Michelle Pfeiffer in there as well. Some big names in there, all said and done. Even Peter Capaldi makes an appearance in there. You don't get much bigger than that, do you? You uh, don't. So the plot for this one is focuses on the Marquis de Matoy and the Vicomte de Valmont, and two really devious characters who, who, who are rivals in some kind of weird... Not sex games, but um, set in the sort of seventeenth century. So it's they're kind of like trying to outdo each other and trying to outplay each other and outmaneuver each other. They use kind of sex as a weapon of humiliation, degradation, all the while enjoying their cruel games. Their targets in their games are the virtuous and married uh, Madame de Tourvel, who's played by Michelle Pfeiffer, Cecile de Valange, who's played by Uma Thurman, and, and is a young girl, and she has to fall in love with her music tutor, who is the Chevalier d'Arsigny, that's played by Ken Reeves. In order to gain their trust, Valmont and the Marquis de Matoy pretend to help their secret lovers so they can use it later on in their own treacherous schemes. And it's a film generally set around lots of pomp, lots of circumstance, and lots of people in tight trusses and tightly trussed dresses and and all the kind of finery that goes with that kind of lifestyle. But they're all trying to just, they're all behind all those layers. They're actually quite nasty people trying to outdo and, and outsmart and just be really mean to each other. And really just trying to get ultimately get revenge on each other. And in the end, their game gets quite deadly because the Marquis de Matoy and the Vicomte de Valmont fall out. She promises herself to him if he can complete a task. And his task is to corrupt a woman whose, whose virtue is renowned and who is already married. And the reward would be a one night with her. He completes his task and as he sees it, but in bragging about it to her, he doesn't realise how much she actually likes him. She then denies him this. He then goes on a rant. And then in the end, it involves an assault fight and that kind of thing and a duel. Very old school stuff. Mm-hmm. And Stephen Free has directed this. It's, I think it's a bit of a... I'd, I never really liked period dramas at all. My experience of period dramas up to this point was always crappy you know room with a view type oh if you dropped a cup of tea oh would you like a <laughs> polo mint oh and i was just like and i had enough this it really brought the kind of the language and the tonality and the way it's done and the way it's filmed and everything it all it just feels really thematically consistent and i really like that and it's got some blindingly good performances particularly from glenn close and from um, john malkovich john malkovich is amazing in that and only, I mean, he's an amazing looking guy in that as well. He really plays the regal, regally devious Valmont really well. It's definitely worth going and watch it. I, I love it. It's such a good film. I watch it loads. I watch it loads and loads and loads. Not because I want to live my life like that. And do not ever mention Cruel Intentions to me either, which is the crap remake <laughs> thing that came later. I was going to ask horrible. about that. Don't, say, don't talk see, about I, that. I prefer to watch that with uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Philippe. Well, do you know what is weird? Well, wait, I mean, that is crap. But you know what is really weird? Another version of Dangerous Liaisons came out within about 12 months of this one, which is called Valmont, I think, which is directed by the guy that made Hamadeus. I mean, the guy that's in Bridget Jones, the English, what do you want, Bridget? That English guy. Colin Firth? Colin Firth, he's in it, playing Valmont. Um, But that ain't going to work, is it? 
And it isn't very yeah. good. It's not as good as this one anyway. So there you no. go. It's a bit of extra info for you. Go and watch it. It's good. Do you know what's more interesting is that obviously Stephen Frears directed. And do you know what he was directing? Around probably about the same time as this. Go on. <laughs> Mr. Jolly Lives Next Door. <laughs> the comic strip presents. How random um, is that? The best comic strip presents as well by, by a country mile, in, in my opinion. But yeah. if you want to... I can't. But I can't think of two diametrically opposed films or things <laughs> to be period France with like all the backstabbing and beauty and all that kind of stuff to the horrible, grimy <laughs> ugliness of Mister Jolly Lives Next Door. Stephen Frears did them at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, diverse because uh, Mister Jolly Lives Next Door came out crazy fifth of March, nineteen eighty-eight, but. It's supposed we're doing it round about almost because obviously if you take into consideration how long it takes for films post production and stuff. Yeah, it was uh, oh, weird. Is that? Huh? I mean, he's still making stuff now, isn't he? He's still on to do some crazy stuff. So yeah, I mean, he's done load. He's done loads of films, hasn't he? He did. Uh, high, he did directed High Fidelity as well, didn't he? The, uh, he did. Yeah, which is a great film. There's another great film as well. Yeah, yeah, lots of stuff. Yeah, it's an inter- Yeah, it's an interesting film. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's all right. I mean, I don't probably don't like it as much as you do, but it's uh, yeah, it's. Quite a, it's, it's quite, a it's one of those, it's quite one of those films. I find it, it's one of those stories, isn't it? It's one of those films where you can see what's happening a mile off. Oh yeah, but you're, but you're yeah, powerless yeah, yeah. To, yeah. to 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 stop it, and you know, ah, oh, just you know that the bad stuff's coming down the line because the manipulation yeah. of the characters, and you're like, oh, oh, I don't want to watch this. Yes, it is. A, it is sort of awkwardness in it. It's sort of it's because of the tightly constricted and it's it's like that's the whole pomp and circumstance when somebody comes into somebody's home there they have to be introduced and they have to be announced so and it's, it's, there's a whole sort of thing around him he's this woman's coming to see him and he's got a prostitute in with him and he basically gets her to get her clothes on this is the and the woman that he's been trying to influence and have his way with sort of comes to see him because by this point she's starting to really like him and he's in there with this concubine, as it were, and she knows that it is that. She knows, but he's just convinces her by saying, well, I knew you were coming. Why would I have someone here like that? You were announced. And it's like, it's just, you know, and like you said, you're like, just, don't be so naive, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's obvious what he's doing. Yeah, true. Yeah, not very nice. I mean, not I guess a very nice it, person. In, in that respect, so sort of just thinking about it, and there's there's a that, that like I said that sort of knowing as a, as a someone watching it and knowing where that story is leading and seeing how people are being manipulated and going down horrible and you know bad things are going to happen. Yeah, no, no, maybe that and uh, Mr. Jolly lives next door, and not that different. <laughs> they're in the same. They're in the same area. They're in the same area. For, for that sort of thematically in that respect. Anyway, I don't think anybody's ever compared Dangerous Liaison to Mr. Jolly lives next no, door. No, and it's, it's going to get. It's take a weird turn now, isn't it? <laughs> Escorts, best escorts. Call us if you're saucy. If you didn't fancy Dangerous Liaisons on the same on the same day, you could have gone and seen the Lair of the White Worm. Do you know, I remember watching this with uh, with podcast friend Gary and his and his I deeply regret it. in his bed. We sat and watched this in his bedroom. I remember him getting hold of this. I remember I remember the the day he got it, and as, and we were all watching it, getting a little bit fizzy about uh, Amanda Donahue in it. We're like, oh god, Amanda Donahue! Wow, wow! And we were all getting a bit like, whoa, it's a bit kinky. This. Oh, it was a bit- Looking back on it now, it is stupid and crap <laughs> yeah, in ways I so. can't explain. I think we've even mentioned it on the podcast before. We have spoken about Lair of the White Worm because we've <laughs> spoken about Ken uh, Ken Russell before. Oh, God, the film is so bad. It's based on a Bram Stoker book, isn't it, or story, I believe? It is, yes, it is, yeah. Can you not tell? <laughs> yeah, it's something. Is it the Brampton Worm or the... It's something like that. I, yeah. try, and erase the, I try and erase Lair of the White Worm out of my mind. <laughs> Because it's full of stupid stuff. Also got Peter Capaldi in it again, by the way. It has. It's it's a double bill, isn't it? It's a it's Capaldi a Capal- double bill. Capaldi bill. So it's an a Capaldi. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, hey. it was right um, there. It's stupid. He he ends up. He's kind of the the hero of the piece in this as well because he's a archaeologist who unearths the skull of a giant snake in his garden, which turns out to be a snake god. Which Amanda Donahue is some kind of vampire woman who prays to. She then tries to resurrect the snake god by sacrificing a virgin, which uh, it, what it really involves is her kind of menacing a tied up woman with a giant horned dildo, which is not something I ever thought I'd say out loud, but I've said it there. It's, there, it's out there now. And it just it's just full of real weird, dirty, kinky stuff. And the worst policeman turned vampire ever. So it's just, it's not a good film that. It's not good at all. But yeah. you know, you'll want to watch it because of the Amanda Donahue in it, I guess. And the fact that she paralyzes a scout by biting his winky when he's in the back. <laughs> she does. <laughs> He does. <laughs> oh, dear, oh dear. <laughs> at, at what point when Ken Russell explained that scene to her, did she not go, I, I don't want to do this anymore? So you'd be bathing a naked scout. How much are you paying me? Double it. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got to bite his winky. Triple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. If that weren't enough for you, you know, you'd, you'd not had your fill of the cinema for the month. 17th of March, could have gone seen The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Oh, I will rewatch this for the podcast. Did you rewatch it for the podcast? I haven't, no. I can, I can remember. I was I was going to, but... I re- I well, I'd made a point, not just because of the podcast. I'd actually recently rewatched all of Terry Gilliam's movies. That's who made this, obviously. Hmm. And Baron Munchausen, I'd sort of worked my way up to, because I didn't watch them. I watched most of the early ones in kind of sequence, and then I started to just watch them as I could get them. And this was actually, weirdly enough, one of the last ones I watched because it was the one I'd also watched more recently than the others. Long story short, I just watched it recently. And I had it in my mind as it being a lot better than it was because all of his films have a certain look and feel to them. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. This one was a massively over-budget disaster in terms of the way it was made. It really was, yeah. It's a huge flop, wasn't it? And no-name acts are in the lead role. Loads of chances taken, loads of expensive sets. And I think there was even a part where it all either burnt down or there was some crazy thing that happened. Anyway, over budget and the film itself is utterly, utterly, it's just a mess. It's a real mess. It's very incoherent. And pockets of that humour that he tries to blend in, they're just really, all the jokes fall so flat in this film. It's quite embarrassing. You find yourself looking at it kind of awkwardly. I mean, you say, when was the last time you watched it, actually? Uh, it'll be a good, good few years ago. I did see this at the cinema. I saw it at Whitgift. Um, so I saw it at Grimsby Screen Whitgift sort of when, it came, when it came out. And I remember at the time, you know, you're like, you're watching something and you want to like something and you convince yourself you do like it. And then you're like, yeah, not that great. No, 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 there's no, some good moments not. in it. I quite, I think, you know, I didn't, my, the moment where he's hanging onto the uh, cannonball and stuff and thing like that. And that, that's, that's Gilliam visual. Yeah. Sort and that's stuff. in, that's sort of in the first 10, 15 minutes as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the man in the moon, there's little moments, like you say, there's yeah. a really nice shot in it where they're on there in like a ship and the ship's actually, they end up landing the ship on the moon in some weird mm. way. And it's hard to explain, but there's a moment where it's going just silently through space and then it, drifts onto some sand and just stops in the sand and sort of crashes. It's, it's a genuinely nice moment because it's completely silent and the way it's done is really, yeah, it's, it's really nice. But then it just doesn't work, does it? Oliver Reed's in there. It's got Uma Thurman in it again. Yeah, and she Venus? Enough. She's Venus in it. Yeah, she appears in a giant clamshell. Yeah, Oliver Reed's Mars, isn't he? Uh, he is, I forget his name now. He's God of War, oh, essentially. Vul- yeah, Vulcan, isn't it? No, he's Vulcan, Vulcan. isn't he? Yeah, yeah, Vulcan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just the, the story's all over the place. There's this really weird bit where this de- devil creature keeps appearing and taking a glowing orb out of Baron Munchausen's mouth. It's it's really strange film. Really yeah. strange it is. It makes not yeah. make a lot of sense. And they've got Monty Python-esque characters in it. 
also, sorry, it's a bit of a blend of Time Bandits and Monty Python. None of the best bits of those films, and it doesn't really work. So it's just no. a, it's a bit of a mess, really. It's not yeah. as enjoyable as something like, I would say probably Time Bandits is a, not, if you're going to watch something of this ilk, Time Bandits is probably better than that. You've got 12 Monkeys, of course, and stuff like that later yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you didn't fancy that, The Adventure of Baron Munchausen, well, you could have gone seen Twins. You could have. You could have, and I did. To. I went. I did go see that as well at the cinema, because obviously I would go see anything with Arnie in back then, just whatever it was. It wasn't what I wanted from an Arnie film. No. I don't think it was for many people, was it? No. It does sort of, it does that weird thing as well, what a lot of these films does. It's like three quarters like light comedy, and then at the end there has to be some peril introduced, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that was the that was a very big trope of these, wasn't it? They did all yeah, of them did that. They need they need a bit of peril just introduced for you know the yeah. bad guy or something. The home alone type issue. Yeah. So they need something. And yeah. it was there's a couple of moments which are amusing. Danny DeVito's probably the best thing in it. Yeah. Um the yeah. whole Always story watchable. of, you know, Schwarzenegger being his twin and getting the good genes and the bad genes is well, let's not even discuss that, but hey ho. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. but the whole thing, him losing his virginity and stuff and having sex and it's all very <sighs> Okay, whatever. But yeah, it's at Schwarzenegger's and we'll probably come across Stallone's ill-judged comedy oh, yeah. uh, period. Yes, stop and my mum will shoot. Yeah, and think Oscar. Ooh. Things like that. And we've also got Junior and stuff like that. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you're, you're an action hero. Blow things up. That's what you're good at. <laughs> yeah, Stop not it. inflatable beds either or anything like that. No dirigibles. <laughs> yeah, true. A week later, 24th of March, you had Iron Eagle 2. Now, these are actually all on my rewatch list. I've, I haven't watched any of the Iron Eagle films. I think it's five Have you of never them, watched there. them? I've, I watched no, them back I in haven't. the day. They're on my watch. Yeah, well, I've watched Iron Eagle 1, but we're going back to, God knows, a million years ago now. And I haven't watched any of the sequels and I haven't watched this one. I mean, I, I'd intended to watch it for the podcast. I just never got to it. Yeah, I didn't get around to watching it either. So it, it, it's a bit of a, I remember it just being gung-ho America, lots of planes. Oh, totally, yeah. It's, it's up there with Invasion USA and stuff like that. Top, and... top Gun spin-off sort yeah, of stuff. Totally. You know, whatever with yeah. Louis Gossett Jr. in it as the flight yeah. commander. If I remember Chappie right. Sinclair. <laughs> That's his name. Is that his name? Yes, yeah, his name, Chappie Sinclair. He can't be named after a dog food. That's his name, Chappie Sinclair. <laughs> Oh no! Okay. okay. Is there even a hero called Chappie? Now there is. There is now. <laughs> uh, well, here you go. I mean, I, I, I just remember them being very big on video. They were proper like B tier like action films. If you couldn't get what you wanted for a Saturday night, then an Iron Eagle film would probably suffice. Oh yeah, up there with American Ninja, the Iron Eagle films and stuff <laughs> I like that. Up, I don't know. <laughs> American Ninja D tier, Z tier. Yeah, they're rubbish, but they're. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're all in the same, you know, they're up there with the Bloodsport and some of the other yeah, films like yeah, that. They're in that. They're in that section, Cyborg and yeah. you know, the straight-to-video actioner. Yeah, Red Dawn. Well, this one's cinema, obviously, but yeah, that kind of ilk. Yeah. If you didn't fancy that, you could have gone seen Sweetheart's Dance. Yeah, I wouldn't have, and I didn't. What, what was this? Who's in this? Don Johnson, Susan Sarandon, Jeff Daniels, Elizabeth Perkins. Big cast. Big cast, yeah, big. What's this about then? Long married high school sweethearts, Don Johnson, Susan Sarandon, get itchy when their friends experience new love. Itchy? Itchy. You're seven year itchy. I think it's that uh, point, like, they're, they're a bit jealous that they're, they're probably their friends have got that spark. Sounds boring. And with needless boob sequences in it, booby. It'd be very booby. <laughs> yeah, Don Johnson's. Hey. <laughs> Why? He's got, he's got a lovely chest. Manly. It is. Finally, 31st of March. Uh, actually, not finally. 31st of March, Tequila Sunrise. Yeah. That's is another Mel Gibson? Michelle Pfeiffer, isn't Who's it? Who's in this? Mel Gibson. Yeah, Mel Gibson, Michelle Pfeiffer, isn't it? And Kurt Russell. Dale McCusick. And Joanne Valaneri. 
That's yeah, Joe and two separate names. Raul Julia is in it as well as Commander Xavier Escalante. Aha! Of course he is. <laughs> yeah, I, I vaguely remember it because I always, for some reason, I always get tequila sunrise and cocktail mixed up and they're nothing like each other, but I'm just, I think it's because one's a cocktail, one's co- one is cocktail. True, true. I actually get this and uh, Air America mixed up. Yeah, yeah, totally the same sort of vibe, isn't it? Because around the same time, Mel Gibson doing this kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. thing. Very young Mel Gibson as well in that. Yeah, I mean, he's lethal weapon, Mel, isn't he? But without the mullet. Yeah, 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 his mullet's gone. I can't say I remember much about this. So I, I don't no. think it... Very 80s, big soundtrack, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Not not what, not what I was going to remember or go back to. Finally, uh, you could have gone seeing Nicky and Gino, or as it was also known, Dominic and Eugene. Yeah, a bit weird. That, um, what is this? You This is weird. What is it? It's a Tom Hills movie, and he's obviously on the back of Amadeus... So, you know, any find any old Tom Hulse movie because people liked him in Amadeus. So, you know, they stick a few of his other films out to cash in, which just sort of became a thing they did, didn't it? When they, when yeah, the film won many yeah. Oscars and loads of other little weird crappy ones came out. Like Teen Wolf. Yeah, exactly. So this one's got Tom Hulse in it, who played, obviously played Amadeus in Amadeus. In this, he plays, I think, twin brothers, but it's also got Ray Liotta and Jamie Lee Curtis in it. So I was like, God, what could, yeah. what could possibly go on in that film? It sounds, it's a combination of Goodfellas and Halloween. And Amadeus, that just those three things alone make it a Venn diagram I don't want to be involved with. Stab me, Amadeus, Amadeus, Amadeus. <laughs> or stab me, Amadeus. Every time I can remember, I've wanted to be Amadeus. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Ever since I, went, I wanted to be a composer. <laughs> it's got it's got Jobby Two composer in it. I'm going to go compose some music. Compose some music. <laughs> he always puts he always puts too many notes in. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Two when, notes. <laughs> when he can put one note, he puts two. <laughs> Go on, tell Johnny two notes. Take some notes out. It's too much for the ear. <laughs> yeah, that. So it's there. No, I, I never saw it anyway, but I know that's what it's about. It's got no. a crappy story about twins and stuff. Yeah, yeah whatever. Uh, that's it. Some interesting films there. I think. What would be my pick of that? Yours is probably Dangerous Liaisons, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think Dangerous Liaisons in I there. I think that's probably definitely. the pick of the month. Yeah. When I look yeah, at it, it's, good. it's a good so film. Rain Man's probably not world. bad. Yeah, <laughs> watch that because it's stupid. <laughs> for, don't watch it with any other reason for the fact that she she gets snake charmed into a dance by someone. Is he playing at bagpipes? <laughs> a bagpipe <laughs> the, playing the class, Scotsman. The classic, the classic snake charming <laughs> musical <laughs> yeah. instrument of choice, as you often see. She stops him <laughs> playing them because it freaks her out. I think it's is it bagpipes? I think it's bagpipes. I'm sure he's, <laughs> he's playing some kind of instrument, and she gets all weirdly snake dancey, and then goes, "Stop it! It freaks me out." It's really, it's a really funny sequence. But... It's really odd. Actually, well, you put probably Rain Man in there and Scandal is probably yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There we go. That's it. That's your films for March 1989. We still have five games to get through, so. We're going to take a quick break, Goodness. come back and get into them because that's what we do. And we're back. We're back from the cinema. We've still got five games to get through. Let's waste no time. Let's just get straight into them. And our first one is Super Sports. Super <laughs> Sports. Not Super Stuntman, but Super Sports. Another S game. Loads of S game. Um, <laughs> this was £9.99. It got 76%. Ooh. Well, welcome one and all to Super Sports. Another crack at the alternative multi-sport event game. Oh. Mm, this time, Gremlin. Oh. I've oh. given it a shot. <laughs> Coded by Mark Charles Rogers and Chris Kerry. Uh, they do things like Jack the Nipper, Avenger, and Mask 3, among okay. others. It's got graphics by Steve, just Steve, and music by Ben Daglish. It's a t- it's a typical, it's a gremlin joint, you know, with, with typical gremlin coders, artists, music. It's a gremlin joint, so you know what you do. 
yeah, you know, let's see where this goes. It features five events, those being Crackshot, Daredevil Diving, Slate Smash, Crossbow, and the Underwater Assault Course, uh, along with some troublesome elements that I'll just uh, flag up when they appear. Mm. So when the game first loads up, we are greeted by an enthusiastic presenter in the top left corner of the screen who will be with us through all the events, really, sort of uh, in this in this kind of uh, yeah presenting style. And it's, it's actually quite good. The presentation mm. to this game is actually very good. I will give it that. We start by choosing either keyboard or joystick, and then it says, press the big go button. <laughs> and it's literally it a big go button in the middle of the screen. You have to move your, your point is a hand and you move it over and you press it. And that's kind of cool. Next bit, maybe not so much because there we get the setup of the contestants and you can have up to four plays this game. You can enter their names and then you get to choose from five different very, very stereotypical contestants from sort of an American guy, a French guy, an Englishman and a German. And finally, there's a black man with some quite, well, let's just say some not so great stereotypical representation traits. All of them are problematic. If you look at this, go look at the screenshot, you'll see what we mean. I'm not going to say too much more about it, but they are. It's just there. It's in the game, and that's what they've done. We'll talk about it towards the end of it. There's yeah, also, yeah. as well, there's no female contestants to choose from either, um, which mm. is a bit of a shame. You could have, it is what it is. Maybe a good thing they didn't. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, once done, we get to choose whether to practice a single event or all five of them. So this sort of presentation screen is nicely presented. We've seen this kind of thing, similar sort of thing in one of those, the Summer Olympiad, I think it was, where they're on little yeah, sort of TV screens. screens. Yeah, yeah. So all the, all the, Sort of games are in little screens, and you can pick which ones you want, and you can, or you can just pick them all. There's a button that just says "Do them all," and that's cool. There's a nice, there's a decent enough little tune in the by Ben Daglish in the background. It's all pleasant at this point. Once you got past that character select screen, this bit's all nice. It's all good, and so fair enough. You can choose them all. So if you choose them all, it takes us to the first one, okay? And the first one, there's a multi, it's a multi-load game as well, but the multi-load here is not too onerous. The games load yeah, quite quickly. There's a lot of press space to say, yes, you want it, then press yeah, fire to load it. There's a lot of kind of button pressing of different buttons to sort of progress mm. the game onwards, which is, it gets a bit annoying, but it's not it's, no, it's not terrible, but it's just there. So the first one is crack shot. So here, your contestant is at the bottom of the screen facing down an alleyway. So you're looking down an alleyway and you've got like, uh, you've got a gun which fires six uh, six shots and there are like uh, so there are various tracks going from side to side uh, there are doorways there are windows um, and you've got six literally 60 se- seconds to shoot as many things as you can these range from cardboard figures of like hoodlums and sort of sort of you know old-timey sort of gangstery type things and the, interestingly you have to shoot them multiple times to kind of blow them up to sort of get yeah. them shot down sort of thing so it's not just one shot and you're done you've got to bah, 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 pop them with a lot of gunshots uh there are also flying cans that come flying in from side to side and just shoot you re- when you run out of six bullets it reloads you go it's just it's constant and so you just blasting the stuff appearing people appearing in windows sort of cut out figures appearing in windows popping up popping down sort of thing you just got to shoot as much as you can it's tricky because you aim with a crosshair it's always hard with a joystick but it's not terrible. It actually is quite fast. It's easy. Move, move across it, press fire yeah, to yeah. shoot. Following the rules. Yeah. And I got 22 for my go, for my first not pop. Not, not too bad. Next up was the daredevil diving. Here the screen is split down the middle. Um, on the right, we see your diver, a nice big well animated sprite of a diver mm. um and you control him you got to climb up a ladder this is it's okay this but it gets a bit onerous as, uh, with each passing toe especially when you want to jump from the highest one so you can climb up this ladder 
and choose the height of your dive. And you do this in 40 feet increments and you can go all the way up to 400 feet. Um, every time you get past one, you, the sort of presenter will say, oh, you're getting really high. Oh, you're feeling the wind up there and stuff mm. like that. It's getting really windy and the tower's windy and you know, all this sort of thing. So he's giving these kind of comments as you're getting higher and higher. On the left of the screen, uh, you've got these uh, panel of four judges, I think it is. Four, four judges, judges in right. the bottom left. And there's also a pool of water. And nicely, this is a really nice touch, this. So the pool of water starts off quite big, but as you get higher, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah, the little target window smaller, isn't it? Yeah, so you, you know, so your view of it is gets further and further away, and that's a really nice touch. Once you've decided where to die from, again, which is really easy, because you just push up and it'll automatically climb up to the next you know, next 40-foot break, you can just press left and he sort of walks onto the uh, the diving board. So it's really simple controls. You just simply press fire and he dives off. All, all good. No problem there. Then once you're falling downwards, you move the joystick around left, right, up, down, press fire. You can do move, various moves as you're falling. But what you've got to keep an eye on as you're doing these is the image of the water which you've got to land in. The pool of water, which you've got to land in on the left, gets slowly bigger again as you're getting nearer towards it. And you've got your shadow, which is kind of moving around. And it's sort of, the higher you've gone, the faster it's sort of moving about. And you've got to, as the water gets bigger, you've got to aim it for the water. If you don't, you'll you'll bounce off. So you've got to get, you've got to hit the water safely. Really nice control system because you're kind of keeping your eye on two things, doing moves, keeping your aim in. But it works really well because, um, you know, once you get down, because you're seeing all the sort of, as you're going past everywhere you climb, the big ladder you climbed up, because all that's animated on the right, you know when you're getting close to sand and then concentrate on getting into the water. If you miss, though, you can, you know, there's a couple of things you can do. You can splat into the edge. You can bounce off amusingly. There's some nice sort of humor in this section, which is quite good. If you land successfully, it sees the judges grade you on various elements and you get your final score. I got a 40. I don't know whether that's good or bad. Up next is the Slate Smash. Now, unfortunately, this starts with some really, really dodgy racist language from the presenter. I'm not going to repeat mm. it. It's set, in, it's set in China or Japan. Japan, but it's, yeah. it's set in Japan, and it's just oh, really, really, it's just yeah, yeah. wholly unnecessary. Because if you play it, you'll see it. And it's, it's just, Why? They're trying to be funny, but it's it's that Bernard Manning, Jim Davidson style of you know really low low humour. So yeah. I mean, it's just not not necessary. Really, isn't because this may be actually probably maybe even the best event, which is such a annoying. The game itself sees you in the middle of two sumo-looking fighters, and you're again all very nicely drawn. The graphics in this are really nice, and they basically hold up slates on either side of you at three heights: head height. Sort of stomach height and foot, you know, uh, uh, foot height, and you simply got to move the joystick either left or right, up or down in the top corners to smash the slates, and you have a minute to do so. The way that this controls, there's some nice controls to this as well because left will do a left punch, right will do a right punch. If you do the bottom corners, it will kick in those directions, but if you push up or down, it will punch in both directions. And sometimes both slates will be at the top, so you push up and you hit both ways, and the presenter will say, "Whoa, you did a nice double smash there, get bonus points." Mm. There's some, you know, and you can punch up bottom left and you sort of flinging your arms around it feels like um a kind of bonus stage in a in a fighting game like in an yeah. international karate plus or work way of exploding fist yeah but it's actually a really does. nice stage it's again really easy to pick up dead simple yep. you just move the joystick dead quick i got 67 on this okay but again a really enjoyable event just marred by that goddamn intro next we have the crossbow we're in England. So on the right of the screen, we're in Sherwood Forest, actually. On the right of the screen, we have a close-up of the crossbow. Uh, down the center, we have your player and the target off in the distance. Mm-hmm. Not really much off in the distance, but it's supposed to be quite a distance away, but this is the mm-hmm. perspective is a bit off. Uh, and on the bottom left, we have... Oh, 
another the target, which is a target you're kind of looking at, but the, the size of them is not quite right. And but yeah. anyway, you get it. So um, and there's a there's a you have a target which you control on that. You got sixty seconds to get off six shots. The way you do this is you. As soon as it starts, you waggle the joystick to pull the string back. Um, so this is the only one with some waggling in it. And you then hit fire to sort of lock the string in and to load a bolt. You then aim on the bottom left target and you press fire again. There's a sort of spinny uh, sort of wind uh, indicator as well. You've got to sort of take in sort of consideration when you're aiming. And off you fire, you get points and repeat. And you've got, like I said, 60 seconds to get as close to the middle as you can with six shots. Quite tricky, this one, to get all six shots off, I found. Um, mm. But I got 82 for this. Don't know whether that's good or bad. I just, that's what I got. Finally, we have the underwater obstacle course. I think this is probably the weakest of all the events. This is a side on view. And essentially, you have to guide a swimmer through a treacherous bit of sea where there are jellyfish and random jet ski riders are on the surface. You've got to go up for oxygen. You've got to go under rocks and under tires. Uh, there's tires you can swim through. There are doubloons you can pick up, which are really awkward. You have to press fire button to pick them up and quite, mm. quite uh, early to pick them up. I'm not quite sure why but like i said you've also got to keep an eye on your oxygen so you've got to get back to the surface every now and again to fill that back up make sure it doesn't run out um and that's it so it's just a it it felt to me like a substandard mario underwater level to, to some degree it's not the best i think this is probably maybe the weakest it goes on a little bit too long and i didn't particularly enjoy it so i thought some of the controls and the graphics got a bit glitchy on this one as well in places as well mm. so whatever i got 99 i don't know whether that's good it said it was terrible but there you go after that it's back to the title screen and that's it you get you know you get you get you divvied up your scores if you play multiplayer it tells you who won and all that sort of thing so overall this is not too bad for one of these i think this is probably one of the better ones we've actually seen the events are fairly quick they're easy to get into the controls really easy to pick up and pretty obvious i mean i didn't couldn't find the instructions and managed to work it all out fairly quickly on my first go at each one because they're really intuitive they're dead simple there are loads of nice graphical touches with each stage being a little chunky, medium res, but well realized with things like birds flying past on the slate smashing stage and so on. There's loads of little background incidental stuff. The diving's really nice and controls well and I like that. You know, it's good. The sounds are all good as well. The little tunes, the level of presentation with the ongoing presenter with just the right side of being annoying. And and yeah, this is a, a fun multi-sports game. Gets, it, gets the basics right. Does simple stuff. Only five events. Maybe could have done with maybe one or two more, but you know, is what it is. Because I'm not sure on the longevity of it, because the events are maybe a bit simple, but you know, you probably get better at them. As you know, if you play with four players, you'd probably have a bit of a laugh. It's finally a decent release from Gremlin after the horrors we've mm. seen recently. It's True. not up to the Epic's gold standards. I'd say it's better than their recent releases, though. And the range of events have said it's decent. And I think with four, you get a bit of a laugh. Multi-load is a bit much, but it's not too terrible. It's one of the better ones of this genre. You know, we looked at circus games recently. We've looked at Western games. I think we've looked at all kinds mm. of these alternative world games. And most of them have got it all wrong because they've tried to overreg the pudding. This one keeps it nice and simple. It's just a shame about those dubious elements, which are obviously, I'm calling them out. It's very much of the 80s if you can overlook those there is a decent multi-event game here to play it's up to you what did you think yeah i can't say much more than you've said really when i saw that it was another multi-event game from gremlin i shuddered mm. it's not terrible though this it's a bit over clicky like you said there's lots of press space by now click fire now this but it's directive you're directed to do it now press the fire you know so and that commentator is really what keeps this game together which is Something we'd never seen in other games of this type. It's quite new to do that. Yeah. To have a yeah. continuous commentator. I like that. I mm. didn't like horrible stereotypes at all. I don't like that. And I don't like the tonality that they take, make the game have. It's such a shame that that's in it. It's in it because it's of its time. Doesn't make it right though. No, um, it, it didn't make it right then. Commentator does work in it though. And, and that's kind of and the graphics and the actual games themselves hold it together. 
it follows the simple rule that we specified with all of our experience of playing these things. If you can't get into these micro, these event games within the first 10 seconds, then they're going to get switched off. This one, you're into them straight away. There's no issues controlling any of these. It's dead straightforward stuff. I thought the shooting was a bit random. No, it didn't really lack skill, but it was just blasting at stuff, and that was okay because that's what it is. And it's just a blast count. All right, when you're with your couple of mates, you might have a laugh with that. The diving was was really well animated and quite a laugh, actually. It's, it's always diving events that seem to really yeah. hold these games together. Yeah, but the diving event was really good, like you said, for all the reasons you said, um, and I thought it was quite funny as well. And the commentating was funny. It was just, it was good. When it gets to the slate smashing, what a missed opportunity because of that stupid language. It's literally one line, isn't it? As well, it's just one stupid line. It is, and you, you know, you can't, you don't think it's, you know, we've we've been asked questions about, you know, the way that we look at these things, and you know, should we be looking at them with a modern lens and and, and all of that? But you know what? It wasn't right to be in there, and that's and that's that's just what it, that's the way I feel about it. It mm. makes me feel uncomfortable looking at stuff like that, and it would have then. Strange enough, I, I wasn't. I, you know, I'm not a crazily moral person in any respect, and I'm not. You know, standing standing as a moral guardian or anything like that. I'm just calling something out for what it is, which is offensive, and it is. You can't put that stuff stuff in there, and I don't like to see it. So it didn't ruin the game, but at the same time, it, you don't need to put it in. You know, you no. didn't. It didn't need to do that. Crossbow waggling for me, that thought it was one of the weaker events, but only because I don't like waggling. That just says more about my laziness yeah. than anything else. But other than that, it's still good and it's not hard to do. And the final swimming level, well, it's just a bit weird that it's there. It's kind of scuba kids. It's kind of weird. It's just like yeah. it's like an almost like a separate game. It doesn't work as an event. It's like another game that sort of steps in for weird reasons. So it's the least enjoyable out of all of them. And it's quite difficult as well. But the graphics in this game are good. They are. The sounds for what there is in there, generally pretty good as well. And if you take that problematic content out, this is actually a pretty good game. It's a bit of a mixed bag with the events, but they've chosen good events. And I'll tell you what, all the horror of the language aside, that um, slate busting event and the diving actually work well. And the graphics are all pretty damn good in all of them. So some of them do work quite well. Like I said, I, I all of them, I think my favorite was probably the diving. But I guess in all in all, it's all okay. I just wish they hadn't chosen those weird offensive stereotypes images because it didn't need that. And I wish the commentator language didn't go all, you know, full-blown Benny Hill at that certain point that it did. But you know what? It's a good game in spite of that. So play it, but with one eye on the one eye on your offenseometer a little bit, thinking that these things in it aren't don't sit well in the modern world. But it is of it is what it is. Seventy-six percent. I may maybe looking about it, looking at it at the time, I'd have thought it would have been more in the eighties, but okay it is what it is there you mm. go there you go that's uh, super sports finally a game begin with s that was actually okay to play <laughs> if, it, if it had troubling elements elsewhere let's move along quickly we still got four games to get through and on to our next one and our next one well this is just a menace it's menace. <laughs> hey right 49 percent. so guess which avenue we're taking the trip down again yes good old Good old Average Avenue, yes. So uh, this is published by Cyclops, which sounds like a painful rectal condition that you need a proper ointment for. Yeah. Well, you need more than ointment. <laughs> You've got a full Cyclops going on. It's not very nice. Developer was Mr. Micro. This is coded by Greg Duddle. He did Carnov and Willow Pattern. Um, <sighs> and the graphics are by James McDermott. Music is, of course, uh, David 43 Second Whitaker. Uh, make it that what you will. So another day comes along, and it's another Amiga conversion. I remember this on the Amiga, and I remember it on the C64 too. So your mission orders are simple here. You must destroy the planet Draconia. In theory, it's possible. In practice, it's a little more difficult. This is the off there, wondrously written blurb. Uh, this was, by the way, this is a Cygnosis game, so it comes with fancy Cygnosis stuff, which means fancy box art, fancy Cygnosis colour schemes, lots yeah. of chromatic. It's like the Tony Scott of video games. <laughs> This with its weird filtery <laughs> colours. 
Um, the planet Draconia is an unnatural planet formed over many centuries by six of the most feared rulers that have ever existed. These rulers, exiled from their home galaxies, have ravaged and plundered space using the worlds they have destroyed and the life forms they have created to build this planet of fear and death. And that's not the kind of place you want to go. Now, an end must be put to their reign of terror. A large-scale attack will prove too costly to our space fleet. Budget's a real issue. Yeah. Um, Draconia has many orbiting defense systems. They cost maybe thousands of lives. A single fighter craft, undetected, approaching the planet, might have a chance. You will be that chance. You, Adrian. You personally. Me? You. Mm. Draconia consists of six zones, each controlled by its guardian. Destruction of a guardian will weaken Draconia's defense systems. Destruction of all six of the guardians will leave the planet totally vulnerable to our attack. Be warned. As you progress, so will the Guardians know of your aims. I think they mean knowledge there. They will counter your attack with more and more fearful weapons. All will have their weaknesses. Destroy or be destroyed. Now, this is my favorite part of this. To get onto the planet undetected, we have captured and harnessed a giant space slug from the Aldebaran galaxy. <laughs> I just, it, it's just, it seemed to me, Sledgehammer to crack a nut, really. If you're going to sneak somebody into a secret planet, don't use a giant space slug. People are going to ask questions about that. Questions like, what's that giant space slug doing there? <laughs> yeah. And why did you get it from a planet that sounds like a breakfast cereal? <laughs> Aldebaran. It's not, Aldebaran. It's, not, it's not Alderaan. It's Aldebaran. It's the Aldi version of Alderaan. <laughs> oh, no, please don't throw up my home planet of Aldi brand. Okay, we won't. Aldi brand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sparkly Wars. It's from budget Star Wars, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Aldebaran, okay. Star battles. Aldebaran, they're on Aldebaran. Are you sure you mean, you don't mean Alderaan? <laughs> no, I mean the middle aisle. I said it's a great tremor in the force. It's if a thousand packets of breakfast cereal have exploded. <laughs> of, cho <laughs> anyway. of Choco Crispies. Choco Crispies. <laughs> Uh, the creatures frequently roam, apparently, near Draconia. All the more reason to kidnap one and use it as your slave, then. You'll be placed inside the mouth of this creature in a standard short-range fighter. The slug will then be remotely guided to the planet, and at a convenient location, the mouth will be open to allow your escape to the planet. From here on in, it will be up to you. We hope the slug is not used for target practice by the Draconians, as it has been known to happen. Why put that in there? Who writes this shit? <laughs> Who writes this shit? Just so, say it. Ex exactly. Just say it, Duissimo. <laughs> to remain undetected for as long as possible, you will be attempting your mission in a standard short range fighter with one notable exception. One, you will have on board the latest matter converter weapons. They've nicked that straight from Battle Beyond the Stars. He's got a stellar converter in that. These weapons allow you to change the molecular structure of space debris by continually bombarding it with high energy shots. <sighs> By then, picking up the debris when it is in its usable form, you may build and replenish extra weapons. Your computer will generate images for you, showing you when to pick up the debris for specific weapons. Remember, the more draconians you destroy, the more debris and the more weapons. I, re I ca really can't stand when they try to explain a mechanic. You shoot yep. power-ups to change them. It's just something you do. I don't need an yep. explanation for it. It doesn't yep. need it. Don't do yeah. it. Well, you've just been spat out of a giant space worm's mouth. You know, I don't think that at this point I'm thinking this is stupid. Anyway, it just says it, it, the last sentence is, it only remains for me to wish you luck. We will be waiting. Uh, this is a side-scrolling shoot then where you must blast your way through six zones. Those six zones are the Sea of Karnow, Vanguard War Zone, Carnage Rift, Tropics of Murky, that's M-R-C-E to you and me, Ruins of Kruger, and the Plateaus of Draconia. All right. Yep. Somebody had a bit of the old uh, happy weed, didn't they, when they were making those <laughs> names up? Um, kill the end boss and then move on to the next level. That's 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 the aim of this game. So you go through those levels, six zones, shooting at things, and then you get to the end boss, shoot that, 
on to the next one you go. That's it. That's this game. It's shoot them up. Um, it, it, yeah. In okay. terms of graphics, this is borrowing heavily from R-Type. Uh, well, this is borrowing heavily from the R-Type Armalite camp. But clearly they've just hoidy mega version graphics across the C64 in all of our favorite resolutions, medium. <laughs> um, the music in this, while passable enough, does not suit this game. And it's indeed one of those brain-erasing Whitaker loops. Um, although I can still hear it haunting my dreams a little bit. Anyway, the controls here are also a bit off, with the scrolling just a beat behind smooth. And so it has this kind of weird bumpy quality to it. I don't like it. I don't like it. It doesn't smooth scroll. It makes me feel uneasy. The graphics are generally well-realized, I suppose, for this kind of thing. They're nothing special about Well, there's nothing special about them, I'll just say. There's nothing special about them. They're, they're, when I say well-realized, they're not like dots on the screen. There's a little bit of artistic merit to them, I guess. But, but I noticed some horrible blocks around them as well because they're yeah. clearly using some characters and stuff like that. So I'm like, that's the dreaded hint of character graphics. Why have you done that was my question. We mock medium res, but it's there for a reason. You don't need to start using weird character blocks and stuff. It's just a bit of a cheap trick. One of the things you'll notice there, and I wonder if this has been ported from the Atari ST more than the Amiga, is that it doesn't seem to have proper hardware scrolling and it doesn't seem to feature proper hardware sprites. And that's telling me that maybe this is a as, as some kind of derivative of a different code base. Maybe. <sighs> Anyway, but there's so little excitement in this game. It's quite remarkable. We've managed to erase excitement <laughs> yeah. from a shoot in every way that it could be done. That's exactly what I've thought. <laughs> it's, it's so rote by the numbers, boring. And after Armalite, which has kind of set the benchmark for this thing on the kind of 64, it's like, it's the most boring shoot up ever made. I mean, if you're not, it's not, it's nowhere near as good as Armalite. And it's not, it's not even a good budget game, this. It's neither of those things. It's just really, really boring and dreary. I found myself glazing over playing this. <laughs> it's just so mindless and dull with that dead brain short loopy music. No, 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 no. And then, I found myself like, uh, uh. And then I was ringing just, you going, you're late for the podcast. Three days have passed. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, after, just that goes on from, there's entire sections of this level with nothing happened. Just me moving around thinking, is anything, anyone there? Hello? Eventually you'll get to an end boss, and even that's really boring. The first one just shoots sperm at you. It's just crap. It's this crap thing appears going with its wiggly worm going and just starts shooting single sperm shots at me. I'm like, and you can just stay in the middle because half of them know where anyone is. And you're like, exactly. Is anything happening? And I'm thinking, I enjoyed 10 minutes of. Playing in an empty zone and getting slowly glazed over and bored to then be have someone throw spunk at me. I'm like, what? What are you? I mean, there's no need for that. It's a multi load as well. So by rights, this should be loads better than it is. What's in that load? Not a lot. I'm telling you now, and I, you know, and with him shooting lots of sperm at me, I don't want to know what's in his load. It's out of an eye as well, isn't it? It's a D make, isn't it? It's out of an eye. It's a D make with issues. Does the slug release of your ship need to be a totally separate load? We may never know. Because it is. Do the graphics need to look bitty and stuttery? And does it shouldn't it really be scrolling smoothly? Have you played Armalite? For goodness sake, have you seen Delta? Have you seen any one of those shooters that's better than this? Have you not looked? Have you did you I mean they've just got the Amiga one and gone, right. I think what they did is they 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 loaded it upon an Amiga and then put it next to a Commodore 64 and just waited until it osmosized into the 64 <laughs> somehow. Like, and actually this is just you know, the the C64 just gradually learned to tolerate that incessant. Oh. <laughs> 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 Look, if I produce awful. this, will you t- go away? Yeah. Uh, so 
you know, all of those are questions that need answering. Does it need to be, you know, stuttery? No. Does this need more enemies and, and more in it? Yeah, it's well empty. It's like the emptiest shooter ever. I was just, it's just really, it was just me in a spaceship just gliding through some green. Like, oh, that's nice green, but, but it wasn't. Is there anything to do here? I'm, I'm menaced by bubbles. Are they, what, they don't do anything. I can shoot them really easily. Nothing really appears. It's not like our type where you're continuously annoyed by things that sort of r- walk across the screen and shoot really and target you very specifically. It's not like that. Nothing, nothing's really bothering anybody in this. It's like, I mean, I know you're not supposed to be there because you're meant to have sneaked in on the giant slug thing, but no one gives a shit about you being there or not anyway. You say, like, oh, well, you're not a menace. You're just in the way. You're boring. Like, so, oh, there's a spaceship there. It came out of a space slug's mouth. Ah, there's no time. I'm so, so tired. This has got to listen to this music. It's really cool. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's £10, this. Go and buy Armalite. <laughs> That's my advice. <laughs> Play that. What did you think? Oh, God, this game. <laughs> <laughs> I've just read Armalite exists. Catechist, Salamander, R-Type, Nemesis, even Slayer. Even the other one we played, the other weird one, which was kind of like this, which I think might have been based on this, where you shot the weird ones and got the different letters for power-ups. Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah, went on forever as well, but I can't remember what yeah, it was. It but but it it was better, all these exist. All of them exist. So what is this? What? Black backgrounds that have black squares around them? No, 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 no. Slow and turgid enemies, really slow shooting, bullets that don't go all the way across the screen. <laughs> don't do they? Oh, no, dear. they stop oh, about two thirds away the cross. Like, I'm, I'm bored. I think even the bullets are bored by this. They just stop. <laughs> I'm bored. I'm not going. They really are. Oh, I'm dead. I'm exploding. Ugly colours. I don't green want it. and horrible. <laughs> you can tell they just you know tried to do it as the Amiga version, but it's oh, naff bosses. That boss is crap. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's just there in the screen. Every now and again, one of the sperms will like come at me at you, and you have to go whoop, just loop around it, and then start shooting again. You know, yeah. no flashing. No, I was sat there. It's just gonna die, and then suddenly it just went, and then it died in blocks. It does yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then I was onto the next level. And there was these big monkey things. What was go- oh. <laughs> oh, those those uh, space space lobsters or whatever they are. God, just garbage. This is one of the most dispiriting schmups. It's been my misfortune to play. It's so dull and it goes is. on forever, and it's just the same few waves, uh, waves over and over and over and over again. The Amiga one was exactly the same. Shoot up should get the adrenaline going. It should make you back. But yeah, like you, I actually found myself nodding off playing this. <laughs> I was like, dude, I was like, oh, I'll have, I'll have an afternoon nap. And I did, and I came back. I was still alive and still going through, and that music was still playing. I was like, oh, God's sake. Yeah, it's it so is like cool. getting high, it's like getting highway hypnosis, they call it. Anyway, when you're driving on a motorway, yeah. you start to feel yourself, you start to feel you think, I better go open the window and go and park for an hour. Yes. That this the game does that to you like oh god I feel yeah. hot why do I feel hot do you feel hot <laughs> yeah and it's ugly it's dull and ugly and the is. tune is so unsuited to the game there's no menace here there's annoyance there's horror there's hatred yeah. there's no menace just yeah. god, boring forty nine percent they gave it forty nine percent because it's in the middle because yeah, they can't again, they can't figure one. out either way they're like did we play yeah. that. I don't know, did we? Have we played Menace? Someone's written a review here of Menace. We must have played it. Can anyone remember it? Just give it 49%. Well, you've, seen that movie, you've seen that movie Get Out, haven't you? Where yeah, she yeah. comes in with that cup of tea and she spurts, stares it around. And that's <laughs> yeah. it. That's, that's, this is that game. It, hypno- it hypnotises you. And- yeah, I was falling into the chair. I was like... <laughs> uh, uh, it's this green thing at the top. Uh. Yeah, you're going to get coagulated or whatever it is. Oh, God's sake. <sighs> yeah, no. <laughs> Dreadful. Dreadful. Avoid. Yeah, Go indeed. Buy Armalite. If you can hear me back in time. Buy Armalite. Armalite. <laughs> indeed. Here we go. Let's move on to our next one. 
And the next one is Operation Hormuz. Or Hormuz, sorry. Now, the first thing I want to say about this is, this was made by Again Again, which annoyed me. Because <laughs> it's... Don't call you... You've used the word Again Again. Yeah. Which I get what you're trying to do, but it's just lazy. You know I don't like them. Talk, talk, the, the... No. Again Again is not going to be put you on my... Again, again, stupid. It comes, but this is Operation Hormuz. It was also known as Harrier Seven. I wonder for, why. But for reasons, yeah. This is a weird. <laughs> it's a weird one. This one. It's really odd. Yeah. The copyright for this is Tiger Developments. It was developed by Enigma Variations, which must be the name of one of their albums, or at least in an album by Jean Michel Jarre. <laughs> it must be Enigma Variations. Has to be. <laughs> the story, though. Is as follows, and I'm going to read this from the game sleeve. So, Operation Hormuz, the mission, at last, dot, 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 and in, spe- and in speech marks, it has happened, dot, dot, dot. Who said that? I don't know who said that. <laughs> as a result of a sneak attack, aliens have taken the Straits of Hormuz and have captured the essential military bases and naval shipping with the full intention of crippling the world's oil supplies. Mm-hmm. In the face of this alien aggression, the ability of the United States Naval Air Force is in question. Is it? Is it? Have Harrier jump jets in the US. <laughs> you must now take part in Operation Hormuz to show the strength and determination of the US carrier forces to respond to land-launched rocket attacks that are now wiping out international shipping. What? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. That's what it says. Random. I, d- I don't know. Then it says again, again, and the again, again logo. I tried my trademarks of Tiger Developments. Random. Oh, good Lord. Aliens, US military. Your enemies are MIGs. <laughs> yeah. This, where's the aliens? Did you see any aliens in this game? Uh, No, I did not. No, neither did I. None of this makes sense at all. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> From the title screen, which immediately made me think, this is a Spectrum or Amstrad conversion. Yes. It's got a strange combo of red and green camo stylings. Yes, I or, thought that. Or was it yellow and red? Uh, yellow and red. It's, it's all very odd. It looks ugly, horrible. It was definitely born on another crappy system. Yeah, so you can... So, of course, yeah, you can press any key to start the game except O, which gives you the option to play with standard keys, redefine them, or set the game speed from one fastest to four the slowest, which is odd. Mm. And whilst you're also doing all this, there's a really twee bit of music playing that grates very quickly. The music's all over the place in this. Really unsuited. Really weird. Weird music sort of thing. There's one bit which got really weird filtering on it as well, which sounds almost Galway-ish. Just odd. Anyway, if we get into the game, what we have here is something that greatly resembles the awesome Luftrausers that Vlambeer would release way down the line. I've mentioned Luftrausers before. And this mm. bears a lot of similarities to Luftrausers, except not. You fly a Harrier jump jet, and your job is to take down the oil fields, I think. Don't know what your job was in this game. The game starts with you on a carrier, sort of facing into the screen, and pushing up, launches you into the air, turns you in thing, and starts you flying to the right for reasons. Your sprite is quite big. The Harrier is, is pretty big, but and that's because everything is zoomed in a little too much. There's very little play area to yeah. sort of see. You can press the keys one to four to enable different weapons from standard rockets, bombs, air-to-air missiles, and air-to-ship missiles. You can also press five to bring up a map, which shows the missile sites and oil field on the map. I'll come to the problem with the map in a moment. You can press F to fire a flare and Q to quit. You also control the plane with the joystick. Okay, if fire shoots, whatever you've got armed, armed, so drops a bomb, fires an air-to-air missile, air-to-ship, or just shoots rockets out. Up and down, moves you up and down through a very convoluted rolling manoeuvre. Hmm. I couldn't quite figure it out. And left and right sort of turns you like a full 360 degrees. So it's sort of like Luftrausers. You kind of left sort of spins you completely round and yeah, right. Yeah. It's weird. It's a weird control system, this. 
because you can fly back the way you came, because this is, like I said, it's a 2D scrolling shooter. You fly along, you can go up into the clouds, you can go down right onto the sort of uh, sea ocean bed. The UI at the bottom just shows you stuff. I've not written much about the UI because this is, it's just, there's this score and there's the number of bombs and stuff you've got and your fuel and your energy and, and your damage and stuff at the bottom in the UI. Um, and and the, I've got, there's so, I've got little, so little to say about this because it's a 2D scrolling shooter left to right, okay? And therein lies the issue. You just fly endless to, endlessly to the right and nothing much seems to happen no. every now and then you'll get a warning that a mig is inbound and you can fire an air-to-air missile and you destroy it or you can fire off a flare if you fly low enough you if you start off you fly over some oil rigs in the sea and stuff like that then you'll fly over some land then back over the sea then back over some land there looks like some settlements and stuff that i think you can bomb you you can drop bombs i've no idea what you were blowing up or where you are, because the map on the status screen just is 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 like it's the so it's this straight up muzzle or whatever, which is you know the Persian Gulf. So it's a round bit of uh, ocean. You're playing a left to right scrolling shooter, and at no point on that map does it show where you are. No. So you have no indication of you just got these elements on the map, which it says oh uh, sites there's some sites there, but it doesn't tell you anything about what they are or where you no, are in relation to any of them, and it's in three D. And you're playing a left to right scrolling shooter, and the one yeah. you, the one, and the number one, and one of them's labeled number one, is on the right. All the left is to the left, but you're going left to right. Mm. No one thought of this. <laughs> no one thought this through. Oh, God's sake! I'm not sure what they were doing with this game. Um, the story is odd. I mean, the, the the scrolling is not too bad. The responsiveness of the plane is pretty good. The controls are okay. It's just that it's all wasted on a pointless left to right scroller where very little happens. They should have just made this a shooter. So zoomed out a little bit, made the sprite a little bit better. A Harrier jump jet shooter, stuff coming at you, blow stuff up, whatever. The politics is all a bit weird and a bit dubious. It's of the time, but hey, they're just throwing in aliens. I don't know why the American military are there. I don't know. And I think they might have wanted to do some kind of strategic blaster, but the strategy is nowhere to be seen. It kind of lost somewhere in the mix, and what was left is the boring shooting part. I don't, I didn't get this game at all. This was really weird. One of the weirdest games I've played. It's a 10 quid as well. It got 38%, probably about right. It's a misfire on all things, and, and it's not really very good. It's just really odd and weird, and I, I, it, you don't do anything in it, and then you die, no. and then you go back to that annoying title screen. That all I can say about it, really. What did you think? <laughs> what is this? What on earth is this? Where did it come from? What planet did it disappear from? Exactly. A weirdly controlled Harrier jump jet based shoot 'em up, kind of like a har- Harrier attack variant, but no, nowhere near as good. Um, so yeah, she's just bad, isn't it? Um, and I didn't enjoy it. it, it so oddly animated, well animated in a kind of weird way, main sprite, I guess. But it's borderline crazy in every other way. Yes. I mean, I ended up shooting upwards and downwards at one point, just smashing into the ground because it just seemed to fly out of control. It felt more like a wasp simulation, like I was just controlling a wasp. Yeah. Who on earth want, wants anything like this? And who asks for a shoot like this? And who wants to play? Nobody would want to play this. It's, it's very bad, badly realized. More embiggened borders, I noticed. So it plays on a tiny square in the middle. So you've got embiggened borders on the C64, <laughs> which is something that I hate. You could take this game and it's $9.99 price tag and just flush it down the retro toilet for me. I didn't think it was very good at all. Utter waste of money it would have been at the time. And just what on earth is this? All about? It, felt, it looked and felt and played unfinished to me. I, don't, I can't see this being realistically a, a polished and finished production. It doesn't have any of those things that you can apply to it. It felt unfinished. The only thing that was partially finished was the animation of a sprite. Yeah. The rest of it seemed like a complete afterthought. 
I was shooting at stuff and stuff was blown up. I have no idea what purpose that served. Nope, Even nope. now I'm like, I'm not sure what I did. I'm not sure what it was for. Why is it in the Straits of Hormuz? Why is that Why is that a thing? Why am I being attacked by aliens? Why do they not look like aliens then? Why are aliens trying to take out the oil? What's going on? Why? It's just simply wise. Just why am <laughs> I even why? thinking about it? <laughs> yeah, don't. Just, best not just, to. Just, it reached a point when I'd, I'd applied, you know, the five whys, that famous sort of um, yeah. <laughs> methodology in there. And by the time I got to my 15th, I'm like, no more now. That's it. You're done. <laughs> so I switched it off and went to flush it down the retro toilet. It's not a game I would recommend anyone tries. It's dog egg. So avoid. Yeah, it really is. Um, there we go. Operational moves. What a weird, weird, weird thing. Uh, let's move along. We've still got two games to get through this month. Graham, you have the decided pleasure of driving at the Vec Le Mans, or whatever it means. Vec Le Mans. Vec Le Mans, yeah. 9.95 this, 40%. All right. Publisher was Imagine. Imagine that. Copyright Imagine. Konami. Coded by Richard Palmer. Graphics by John Palmer. The Palmers. Title screen was by John Palmer. Musician Jonathan Dunn. This is based on an arcade, obviously, from mm. um, Konami. The arcade, by the way, had two 68,000 CPUs at running at 10 megahertz, a Z80 CPU running at 3 megahertz, and the two Yamaha YM2151 sound chips, as well as a Konami K007232. Quite the powerhouse. It also had an yeah. up-down, up-down, an upright and a sit-down variation. It could have been an up-down variation if you wanted that. Um, and apparently, according to the blurb, the game attempted to realistically simulate car driving with the car jumping up and down, turning back and forth, and spinning up to 180 degrees with an emphasis on acceleration, braking, and gear shifting, along with the need for counter steering to avoid spin-outs. It also featured accurately simulated courses approved by the Automobile Club de l'Est and used force feedback to simulate road vibration in the form of a vibrating steering wheel that reacts to the driver's acceleration and off-road bumps. So this was the that was wow. the arcade. Uh, and the arcade, I remember it, it was like a big round thing that you sat in it, it kind of span around and it was kind of wild. Mm. We've, we sort of mentioned a few of these hydraulic-based arcades, you know, the Afterburners and Thunderblades and things like that. They were coming a bit on Vogue. Power Drift was another one. They were becoming quite on Vogue to have these big articulated hydraulic cabinets. So in, you know, one of our patrons rightly pointed out that it, those things are more of a ride than an arcade game. Yeah. At a certain point. They cost more as well. So this would have been another pound to go. And I could tell you, you know, I wasn't a rich kid as a, in my youth. I didn't have pounds to throw into these sort of things. So they never, I never played them, which means they never really drifted across my transom, which means they never really lit my fire in terms of, wow, I must play this in a crappy 8-bit version. Those things didn't occur to me. So no. when I first loaded this up, my, and prior to this, my thought was, imagine of all the people to do this, what the hell were you thinking of with this? What the hell were you thinking of? I mean, things start okay-ish. Simple title screen, quite nice music. Jonathan Dunn, you know, okay, fair play. Mm. Things seem okay. Then you'll press the fire button and the pain will begin. What befouls your eyes is a split screen in two with a game window square on the left that takes up about three quarters of the screen and the final quarter with the usual top score, score time remaining lap count and your speed in MPH, that kind of thing. The graphics for the race have a sky with okay looking clouds. Okay? <laughs> but then that's really <laughs> below that crap hills on the horizon and then the dual grey raster stripe effect for move, movement and horrible black and white road edge markers that look bitty and twisted and unpleasant. At the bottom of this horror is your car. I don't know. I, th I don't know. I suppose it's meant to be a Le Mans race car. It looked to me like a large-shouldered man or a Sontaran from Doctor Who sat in an Asda trolley, shopping trolley. 
on the back. No animation on the wheels, though. So you're floating through, moving the joystick left and right. Does show you the front of your car slightly as you tilt in an angle that's incorrect, this kind of vehicle, which means that your car must be really compact, about the size of a shoe, I would say. Anyway, pushing on the joystick speeds things up, but it speeds things up really slowly. And then you press the fire button to change gear. Not that that's indicated anywhere. You just go by the shrill piercing tone. I pressed it because I didn't want to hear that anymore. I thought that maybe that would make it stop. <laughs> the road by now is a sea of badly cycled, bad raster lines, fidgeting and twitching towards you and downwards to give you that real sense of speed and an overwhelming headache from which you will take days to recover from. And then the cars, well, I'll say the cars, they look kind of like chewed quality streaks from a distance, <laughs> and sort of appeared and will aim for you repeatedly, which is exactly what they don't do in any kind of race that I know of. Along with that, you'll periodically be menaced by lampposts, purple lampposts, in fact, on either side of the road, which look to me like giant toothbrushes. Um, and you're, they'll flick past along with the bad raster cycles as it gains speed in a way that can only be the kind of thing your eyes will never thank you for. Um, I found myself blinking a lot after playing this and i didn't seem to have any control over it and that was unpleasant for me and for everybody i've just <laughs> turned into mr blinky for a while if you hit a car you'll flip over and spin around in a weird animation that suddenly makes your car seem tiny and small and it's all wrong, kinds of wrong and then you'll float <laughs> back on from the left which is really weird and then you've got to speed up again even though it's a slow speed up and it's the same if you hit scenery sometimes you'll get knocked all over the place or it'll spin you round and round either way this slow process of sort of disappearing and then slowly reappearing and then slowly speeding up. All of that costs you time, which is, of course, the main game of this. The idea is you've got to get around the track and you've got a certain amount of time to do it. And the classic tradition of these things is distance versus time. You've got to get a certain distance in a certain time. If you don't, then you're not going to make it. Simple as that. You've got to qualify before you hit... As, qualify by hitting the the time gateways and then you get extra time added in the classic tradition of these kind of arcade games in that kind of way so like i said if you hit some of the things you'll spin around or you'll flip over that weird animation will happen as you're sort of you know speeding up the raster effect is going to annoy you more and more and more you're going to spend more and more and more time losing time the road does kind of bend you know there is there is all the scenery by the way the lamppost there's trees as well and chevrons and some of the bends which well, the, are horrible the, tree, the trees which appear in the middle of the road when they first yeah, start appearing they, in yeah. the middle of, they look a bit like toilet brushes um and then there's the giant chevrons yeah. um it's it's the road does sort of bend and there are hills sort of i mean it's at least an attempt at creating that effect it doesn't work though at all just more fidgeting and twitching as you go past some badly drawn trees the road bends and fidgets and shuffles up and down and the the hills go up and down sort of for maybe by a character height or two, but nothing more than that. And it doesn't make, doesn't feel like you're going up a hill. It just feels like your eyes are really such a struggle with the load that's being placed upon them. Um, and then you'll be sort of, there's just more fidgeting and twitching. It doesn't really work. You'll go past some badly drawn trees. You'll try and avoid cars with a meow sound, or they'll come past you for reasons. They don't put any warning chevrons on the sharpest bends, I noticed, which is really weird. That's the one thing that you need to do on sharp bends is put those warning chevrons on. You need that. That's an indication that there's a sharp bend coming, which you don't really get in this. So by the time you react, which the game doesn't do, you'll fly to the left and then you'll go, bleep, 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 and then you'll be stuck on the left. You can't get out of that. The only way to do that is to slow down, which costs you time again. Stupid, 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 that is. So if the aim of this game is to go around all the checkpoints before your time runs out in the classic tradition of this kind of thing, you won't want to. You won't want to do that because by now your eyes will be hurting, your brain will be aching, your ears will be splitting. You won't want to continue with that. And it's all single player too. So it's all one player, this. When you fail, and you will fail, you'll get a map screen that will show you a sort of track of how far you got, which is a very nice kind of, look what you could have won kind of vibe. Yeah, this yeah. isn't featured in the game. In, um, why this feature, the map feature, isn't featured anywhere in the game. There's no map to follow in this. So you've got no idea what, what route you're on, no. which is a core error in a racing game. 
because you absolutely need to have that. Even in any racing game, even the crappy, crappy ones we've seen, you've always had a, a rudimentary map to follow, generally speaking, or at least sight line of sight of one. Um, but this isn't featured in this game anyway, apart from after you've crashed and after you crashed out. So after you fail, then you see the map. Stupid, that is. So the issues then here are just, you know, I don't have to, I didn't have to work hard to find issues with this game. It was throwing them at me in a way now. I was, I was trying hard, find a way to play this and it is fighting you all the way to make that enjoyable way of doing that completely impossible every turn. The arcade was a ride. So this version doesn't carry any of the arcade weight or magic. So what you end up with is a really crap version of pole position. And that's not saying much because pole position on the C64, well, that was, eight, was old but it wasn't that great. This is utterly, utterly rubbish. This game is not just bettered by Pit Stop 2, which is way older than this and, and, and kind of more of a classic, and it had two-player. This is not in the same league as Pit Stop 2. Pit Stop 2 is a better game than this, and that's that's crazy because this is meant to be like an all-singing, all-dancing arcade. There is nothing you can compare the two. If I'm going to play a racing game, I'm going to play Pit Stop 2. I wouldn't go near this. The graphics here are not very well drawn. It's an attempt to create an arcade experience, I guess, but it fails so badly because of that twitchy, horrible raster effect where they've got bad lines all over the place it's just a bad game badly made rubbishly designed poorly constructed badly programmed everything about this is crap the only good thing is the title screen music from jonathan dunn and the mu- any any of the music that's in it because that's the only good thing in this the sound of the, the music everything else it doesn't suit the game i have to say at all but it's the best thing about it everything else is utterly utterly reprehensible crap Terrible, this. Really, really bad. One of the worst arcade conversions. It's not the worst arcade conversions. Certainly in the league of the Karnovs and the and the and all the other crap we're putting. This is absolutely shocking. I mean, people would have been you know, into this license. People were into that kind of thing. Luckily, I wasn't. I've saved myself a tenner. Ten pounds for this. Are you having a laugh? Pit Stop 2 is probably out on budget by now. Probably one or two ninety nine. Go and get that. Go back in time. Erase <laughs> this game and get that. It's utterly, utterly awful. What an arcade dud terrible imagine no thanks i'd rather not what about you yeah god <laughs> i remember when i i'd never seen this before so when i put it up i just messaged you i was like what the hell what is this i, I when i loaded the game and had the title screen and then the message fred's race i was like okay okay i was ill prepared as to what was to come next <laughs> is this the worst racer on the c64 now remember we've got enduro racer which was was one of our you know which was our crap cave winner i think or one of our worst games of 1987 whenever it was but i think you know this has taken the biscuit i think this might have done. we've also got talladega there's you know, there's been terrible racing games this very well might be the worst racing game i've ever played on the c64 one of the worst if not the worst Worst 3D track I have ever witnessed. It's wobbly, oh, it's weaves all over the place, and the stripes coming towards you, and the trees and vehicles seem to exist in worlds that have no connection to each other. <laughs> there are three things happening in completely different. There's, there's no connection. There's no sense of like one is part of the other. You got, you got that right. Back back in episode zero. Remember back to episode zero. We played pole position. That's better than this. You know the conversion yes, of pole is. position. It was. It was. We said it. It was okay. It's way better than this. And this isn't sort of an excuse going, well, you know, it's Vecklemans are trying to sort of cram all this. No, 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 no. This is bad for a racing game on the CC. This is nothing. We had Boogie Boy not so long back. And whilst we weren't over the hills, over the moon with it, it, God damn. There's just, the handling is so bad. If you're not screeching from one side to the other and it moaning at you, there's no, there isn't even, there's not even an indicator on screen to tell you what gear you're in. There's nothing in the UI. So you go up to a point and your speed stops going up. So you're thinking, 
is there a high or low gear? She press fire. Oh, there's a high gear. There's nothing on there to tell you. Like you said, it's like they forgot. They forgot to put the map in at the beginning. You're going around this track. Am I? Okay. I don't know. I know at the end. Do I see this? Awful. Take it away. Now, I don't normally do, um, and we don't normally sort of talk about the the reviews in Zap, but this got 40%. Did. And there is, uh, there is no way in hell this gets 40% if this was not a cover game three, four months back where they had the, where the this was a cover. So I, I can honestly only think because Gordon Houghton's like, you know, comments on this are just like, it's just it, awful. It's just terrible. So, uh, Kate is a, you know, she's a bit more thing, but even her, t- well, her, her comments thing, but her drawing's not so great. Not as, not as unhappy, but this is, you know, and then they say 30% for graphics, 52 sound, 50% for hookability. No. What? You'd like, no, no, no. Does, you turn this on and you turn it off. There's no hookability here. No, there is not. Um, and overall it gets 40. It, uh, it, the only, you, there's no, it's like, to give this 40% is to give this 40% to which, now we say it deserves zero and stuff like that, but this is one of the worst things I've seen on the machine in, in every respect. When we've seen, we've got, don't forget, we've got power drift coming up. Power drift's pretty decent, and it's probably similar kind of power spec in the in the arcades. We've had things like you know Afterburner. Afterburner was better than this, yeah, because at least Afterburner did vaguely resemble the arcade game in some way. This is awful. This was this is an absolute travesty. It ain't good. God's sake, forty percent. No, 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 no. I feel I feel like thirty five years of anger just suddenly appeared. Well, it's a real letdown, isn't it? Just to say the least, and I'm just I'm fed up of them now. I'm fed up of these arcade conversions that are just you know just don't do them. Now, if you, if you're gonna do them, crap. You know, at least you know we've said with Thunderblade and with um, like and and Afterburn, at least they tried and they gave it a shot. And it, they, you know, they knew there was limitations. And we knew it wasn't going to be great. And I, but a racing game, we've seen racing games that are better than this on the C64. So we know that they can be done. Yeah, Bucky, even Bucky, if you do Bucky them in an early Yeah, and we see power, yeah, Bucky Boy. And we see Thingy coming up. Like I said, Power Drift's coming up. Yeah. So this is just not good, is it? Even like the NAF ones, even something like Electroglide, which was a bit empty and stuff, had a really good track and stuff. We, we know the C64 can do good track. Supercycle, you know, Pit Stop yep. 2. Just that track. Oh, maybe you want to play Knight Rider. Yes, I agree. Oof, awful. Right, let's let's leave Reclamons in our dust and move on to the last one. We've still got a game to go. Oh, it made me angry that day. <laughs> there we go. Let's move on. Because finally, to round out the month of March 1989, we have R-Type. It's R-Type. It's your type. No, it's R-Type. It's R-Type. R-Type. Finally, (laughs) it arrives. R-Type. Well, the official version of R-Type anyway. Um, So, yeah, okay. So the official conversion by Electric Dreams, courtesy of Rainbow Arts, produced by Jonathan Dean, coded by Manfred Trends, with graphics by Andreas Escher, title screen by Mark Jones, and music by Chris Hulsbeck and Ramiro Vaca. All this sounds familiar. Probably should do. Um, uh, but anyway, um, I'm just going to borrow some stuff from the wiki for those who don't know about what R-Type is, but R-Type is a horizontally scrolling shooter arcade video game developed and released originally by IREM in, uh, in 1987 and the first game in the R-Type series and was the first game to run on IREM's 16-bit M72 arcade system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The player controls a starship, the R9 Arrowhead, in its efforts to destroy the Baido, a powerful alien race bent on wiping out all of mankind. In Japan, Game Machine listed R-Type on their August 1st, 1987 issue as being the most successful table arcade cabinet of the month. 
<laughs> Yay. Yay. It went on to be Japan's highest grossing table arcade game of 1987. So it made that's from and that's only from August. So it only had five five months. So anyway. Uh, yes, it's a massive game, big game um, in the shoot 'em up type. It's gone on to spawn a legion of sequels across loads of formats, and I think they're probably still in, still being made today. In fact, I'm sure that somewhere in the world, right at this moment, right now, someone is working on an R-type game. They just keep making them, so it's probably another one being made right now. Mm. Um, so anyway, R-type. It's a left-to-right scoring shooter. Uh, if you roll back a few months, perhaps go and listen to episode 102 of this very podcast. You'll hear us talk about the game Catechist. Why is that relevant? You probably all know, but I'm not sure if we mentioned this in the Catechist stuff. I'm sure we did, but you know, this is not the first version of our type that was in production. So there's loads of stuff behind this. It's a shooter, you know, I'll go into it a bit, but there's a bit. So behind the scenes, Catechist came out. Um, and originally this was being ported by Catalyst Studios, our type, um, with a guy called David Joliffe and James Smart working on it. And they were having lots of technical problems, technical troubles with the multiplexer and the scrolling and all kinds of stuff. You know, it won't go in right and Activision and they weren't happy. Um, and then Catechist appeared and Activision went, you can't do that. That's too much like our type. So they kind of took it, had it taken off. I think they had it taken off the shelves and stuff. We talked about this back then. Um, but what Activision then went and did while still leaving Catalyst to work on the game, they went and hired Manfred Trends and, and Escher and, and, and they gave them seven weeks to make this port of R-Type, mm. which they eventually became the one that was actually released. So the original version, the Catalyst Studios version, was kiboshed and, yeah. There's a whole section on this in the Excellent Games That Weren't website. Uh, we can, we'll add a link to it. Just go and have a read if you've not already because it's quite an interesting read. There's loads of documents there and there's loads of stuff there for you to read around this. It is what it is. You know, Catechist taken off. They gave it to the, the makers of that and said, go make it behind the scenes. Dubious, dubious practices. But it does lead to say, you know, this was made in seven weeks from that version of Catechist, which leads to a lot of, you know, some of the issues with the game. So anyway, um, anyway, this is the version of our type we got, um, you know, and in many ways, and to be expected, it shares a lot of DNA with Catechist. And that's no bad thing, I guess. Catechist was a good shooter. And this is a, a pretty solid port, I guess, of the arcade original, even if this original release did have, uh, you know, even if this did have an awful multi-load, which was quite long, uh, and it was prone to a few bugs throughout with enemies glitching and disappearing and things like that. Uh, but it is what it is. I think seven weeks. you got to give them some credit. I mean, obviously, they had a lot of these bits and bobs in for Catkiss, but, you know, it took seven weeks and they remade it. The game itself is a left-to-right shooter, the topmost part of the screen. You know, it's typical left-to-right shooting. There's, there's a background of stars. That changes and fades out. Some really nice graphical effects. Waves of aliens come along. You shoot them. The thing with Catechus is that there are power-ups you can bit. You also have a beam that you can charge up. Sorry, with R-Type, there's a beam that you can charge up. You hold down the fire button, and you sort of release a bigger sort of uh, a beam weapon, which can go through multiple enemies and take out loads of them. Um, at the bottom of the screen um, is uh, the UI, which has the beam bar, which fills up as you hold down the fire button the number of lives and your score and which player. Um, the original tape version, I understand, didn't the two-player didn't work. Um, only worked on the disc version, I understand. I'm not sure. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the full R-type thing, but there was problems with the two-player mode. Um, one of the bugs, what it has. Um, so, yeah, this is a, a, a solid conversion. It's like a, a remake, a reskin of Catechist made into R-type. Um, it's got all the levels of the arcade original, um, and it's hard and it's fast. Uh, well, as fast as our type is, our type was always a slower shoot 'em up than yours um, than other games in, in this genre. It felt a little more, a little more sort of um, considered, should we say? 
so you know it, it is what it is it blasting through them is a laugh though uh, but it does feel like i said like it was a little bit rushed there are power-ups you can get which add a sort of floating orb to the front of your um sort of ship or to the back of it depending on where you sort of collide with it and the top of the space bar fires it off and it shoots around you can power that up three times it's pretty much what you could do in out in catechist as well you can see the you can see the links you can also get floating orbs as well which help with your fire but it is what it is um it just feels a little bit rushed it doesn't feel as i think you know if, if trends and Escher had had the full development time to really work on just this game they could have done something really special it's just a little bit rough around the edges um mm. because at this point we've had you know armalite um in the meantime and i think armalite has come along and stamped a polished shoe on the shooter genre that other games need to come up to now and this whilst a good conversion doesn't come up to armalite in the polish and in the way it plays and all that kind of thing so it's by no means a bad conversion um but you know we've spoken about our type and we've even got have we spoken have we done denarius yet has that come out have we had that one we haven't had that yet, I don't think, have we? No, because Daenerys is the reskin of Catechus, which actually was released. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I can't even keep up with all this. I mean, like I said, all the power-ups, the beams, the shooting, they're all there, firing your front nozzle ahead of you to cause carnage is as fun as ever. And there's some really good tunes and stuff um, from Hulsbeck throughout this, and, and or by Rack, I don't know who did what. And there's some really nice high-res background effects going on. The graphics are really nice. You know, but a lot of this was taken from Catechist. We've kind of played it at this point. It's like a lot for all to see. And from a personal point of view, I was always more in the Gradius Salamander camp, which I always felt were the the, the superior blasters for me in the arcade. So our type was never really my thing. It is what it is, but it's a good version of our type, I guess. It's an impressive conversion for the time they had, but it does feel like the game. Sorry, it does not feel like the game it could have been, given if we had that have had more time and if Hackdivision hadn't been so shonky behind the scenes and that had just been honest and you know it'd been interesting to see what like what the uh, that original version it, with all the full amount of development time behind it could have led to because supposedly you know they had um, a lot of the technical problems ironed out and polished out by the time this one came out. Mm. So don't know. It's hard to say a lot about our type. It, it's okay. I mean, it's a good version of our type, but it, it's a compromised version, I think, because of the troubled production behind it. And you know, what did it get? It got seventy-two percent. I think that's probably about right. Maybe a little bit higher because it's still a decent blaster, all things considered. And there are some very nice graphical effects and music in this. But Amalites here play Amalite. What did you think? Yeah, I've got to agree with everything you've said. Really, it's not. It's not a bad game. It's not bad. I mean, that's I've taken. You know, after Wet Le Mans and the arcade <laughs> yeah. conversion catastrophe, this isn't a bad arcade conversion yeah, of our type yeah. on the C sixty four. And I just there's a you know the duality really is. It's just you know this is just catechism in different trousers, isn't it? Really, mm-hmm. there's nuances of our type that are here that perhaps weren't in Catechus and it's some of the you know some of the twitchy bugginess of Catechus isn't I didn't experience that here but I didn't get so far into it that I might have you know you might get it down the line I, I don't know um, it's really hard though with this game <laughs> it's like I forgot how hard our site was it was like yeah you know, within you know I didn't get past the first sort of barrage of enemies for ages I was like why am I so crap at this I was like right, I just need to <laughs> concentrate a bit more on what I'm doing here I'm you know on the back of Menace where I'd been sat for half an hour with nothing happening I was like <laughs> yeah, oh, that's probably it it set me up for disaster <laughs> so it's not bad it's what you call a it's a competent version of R-Type and the politics of its creation aside just for a second the graphics do look the part and the, t- the team who made this have done a really good job in converting an arcade 
arcade to the C64 because it looks the part. There's some really nice code behind this, but there was really nice code behind Catechus. Mm. Um, it, you know, you've got clever coders in, involved with this and they've really brought this game to life. We see this sort of next generation of this when we get to games like um, Turrican and stuff like that, where they really, you know, they really lift the coding chops up. But this is pretty good. Um, the loading, though, that's rough, isn't it? Stupid, that. Yeah, yeah. If you die, it reloads. I'm like, oh, so painful. I hate that. I hate that kind of thing. I can't imagine it on tape. I can't imagine how frustrating that is on tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, it's just, that's just plain ugly. That's, just, that's, that's actually bad code. That's bad code planning. That's bad thinking about how to do it but is all the r type stuff in here some of it's obviously lower res but it's all there it plays okay it's just as difficult but the key problem here is it's late to its own party because armalites exists mm-hmm. and armalite out r typed r type on the c64 and yep. so to bring this out now it's kind of like hey what about me what about me and it's like okay okay yeah you were great <laughs> don't get me wrong but you know armalite kind of pitched you to the post here so they got out, they got out R-typed by another game. And then when R-type finally came along, well, they'd al- we'd already had the big preview, hadn't we, with Catechist. So it didn't feel very special. Yeah. Didn't, yeah, exactly. didn't have the special the special thing. It wasn't as good as Salamander, really. It didn't have the, the special that it should have had. It was just didn't have it because it came out at the wrong time. Had this come out at that time, everyone would have been like, R-type's bloody amazing. Wow. But it didn't have the wow factor, did it? It just yeah. missed the boat. It was still on the pier when the boat left. It was, it was just running up to the queue at the airport, trying to get through security when the plane was taking off. Now, it, it arrived at the restaurant and all the buffet food had been eaten. It's just it's always just a little bit late to where it needs to be, and this is a classic example of that. It's definitely above the average, and it's a great arcade conversion, but I'm afraid all the sausage rolls have been eaten at the party. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so cat- you're on to the volivants. So. Yeah, cat- Catechus was John Travolta in Staying Alive, and everyone was like, oh, God, you're amazing sort of thing. And then John Travolta <laughs> from, uh, no, sorry, in, in Saturday Night Fever, and then John Travolta yeah. from Staying Alive turned up going, oh, no, I'm the proper yeah. John Travolta. And you're like, oh, but we've seen you, but... Yeah, we've seen it. You're not as good. Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 the big problem with it. Now, the politics of this about just getting someone else to make another version and doing all of that, and it still didn't help, did it? It actually all it really did was delay something that should have been released earlier. And all of you faffing about and choosing one team over another and whatever that you know, I I can't imagine how the royalty payments and everything else worked out for those poor people involved in all of this fiasco. They probably got nothing out of thought. Probably got absolutely nothing for all of their hard efforts and hard work. And I think you can even download that prototype, can't you, on games that weren't? I think think so, yeah, yeah. So, so, but so you can maybe check it out. But I don't like to see people treated that way. Um, And so I don't think that's a very nice thing to do either. So on top of this, but they shot themselves in the foot, you know, it came back to bite them. They thought, oh, there's a much better version here. Even though this is nearly done, let's just get these guys to do it because they're basically built in. It's ready to go. By the time they'd launched it, bye, bye, see ya. The boat had sailed. (laughs) The Amalite boat was drifting off across the Yeah, the Amalite boat, yeah, exactly. So, But I'm here. Good game. Late to the party, though, aren't you? That's my take on it. Yeah. 72%, sadly, that's probably about right. It should have been in the 90s, though. Had it been released at the right moment, it probably would have been. Well, like Catechus was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is Media Break. You give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. Good morning. I'm Casey Wong with Jess Perkins. Ha! We said 10 games. <laughs> well, we did. We did say we did. 10 games, but um, in the you spirit did. of the uh, way that the new Zap has been designed, I completely missed one. Um, Flicky Spirit. It looked like an advert. It just, I don't know. That game, that game was Robocop. Kind of a big one as well. I don't know why I didn't go through the list <laughs> and notice it. <laughs> just. Know. 
It's, I wouldn't say big, big really hit Biggest, multi-million you know, dollar selling. A big, and all that. Yeah, okay. you know, a big, a big game. But we, I, I missed it. So hey, look at it as a bonus. You haven't got ten games this week. You've got eleven. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, anyway, there was the uh, there was one of the um, directives. One of the, the one that you didn't see at the bottom was make sure you review the game when you get to twenty twenty three. Adrian, Pret- it's yeah, like well, that's neat. You put in there, whatever it was. And, yeah, objective four. <laughs> review was, the damn game uh, withheld. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah so anyway robocop our final game for march anyway. 1989 is robocop so let's get into robocop shall we so graham when it's an arcade port not an arcade port do tell well when it's robocop that's when or you could say <laughs> okay. that this is part the data east part ocean all well let's find out <laughs> who knows what this is obviously it's all something. Robocop started out as the incredibly influential film in 1987. It was a bit of a low, low hum hit, but we've spoken about Robocop back in 87 when I think when it came out, or 88 yeah, when it yeah, hit yeah. cinemas here. Uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven, and it told the story of Alex Murphy, shot and left for dead by a gang led by Clarence Boddicker. Murphy was then brought back by OCP, which um, Omni consumed products as the titular Robocop, yes. and essentially ends up gaining revenge on those that killed him in the first place. That's the, that's the film. Essentially, that's the film that's in it. a nutshell. That's the film, yeah, um, so a year later in 1988, Data East turned this story into a rather average arcade game. I'm going to say rather average. I played it. It's rather average. Um, <laughs> yeah, average a lot, yeah. Which borrowed a lot of the classic iconography of the film, but felt back on basic arcade tropes. Delivered a game not too similar to a cross between something like Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninjas and Rolling Thunder. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much on yeah, that sort in of that, uh, in that thing. That, yeah. yeah. Weirdly, though, even though... But before this, Ocean hadn't released their game yet due to um, they had actually got the worldwide electronic rights for everything. So due to Ocean, they sub-licensed the license to Data East. So Ocean have a credit on the arcade game for a game that they had nothing to do with. Weird. Weird, weird, weird. weird. Anyway, whatever it was. So then after that, um, and Robocop itself, you know, despite being a bit average, it was a commercial success in arcades, especially in Hong Kong, where it was the highest grossing arcade game of 1988. Um, And in in Japan, Game Machine listed Robocop on their February 1st, 1989 issue as being the second most successful table arcade unit of the month. It's a lot higher than 12th. <laughs> it is higher than 8th. <laughs> higher than 12th. Ooh. What have Ooh. we got? Ooh. Is it higher than 8th? Ooh. Brucey bonus. <laughs> Obviously, sensing a license to print money, Ocean stepped in for the home conversions, which they had already done, uh, but they didn't do a straight conversion, and they opted to do a version which kept some of the left-to-right shooting sections, which the arcade game was full of, but also included some first-person shooting sections as well. So anyway, on duties for this game were John Megan on code, Stephen Thompson and Dawn Drake on visuals, and Jonathan Dunn on sound. The first thing of note here is the absolutely awesome loading screen from uh, Thompson, or SIT, as he's known. Mm. Uh, it's stunning. It's, it's one of the best loading screens that we've come across so far. It's a close-up of Robocop, really well-drawn, great shading, wonderful metallic feel to it. It's ace. It's, you know, we're going about yep. crap loading screens, but this is a real corker. Um, it's a real winner. It's a beaut. Don't write words, but, you know, it really is. Um, and indeed, so, you know, first impressions are good when it loads up. Title screen is basic, but it's got that great melancholic piece of music from Dunn. Odds with the subject matter, but, you know, is what it is, isn't it? It would go on to be used in that Charlie Brooker documentary. Was it 25 games that changed the world or whatever it was, or 20 games or whatever it was. Um, And the Game Boy version of the tune, I believe, was used on the Ariston on and on advert for their washing machines. It was. Um, So if you you recognize this tune, it's where it all goes to. 
weirdly, the high score table um, <laughs> is odd because um, it's got these are the names in the high score table. They are they go from down from number one downwards. It goes alienation, angst, misery, frustration, torment, despair, depression, pain, um, and finally at the bottom just says life in general. Mm. <laughs> like, okay. Is that meant to be Murphy, or is that uh, cries I, I, from the developers from their deep, I'm, dark, I'm sure. dank warehouse? Because <laughs> yeah. they were in the bottom of a church when they made this, weren't they, at the time? So, I don't know. I'm not sure the code yeah, is in a, a good convert- place when making this. In a, they were in the perhaps. basement of a converted church within a room with no no natural light. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest high score lining I've, I've seen weird, anyway. It's very strange. Anyway, you can choose to play with either music or sound effects in the game. And pressing fire makes the game say RoboCop. Um, it does. Just do that. Just RoboCop. RoboCop. And then you're in. And, you know, first impressions are good. Again, there's a decent tune. The visuals are the usual high-res overlay type affair we've come to expect from Ocean. Seeing things like Dragon Ninja that we saw uh, this this month and Combat School way back, but among others. So it's that, that kind of look. You control RoboCop. And like the data thing, this is one of those sections. It's a left-to-right shooter. You walk along um, and shoot things, shoot people who come at you. Um, in fact, if I was going to be, you know, a bit mean, I'd say it reminded me a bit of Cobra. But um, but you know, yeah. th- it's, that's because yeah. it has that that kind of feel to it. You move left and right. You aim with up and the upward diagonals and shoot with the fire button. Simple enough. Um, you only can only shoot at ninety degrees, you know, ninety and forty-five degrees. You can also jump by pressing up and fire as well, which is really hard to do, and it's not very you know. I, I found that tricky to get into. Um, you know, enemies will pop out from windows and shoot at you, and you've got to avoid their bullets and just shoot them in the process. It's you know, it is what it is. They will also come from either side of the level and you must avoid and shoot them. Just shoot everything, everything you kill. The UI at the top of the screen is a high-res, slightly Spectrum-esque display. I thought it's weirdly, uh, weirdly Spectrum-esque. And shows you. your score, the name of the game, because you might have forgotten, um, the timer left to complete the level, and your power, so your energy bar, basically. Um, and this kind of gameplay makes up most of the levels. You're walking along or you climb. There's a couple where you have to climb upstairs and stuff and go up, but, but essentially you walk along and shoot all the bad guys. There are power-ups to pick up, such as fast bullets, armor-piercing bullets, and three-way bullets, and a cobra gun, but that is, this is a massive kind of uh, gun that Robocop has at the end of the film, I think, to shoot the Ed 209, but that's only available on level eight. Um, it does have some difference to the levels, so as noted. Um, so levels one, three, five, seven, and eight, uh, where you control Robocop and move about in a left-to-right scroller type thing um, and climb stairs, whatever, and you shoot everything. There are two levels, levels two and nine, where you control a crosshair and you have to shoot. It's the scene from the film where the guy has got the woman and they're attempting to rape Hostage, her. And you've got to, yeah, yeah her and they've got to shoot and you have to shoot him over the shoulder. You've got to shoot him multiple times. Far too many. One bullet to the head should do it. <laughs> he moves yes, fast enough it as would. it is. It's just ridiculous. Um, uh, and, that, and then I think the second one uh, is level nine where you've got to shoot Dick Jones himself as he's got um, the old man hostage. And level four sees you attempting to copy a photo fit of a suspect. So you know, where you've got to sort of look at the photo fit and get, get you know do a do a copy of it. Um, so there is a you know some bit of variety um, to the levels, I guess, which is you know this game to the game's credit. Um, so yeah, that's it really. However, despite all the nice looks, the great sounds, the speech, the variety. It's just, well, first of all, before we get to other bits, it's too stupidly hard to be enjoyable. Oh, it's ridiculous. 
Um, enemies in Windows respawn. Those first two enemies that appear, you can go shoot them, then they just respawn. Shoot them again, they just respawn. Shoot them again, they just respawn. They just keep coming back. Go away. Mm-hmm. Um, I shot you. Um, they fall out the window as well. So they fall out the window, and then somebody yeah, else goes, oh, they fall out the window. Do exactly what they were doing in the same outfits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's really annoying. Um, but the main problem is you can take, because they could, they do this thing, and we saw this in the Predator game as well, where people shoot at angles, um, yeah. enemies shoot angles, and it's impossible to walk past because they, the bullet will either catch your head, your body, your foot, whatever. It's just impossible. And you've got to shoot at 45 angles. You have to go into that range, and you're Robocop, so you're not fast. <laughs> So yeah. you just take loads of, you just take shot. Um, and you take so, you know, you, you get so, you you have so little health. You take so much damage from them. That you're dead really quickly every time. It's just stupid. The controls mm-hmm. aren't intuitive either. The jump is stupid. Um, up and fire when you, you, you always aim to, no, it's just, a, and, the, and then get, aiming to get a shot off at them. Um, like I said, it feels very close to the eight way shooting problems we've had in Predator and has something even more in common with that game. And that is the bugs. And lack of finish, as we saw with Predator yep. back in the day as well. Indeed, the original game, I understand, was just about impossible to beat as the game was severely graphically buggy as it went on, with one level being just a massive garbage. And you can look at this on YouTube. There's someone who's played through it um, all the way through, even with the co- completely corrupted level. Um, so it's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, this game is clearly not finished. It's a mess. Um, I, I mean, the notion is that I've sort of read around that the game was made stupidly hard to hide this back from players as most of them wouldn't reach that stage you know like i said but with the wonders of the modern internet you can watch all it on youtube so go have a look at it go go decide yeah, for yourself watch yeah so the game is not finished and there's another example and um, you know john megan we saw this with rastan which he did as well rastan didn't mm-hmm. rastan have a bit where you couldn't get past there was a rope bridge or something or there was a level there was, was, yeah. was a bit in rastan yeah there was so, so so this is the second one where he's made a game and you can't finish it an ocean have still released it or imagine whoever you know it's incomplete still released to the public and zap gave this 89 percent and said it was a great conversion and a great version of the arcade game you know which i guess in part is it looks and sounds great and at first flatters to deceive but they also gave dragon ninja a score in the 80s and both those games are fundamentally flawed on the c64 in one way or another um this more so 89 mm. percent. they clearly haven't played it all the way through they've played it for a bit and gone oh it looks great slap a good good score on it yeah, so hard to sort of recommend this. And it's just, you know, and I could go on about the difficulty, but it's just stupid. Um, a few years back, uh, Nostalgia released a fixed version of this, which fixed all the graphics um, and stuff and allowed the game to finish. It didn't seem as punitive. I played that version as well um, and got through to level three, I think I did, whereas I couldn't even get past the first level on the original version. Um, so I don't know if Nostalgia tweaked it a little bit. That's what, I didn't use any cheats or anything. But it's still got the same control issues. Um, and so, you know, um, it's it's still boring to play and it's still not responsive and it's weird and I don't like it. Um, I don't know. It's a shame this turned out the way it did. It was, it was just released clearly unfinished. Um, I mean, but even despite that, according to Wikipedia, the home release of this game sold over a million copies and was the biggest selling oh, yeah. home computer game of the 80s, which means a lot of people bought a clearly buggy, unfinished product on the strength of the name alone. But, you know... But I'm I'm betting about ninety percent of those never got anywhere near the buggy bits because it was it was tuned to fuck you over from the get go. Um, yeah. No, I didn't like this. It's 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 uh, it, it's it's broken. It's broken and it it plays brokenly. So no, I'm not of this. In fact, you know, to paraphrase film, I would not have bought this for a dollar. That's for sure. Oh, very good. Very good. What about you? 
well, graphically, it looks quite nice, doesn't it? Um, I mean, that loading screen is really good. By the way, in the Ocean History book, there's an there's a good um, sort of discussion with um, is it Steve Thompson? Sit the guy yeah. that did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd, he'd done that picture before he was at Ocean. Um, he'd already done that, and he took it to them at Ocean, and that's kind of what got him the gig at Ocean. He took it to the guy that oh, right, okay. was producing the games at the one of the trade shows, and the guy was like, "Yeah, we've just lost our graphic guy. I like your moxie. You're hired." <laughs> I like the way you talk. <laughs> and then, you know, and then I think um, basically his, his ideas of working for a, a company or an amazing company like Ocean in Manchester were like, there was, you know, he quit university to go and do that, got to the, got there. And then he was like, where's my office? It's like, just head down those stairs into the cellar. And you'll find yourself with the other slaves. It's, I mean, um, employees, it's down the bottom there. And that's technically where he was. He was God. working out of a dark root lightless pit it's how it, and then potentially that's how he describes it i mean obviously he's you know he's there's a lot of camaraderie and amazing people who worked in that said environment but it doesn't sound like it was very conducive it sounded like suits at the top boots at the bottom and um mm. and that doesn't sound too good which is ironic considering the game that we're talking about anyway um yeah very much so so the game's visuals then i i liked um tones and the colors all good it does look like they, they're kind of they are overdrawn spectrum graphics in some instances so there's why it looks like a spectrum look, look, looks like the spectrum version because that's what, exactly what they are colorized spectrum graphics really hmm. um but robocop even though he lacks the kind of stature i would have liked to have expected it does look like a sort of a c64 version of the arcade and that doesn't look too bad and it does look like robocop and hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he walks like robocop it does with a sort of gun directly forward and that, that all those parts i quite liked about it fine um you know he's it, he's got the kind of stature maybe that you'd expect not the height but the kind of the put the, the poise and the game feels like the robocop game when it starts a bit that you know the music's obviously great but it's not i don't think it fits this game at all but it's still a good piece of music it's just not a great piece of music for this game yeah exactly um, so the sort of action sequences such as they are, you know, th- there is a hint of Robocopishness about them, um, you know, walking, shooting and stuff that doesn't happen a lot in Robocop, by the way, does no, there's it? There's only one sequence. That's the bit in the yeah. drug, the drug house. Yeah, ex- exactly. So that's kind of what they've sort of taken that scene and just expanded it over several levels. All right. If that's what, you know, cause that's kind of the borrowing of it, but I, that comes back with a problem for me. Um, so the carrot that's kind of how they've carried the movie with the robocop in it and you no know, they've picked that bit out like you said it's all borrowed from the data east arcade in that kind of weird licensing bizarreness that ocean owned the global license and let mm-hmm. data east do a conversion and then they converted their conversion and it all sounds like a bloody weird sort of mason masonistic handshake in the background and somebody <laughs> elder knife to someone's throat and they had to say dibbidi dabbidi do and it just sounds a bit <laughs> all sounds a bit weird Ocean, I mean, this this game set a, you know, a chain of events for Ocean, which were massive because it was such a huge hit because they were, you know, considered the big licensed people. And But like you said, fundamentally, this isn't this isn't a finished product. This is broken. And this is mm. this something that they've got a bit of a history of. So, um, so yeah, so like I said, graphics and everything, the game itself, all right. It's kind of, you know, it is, that is what it is. This is a C64 port then of an arcade of which, you know, I've had very little experience of in terms of the arcade. I had a look for the podcasters as we normally do and, I thought it was very boring as an arcade and quite quite average and like a whole bunch of other arcades that look exactly like that. Um, so what's this really got going for it then, the game? Well, uh, music aside, I like the music. I don't think it suits the game, but it's good music. The graphics, nicely drawn, really well rendered. But the game's buggy as hell. 
This game's got a whole bunch of problems, a whole bunch of problems. This, the first one being, it's impossible. That's, a, that's not just uh-huh. a problem. That's a, that's a, that's a game-breaking bug right there. It's impossible. On a single life, you do not stand a chance in this game. No. I don't, think, I don't see how anyone could get through it. I mean, I, I, I could not, I mean, I spent quite a bit of time on this. I could not get off that opening level full of the money. Every no. time I went to shoot the guys in the window, I jumped when I pressed fire, which was really annoying because I didn't want to jump. That left me v- vulnerable to their bullets, of which there seemed to be a lot of them. I could not, I could not not get injured. I could not not avoid it. And so I ended up just really, you're just running the clock of how long you can last. Yeah. Which wouldn't be All so bad if you could take more damage like Robocop can. As we see, he yeah. takes, how many shots does he take in that sequence where the police open fire on him in the um, car park bit? You know, it's exactly. built of titanium. In this, it's like, it's like aluminium cop. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I noted that he also died in a very Rastani way as well. <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah. And he went full Rastan mode, didn't he? Um, <laughs> Oh, with a single life, you don't stand a chance, and and that's just that's outside of the bugs. I mean, that's just that's not that's a, that's deliberately done to obfuscate the issues of this game, of which you will they don't want you to encounter, which is the fact that it's not finished. That's no, that's why they've made it so hard. It's it's obvious. Mm-hmm. The enemies in the windows take too many shots as well. For the the um, nostalgia fixed version, they reduced them to one shot in the window, but they're not one shot in the original game. They're two or three. Yeah. So you cannot outshoot them as RoboCop. Now I'll tell you one thing. I tell in, when you watch the RoboCop film, the game, the gun he's got is quite famous for being RoboCop's gun. It's got that kind of crazy power. There's a mo- yeah, there's that moment in it when he's shooting in the shooting range, and they all stop because it's that loud and powerful. So the idea that it can't shoot these guys, you know, we have to shoot them multiple times. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's obviously there to make it harder so that you don't make it to the end of the level. Let alone if you get to the point where you get to a two or nine like, like, later in the game, you're done. You're never going to get past that in a million years without a cheat or something even if you want to. Uh, so you're losing, you're losing too much energy that you never get back enough time. You wake, your weapons are weak and the upgrades are stupid. I mean, that triple shot thing, it, is, it actually weakens your main weapon. In the fixed yeah. version, they fixed the power level of that and also the fact that your bullets last longer than the, the full, they go for the full screen because in the game that you play, the original version, the released version, your bullets don't last for the full screen. So you, can, so you can't shoot people nope. on the periphery. That's terrible. It's, it's obviously, everything in this game has been cleverly engineered to make it so you can't get through to those levels. And obviously people are, you know, diligent and crazy good at these things. And, also, and they're going to the, track the three, down those bugs. Correct me if I'm wrong, in the three-way shot, it goes 45 degree up and 45 degree down, doesn't it? Mm, What's no down? No- <laughs> exactly. If shooting the, if shooting so, the ground. When you do get to level... When you get to the prison level, you got to go up and down the stairs. Um, you could, going up and down the stairs leaves you vulnerable to the bullets of the enemies. Yeah, because they can shoot through the walls and the stairs. You can't shoot when you're on the stairs. At least I couldn't, not properly, because you're not at an angle where you can actually shoot them. Anybody, because you can't shoot up at no. a 45 degree angle because they're not there, and you can't shoot right because you're too you're not there. Just, those those guys in the windows that are just slightly higher than you as well when you're in the first level, but you have to jump to. Yeah, so you can't aim. shoot them. It's just a by mess. Design. It's a mess. It's by design, and then and then um, I noticed that in that level with the. I guess it was it a prison level. I don't know what you call a multi-level with the stairs. Um, mm. They can go through the solid walls, but you can't. Yep. So I mean, these aren't these aren't just bugs. These are these are th- choices um, choices of game designers and game developers and programmers. These aren't they cannot be there by accidental chance. These are competent programmers, and these games have been by according to the Ocean History Book all tested, play tested. So you cannot tell me that that's the case. This is simply not possible. If they've released it with all of these things in it. It's on. It's by design. It's by yeah. design because they knew full well this was broken. And I, 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 could, I come back to it because it's such a fundamentally wrong thing to do for any any company. You just you're releasing something so broken that you know that it's not going to work, and then you hide that. You hide that by making it too difficult. 
shame on you for that ocean and i mean i'm not blaming the programmers for any of this they they've got a job to do there are a lot of them are young guys you know they're they're working out of what it sounds to me like a dank cellar um with a lot of pressure on their shoulders and i think that no they're just they're not cutting corners the people the suits are telling them we need this game out for whatever reason and you know you've got to make it work and when they say well this this might be a bit difficult they're like well you know do what you've got to do kind of thing i don't know what conversation's taking place but judging by the History in the ocean history book, the suits were having very different conversations about licensed products, getting very excited about how much money they were going to make compared to the developers and the designers who were all kind of new, I think, in their hearts that there was something fundamentally wrong with the, certainly with the C64 version. I can't speak for the other versions on the Amiga and the Spectrum and the ST and all that. Mm. Um, those in between mini games, I didn't think much to them. Um, I thought the shooting the hostage thing was stupid and pointlessly difficult, uh, Again, really difficult. Yeah, ridiculous. The matching the faces thing you do, doesn't mean anything because even if you don't match it, it doesn't really have any damage, doesn't do anything. What's the point of it? No. So it, it feels to get like this was put together by competent people, but they clearly have been instructed at some level. Someone has instructed them to not be, um, and that explains those titles in the um, high scores. Maybe <laughs> quite possibly. Yeah. Um, this is like an output from a process that takes the core essence of the film, like Robocop, and totally misses the point of it. Instead, almost like a marketing person just got hold of the idea and wanted to go with it. Instead of focusing on making the game being, you know, about. Robocop's journey of trying to find Clarence Boddicker and all of those things and making the game fundamentally about those things. Mm. It just makes it about Robocop just shooting people, which is a part of the film, but not the whole part of the film. And that's all this this all this game is about, is that, which is one tiny bit of an entire strand of thought processes. But if somebody asked you to sum up Robocop and say, right, sum up what sum up what people would remember from Robocop. That's probably the bit they're going to remember, Robocop walking along shooting people. So that's what you get. But the, but the thing I, I was thinking about, and you're right, you're, you're entirely right, and I was thinking about what I would do, and I was thinking about that sequence, what this is based on, which is a bit in the warehouse where he's walking along shooting people. And the one thing Robocop doesn't do is he doesn't walk and shoot. So he no. always stops and aims. Yep. So I was thinking that what you could have done is you could have had your control, and then you held down the fire button and moved the cursor, and when you let go, you could have a cursor come up to aim. So you could have not yep. had eight-way shooting, which is like what Robocop was doing in that thing where he's twisting around and shooting all angles and stuff. So you walk, hold the fire button down, and then you like we saw in that SDI and things like that, you could have a two-player mode or whatever, but that would have been a more interesting way to replicate that sequence rather than just this eight-way. I mean, Robocop, yeah. does he jump? No. There's one bit, I think, where he sort of hops out the way of the car, I think, in the sequence. He steps, in the... sidesteps. Yeah, he sidesteps. But I don't think I don't think I ever remember Robocop jumping. No, he, he, he doesn't jump because he's, he's, you know, it's half a ton of robot machinery. <laughs> That's what I mean. This I is aluminium the, the, cop. It's the light. The issue really here is that they've taken that scene, which is a not even an, that important a scene. That's really just where he captures Clarence Boddicker um, and, yeah. you know, and records him spilling his guts. That's, and that's a, it's a moment in the film, but it, out of context, it means nothing, which is the problem here. No good throwing Ed 209 into this and even Dick Jones at the end because you've got no context for it at all. It, it could be anybody. And that's my biggest problem with this whole thing. The instructions do the hint. Film. There's a paragraph of instructions. Yeah, it, but the instructions hint at Murphy tracking down his... It's, that's, that's not what happens in this game. It's irrelevant what happens in Robocop. Yeah. In the, it's just That's just... They put that in there because that aligns with the film, but it's nothing to do with this game. Now, if you take all of that out and just make it about one little bit of from the game, there's a word for doing that when you make a game like this, and that word is boring. And no Robocop game, sh- it should be boring. It should be anything but boring. You know, I remember my feeling was exactly the same when I first saw this way back in the day as well. This is a husk of a Robocop game. But you could put any spray into that scenario in that game, and it could be anything. It doesn't have to be Robocop. It could be anything. Yeah, exactly. It's just doesn't. It's just because it's got Robocop it's a, on it. It's, it's a walk and gun, isn't it? not a running gun it's exactly. a walking gun it's generic repetitive buggy but very horribly lucrative in other words an ocean licensed game yeah 
And for that, I think that it's, I think it's crap. I don't think it deserved, well, I think the efforts of the people in it to make it as good as they could make it are commendable, but this is classic. This is, if there was ever a game that signaled Ocean's real intent about how much money they were going to make versus what they were going to put out, this is probably the worst one we've seen so far where they've just taken a gamble license that nobody knew it was going to be hit when they bought it. Mm. And okay, I admire his business acumen for spotting that, you know, Robocop has good potential for being a game and a sci-fi game and all the rest of it and but yeah, yeah. you know w- when it did become popular they didn't think about making a game about the film they just thought about making money and this is an example let's release a load of crap to people but then they do the same with predator um, no that was activision wasn't it oh i thought it was them so but, no, the, same, act- but the principle is the same the not principle, ocean but the, the principle, principle is the same. same yeah the principle is the same but it's, it's all the same issues and all over the place, isn't it? It's just. But I think Ocean, we've got Total Recall coming from them. We've got Red Heat. Yeah, and I suspect they'll all be, you know, built around the same game engine type. Um, did they do? Didn't they do a version of Batman that looks a bit like this as well? Um, uh, we so, have got we have got the Batman game coming up later this year. Yeah, so I'm not sure. Yeah, but prob- probably, it, I, th- I think I, think I did it, read that, that in an interview with them that it, it was saying that it kind of set the template for. Well, they had an engine of these things, and they were using it. You know, and it says that clearly in the Ocean History book. Is no, no hint, no ifs, ands, or buts. They had a, they had a game engine type, and they were using it, which yeah. is fair enough. Okay, but make the games good and make them finished. Then don't release them broken like this because it's, yeah. it's a rip off. I'm glad I didn't buy it back in the day. I'd have been really angry. I mean, I've got the same pirated version probably that everybody got, mm. and we all went, we looked at it and thought the same thing. Ugh, Ugh. What's going I mean, on here? It's too hard. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. I mean. Like I said, is it that different to Cobra? At least Cobra had the decency to be crap and sort of own, take ownership of that. Yeah, but it is. I mean, they it's pretended a walk, this Cobra wasn't. was a walk-along and shoot thing. This is a walk-along. True. They advertised this in the Robocop VHS release. The Robocop games advertised on it. Did they? And they, ad- and they advertised the VHS release of Robocop on the game box, on the, on the second oh, game bad. box release. So, yep. Crazy. Yeah. Anyway, there you go, Robocop. Um, mm. <laughs> aren't we glad we... We remembered it <laughs> and, and managed yeah. to fit, fit it in here at the end. Hopefully it's left, left you on a high. Robo cop out. We could say robo crap, but it's too obvious. But robo cop out, bobo cop. I mean, this has gone a load to robo cod. Yeah, and Robocop 2. Did they make yeah. a Robocop 2 game? There, there was a Robocop 3 as well. Oh, Robocop. Dear. Yeah, there's Robocop and Robocop, Robocop 3. Robocop 3 is a bad film as well. It's not very good. Um, just looking at that on Lemon 64. It just looks, well, I don't know. There's a, there's a droid on a toilet by the looks of it. It's, it's the weird version of Ro- in the weird version of Robocop in Robocop 3 where his, his, teeth, aren't, his teeth aren't good. His teeth aren't good. <laughs> no, no. He's not, not got, uh, you know, what's his name's teeth? His just teeth aren't as good. Peter, no. Peter Weller, is it? At least not Peter, Peter Weller, Weller, is, is it? He the sing- <laughs> is he the singer of... That's, who's the singer of uh, the Paul Weller. Council? That's no, Paul Weller's Robocop's a whole different film, I imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's... Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking at Cobra sort of thing, just looking at that. It's the same game. Of course it is. It's the same if you, if you look through it, you probably find... And if in actuality, if you look probably these the the place to look would be the Spectrum games because Ocean were really made famous for more of the Spectrum games. But if you look at the way the screen's laid out, and then think about how the screen memory is laid out on a Spectrum, you start to see why it's made that way. Yeah, probably banks of three, no, three, 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 three rows, banks of three. Yeah, it's just funny that. Yeah, I can see that. Funny well, that. there you go. That's RoboCop. Um, it's not very good. I'm sorry. No. I don't know. I don't care what. <laughs> I don't care what you say. It's not very good. It doesn't play very well. And even when it is fixed, even when it's fixed, yeah. realise it's boring. <laughs> yeah, it, good on nostalgia for you know fixing it so we all could see how boring it was. Yeah, yeah. It's always well, good for that. I'm sure, that wasn't their intention, but that's what happened. 
that is what <laughs> happened oh anyway there you go uh so we're gonna wibble wobble out and we'll go back to the main part of the episode see you back in time And there you go. That's it. That's your games for March 1989. 37 of them. A lot of games. Lots of games indeed. Nice. Oof, those are. I still. I'm still torn, torn up a bit. Menace, Operation Hormuz, and Veclamons must be the, one of the weirdest, horriblest triple bill in a row that I've ever had the misfortune to do for this show. Unfortunately, awful horribleness. Anyway, that's it. So what have we looked at? Well, we have looked at in this episode, let me just bring up my list because I've completely forgot. We looked at Rocket Ranger, which we liked a lot. Very good. Yeah, very good game. Spaceball, which we didn't like. Good music. Good music, yeah. Soldier of Light. Mm, Gone by Zamzara. Bananas. Super Stuntman. Just Just don't. Don't. (laughs) Star Ray. No. Gone play Drop Zone. (laughs) Gone play Drop Zone. Super Sports. Shame. Troubling, shame, shame but, yeah, tr- but, troubling but representation. It is fun. It is the yeah, fun, you know, uh, could but, have been could have been great, but you just had to ruin it, didn't you? He did. Menace. So I'm still bored with it by now. <laughs> the only thing that's going to be menaced is your sense of you know fair play and how's boredom. That, how's that music go? <laughs> there you go. That's all you're going to hear for ages. Operation Hormuz. Just what? <laughs> What is that? What? Becklemons? Hey. No. <laughs> <just>, no. <laughs> a thousand people cry out in horror. <laughs> and then there was silence. <laughs> and finally, our type. Yeah. Mr. Boat. Mr. Boat. Yeah, the boat, boat, that ship had sailed. That Sorry. Ship had sailed. There we go. Right, there we go. That's your games. We do have, Graham, we have some crap verts to get through. We do. Four, I think. Goodness. We had four in a while, a 4 This is for a game called Titan by Titus. Has he pooped out a triangle? <laughs> and that's why he's got that face. Or is he wearing a wooden jockstrap? <laughs> God, he's got leathery, leathery legs, hasn't he? He's got, so he's got a very legs. leathery outfit. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, you start from the top. I think it's. I think it says Titan. Um, yeah, they've they've had a kind of exploration with fonts, and it's not quite worked, has it? Stop no. doing that stupid Chromium Sky type effect on text. Just stop it now. Yeah. Don't do it anymore. Um, beneath, yeah, so this is Titan. It's but the T is like a V. It's not vibrant, but um, uh, yeah. it's, it's a T What's, in it. Yeah, but it's, it's supposed it's, to be. It's odd. Um, beneath that. I won't. I'll speak about the explosions in a bit. We have some kind of brown building thing. Brown tower. Brown tower with this sort of turret. No, there's no. It's not a turret. It's sort of sewer system coming out with a what looks like a triangle. Or something. And then stood in the in this sort of sewer or culvert system is a man draped in leather, looking like uh, an extra from They Live. Yes, he does look like he's out of They Live. He's with, straight out of They Live. With hair from Sting in June. Yeah. Well, he's also notice he's got woolen hair. Um, <laughs> it's a bit weird, isn't it? He's got sunglasses <laughs> on and there's he's, he's got some spikes coming out of his wrist. He's, he's overly leathered. He's, or it could be pleather. He is. And look at the... I mean, you know, like, if you wear braces, you have little clips on the end, don't you? Look at the size of his brace clips. They're like the like size of his chest. He's got he's got he's got like golden black checkered epaulets 
clip yeah. to his body with the world's largest clips. Those clips are massive. Those that's the clips are too big. Don't draw, you know, <laughs> big he's clips. A, he's also got uh chessboard uh pauldrons, I guess they are, they for the shoulders. Yeah, what's he, what's, he, what's going on there and and yellow yeah. and black? I don't and he's know. Got, he's got brown spats on his shoes. I mean, did they wear spats in the future? I mean, that seems a bit weird, but there it you does go. seem weird. And the game itself looks like a top-down something or other. Yeah, looking at those screenshots, it looks like a puzzle game. There's a, it has a look of like an alien breed type view. That's as far as that comparison will ever go. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's got to do with the leather-bound, woolen-haired alien. <laughs> and but, the um, really, and I'll just come back to the explosions. There's a couple of explosions oh dear, going up, was... one on the side of the tower, one at the top, which have clearly just been stuck in from another picture. Yeah, they're not in perspective. They're not even anything like... I mean, everything's cut out, because even the writing, the Titan logo's obviously been cut out from something else and glued on. Yep. So, that ain't good. That ain't good at all. What are you thinking of? Rubbish. No. Rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. I don't remember this game either, but it's coming to the C64, it says. And it's Titan by Titus. <laughs> don't name the game so close to your own company name. <laughs> I know, because it says copyright 1988 1988 Titus, Titan, Titus, and the Titus logo are registered trademarks of Titus. Yeah. Too much use of the word Titus. And because of the way that the, on the U, because they've gone for a really kind of elaborate font and the the fine stick on the U is missing, it just looks like Titus (laughs) or Titty. Titties. It's like Titties. And it's a and the logo is a fox. Is yeah, and, right? and they notice the logo is different in the game to it is how it is on the actual thingy. Look on the yeah. screen on the bottom right. Yeah, that's the different logo to the one that's on the actual advert. Schoolboy era that. You know, yeah, keep consistent branding, people. Okay, it's, it's not good, saying. is it? No, it's not. It's not good. Okay, let's see what's the next one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is um, the advert for the game Willow. Um, <laughs> So it's got the word Willow at the top with a sort of on a sort of logo. Yeah, the there's a picture. Logo there's brand, a there's a there's the cinema poster in the middle. Well, a version nice of it. it. There's a version of it in the middle there, sort of thing. Willow, the computer game. There's a couple of screenshots from the game. Mindscape, Castle Stack. Problem is, is the uh, is the tagline. Yeah. The tagline just says "Enjoy it to the hilt <laughs> at home," <laughs> which is a, a problematic phrase. <laughs> It's problematic, and also it's clearly been added on because that's that typeface has no place on that advert. <laughs> no, not one. I mean, it's it's a sans serif Arial type typeface. It's just blasted <laughs> on there, flunked on. Someone's just gone quick type on the you know tack him in the keyboard. Enjoy it to the hilt. I don't think I want to. And it looks like that woman in that picture on the bottom left is so. She's like, hey, I mean, I know the game is crap as well. Luckily, we never have to look at it. Um, but good lord, what were they Terrible. thinking with that tagline? And is that really the movie poster? Because that looks not like anybody uh, in it. It is, yeah, it, it does. That's, I mean, it's a very, very uh, flattering version of uh, what's this? Willow, Willow Wolfgood. That looks vaguely, vaguely like Val Kilmer. Nothing like Joe Valley Kilmer, and maybe it's a bit of um, Warwick, Warwick Davis. Davis, but. It's been, that's it's, as far as it goes. It's, it's been super it. smoothed. Yeah, he, look, he looks a bit more like one of the hobbits from The Lord of the Rings as opposed to the character in Willow there. But Yeah. Uh, anyway. maybe, maybe he's going to enjoy that big stick to the hilt that he's holding. <laughs> at home, he's going to enjoy it to the hilt. <laughs> Just, you know, enjoy it to the hilt at home has probably been written on many other packages. <laughs> Most of them probably live on something like lovehoney.com or whatever it is. Or OnlyFans. Yes. Anyway, there we go. That's Willow. Let's move on. Because the next one is a double bill. This is Leather <laughs> leather Jacket Man for, for, for reasons I don't understand. So this is the <laughs> advert for 3D Pool from Firebird. Oh There's so much wrong with this. 
It's a typographic nightmare of epic proportions. <laughs> you have at it. I can't. I can't take it. I can't. I can't. They put a, they, a drop shadow, a harsh drop shadow on a on the italicized. They've italicized the font and, and drop shadowed it. That's like that's like a crime. That is actually an Adobe crime. <laughs> there'll also- be people on the way to. On the way to investigate this from Adobe, they're like, someone's committed a typeface crime. We need to be investigated immediately. <laughs> Absolutely uh, shocking. Yeah. So this and then is... you've got the giant 3D at the top. That's pretty crappy. And then you've got a really shit Sean Connery playing pool. <laughs> the 3D looks like it's from like a American sort of collegiate. Um... That font is called collegiate. Yeah. It's like oh, American yeah. collegiate sort of layout. Isn't it? But, but why does that, yep. why does that say 3D pool? What's I got? Because the pool is not; it's slanted in a box and black and green with a drop shadow. Italicized. Harsh sorry. drop shadow. They haven't even fudged that or smoothed it or anything. It's just that's harsh. Yeah, that's very yeah, harsh. That's just a harsh shadow. That is. So then there's a guy playing pool, but behind him, for reasons only beknownst to which I can only presume, this is either someone who worked at Firebird or someone who knew the guy who did the photography. There's a there's a kid in a leather jacket and blue jeans just watching on. What's he leaning against? I don't know. It looks like he's, he's got strong ex- legs. <laughs> well, I think he's obviously yeah, because there's a. There's, it looks like he's got like a, a rifle strapped to his back. <laughs> is he, I was thinking that is he just he's got he's got power lean. That guy can just sit and lean. At, like, he doesn't <laughs> need anything. He's got very strong uh, calves and ankles. He can lean back, but I I don't understand anything about this advert. And then at, no. just and then on the pool table, so there's the guy playing pool, sort of taking the shot into the sort of camera. At the bottom left, it just says, <laughs> "Think, think your your hot stuff, huh?" Yeah, because then it says under that, "Well, here's your chance to prove it." What do you mean? What is this game really advertising? Because you've got a guy there with a really long cue poking at balls, and it says, "Think your hot stuff." <laughs> I don't know. I'm sensing, there's a subtext. I'm not. I don't know. And then, but, well, at the bottom well, says, "Why would you queue up for a big queue up for a shot at Big Joe?" Well, why would you be that far from the cue ball? I don't know. I don't know. It's just. I don't know. It's just not very good. And are they on a pool table? Looks more like a snooker table. Uh, no, I think it is a pool table. I think it is. Not that, I don't Terrible. know. Who knows? Well, we've been playing them on all kinds of size tables, but yeah, it's not a very good advert. It's really not. No, it's not. And they're badly cut out as well. Just for, just so you can feel totally at ease. They've clearly been got a pair of scissors and cut them out. This isn't <laughs> this isn't, you know, remove the border in the classic fancy Photoshop style. This is remove the border the old fashioned way. Just cut round them. Yeah. And if they've got any hair sticking out, well it doesn't matter, they're just gonna look smooth of hair. The hair's <laughs> always gonna look smooth because there's no stray hairs or anything. Nothing. Because they they clearly shot that on a on a different coloured background and just cut them out badly. But that's what Hence I think. So he's, he's leaning against nothing. So, but but they've left his shadow in. <laughs> yep. So he's clearly leaning against the wall, but they've just cut it out for no reason. But what whatsoever. is he there for? Because he's you know he's saying think you're hot stuff. Okay. He's saying it to that guy. But the guy, one guy's dressed formally for a game of snooker, and the other guy's dressed for more like a dust up in a bar for, I don't for, know. An, for an episode of Press Gang. Yep. Weird. And the game doesn't look very good anyway. No, it doesn't. But in a two-part Firebird special. We move on to the adventures of leather jacketed denim boy number two because we have the advert oh, for something called Tiger Tiger. Goodness um, me, what is all this? I don't know. We've since learned this game actually was being made by Gary Lydon. It never came out. Um, okay. You can play it I suppose, on uh, games that weren't. We may do that at some point down the road. We may not, I don't know. But this is Tiger Tiger. So uh, essentially there's a big pink man baby holding this leather jacketed teen with a sword to his throat yeah i don't why and the words tiger tiger in lowercase i mean if if you took away the c64 screenshots off that that could easily be a a a late 90s early noughties advert for a student night in a in a club yeah 
you know, they look like that, but you know, so it could be that, or it could be you know, an advertising a bar, something like that. What it doesn't look like to me is, is I mean, why those things? I don't know, but someone clearly drew that and thought we've got to use that. It's great, but why they've then badly cut out that guy and stuck him in it? I don't know why. Why he's trapped his leg and mysteries abound, aren't they? There, look at that. They the hands cut out of the pink baby. I don't, I don't want to look over at his that. shoulder. I've, I've looked at that. And it it cut so much away of the guy's arm. He's like going, ooh, it's like a claw. <laughs> What does it say about it? take up your sword, Lance Tiger? There's no comma. So is no. your sword called Lance Tiger? I guess it must be. And he's clearly he's wielding spoons as well. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean know. never he's came. He's a very muscular to... baby man and he's got a loincloth mercifully in the right area. It's, you know, I don't know. I don't want to know what's behind that. Yeah. It's a bad it advert. Good. It's a terrible advert. They're all bad, but there you yeah. go. And the colour choice on that, bright pink, but it does it looks like a late naughty's flyer for a a student night. I could see that. Yeah, uh, a bad one. Y- yes, yes. Up there with them. Um, do you remember? Well, you won't remember when then the university at um, Derby they they had famously had a club there called the Pink Coconut. For anyone that's from Derby, you'll remember the Pink Coconut. But they printed all the flyers wrong when when I was my first year at university there, and they printed them all as Pink Coconut. <laughs> so, and that's the name that stuck with it forever. <laughs> and they did a night there called Bonk, which was the kind of the Vogue thing to do that then. <laughs> So, and this reminds me of the kind of flyers that would come out for that. Is that the um, is that is that as good as the uh, the pens at the uh, the place where we used to work <laughs> with the Facebook logo? Your future focused. Oh, the sunglasses, you mean? No, 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 no. What yeah. about the, the Facebook? There's yeah, the Facebook yeah, logo that, that was on. That was on sunglasses. I thought it was on a pen, wasn't it? I thought it was on no, a pen. It was on, no, the pens were the syringe pens. Oh, the syringe pens. Yeah, you could inject yeah, knowledge. The, yeah, there was pens. <laughs> there was a. It was for a, for essentially for a school. And they thought it'd be a good idea to get pens in the in the shape of hypodermic syringes, <laughs> so they look like that. And that was the way that was like a marketing giveaway gimmick. And it said, "Your future focused on them." <laughs> and then uh, the other thing, which we can't we can't name them for probably many many reasons, but they had some sunglasses made, and you know they basically spelled out F U C. It was basically said, you know, fuck, and then it was the name of the institution <laughs> that he was at. So. Yeah. <laughs> They were quickly destroyed in the, the dark <laughs> times, were, those things. Were. I think when somebody saw them in management, they went, what the hell are they? They did, yes. You can't walk around with sunglasses saying F-U, insert institution name here. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I had okay. one of those pens. I've still got it somewhere. I've still got a Your Future Focus pen somewhere because they did them in blue and red. So there was ma- sort of matching, dangerous-looking injection <laughs> pens. It was like, hmm, I'm not sure this is such a good idea, thinking about it. <laughs> no. Oh, dear, marketing catastrophes. Oh, there we go. A good laugh. Anyway, that's our crapverts. What have we got? Let's have a look at our chart for the month of March. Down for, uh, number 10, up to number 10 from 12 is Joe Blade. Okay. Uh, new entry. <laughs> number nine is Nightmare. Is that a reissue? Must yeah, it's Mastertronic. Mastertronic, yeah. yeah. New entry at number eight is Ghostbusters, again on Mastertronic. Micro Soccer Ooh. is down to number seven. Uh, okay. Up to number six is Bomb Jack. A reissue. Yeah. Uh, up to number five is Thunderblade. Okay. Down to number four is Double Dragon. Oh, how did that even sh- get that high? Just shows so it. bad. Even terrible stuff. With, you know, yeah, they've been suckered. People have been robbed and suckered here. Yeah. Uh, in at number three is Operation Wolf. Yeah. You quite uh, like that, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I didn't mind it. Yeah. Up to number two is Afterburner. Yeah. Mm. yeah and new in at number one is Robocop. 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 Uh, we may see that at some point. Who knows? Elsewhere in the charts, 11 was Footballer of the Year. Okay. We release on kicks, leaderboard, 
re-release on kicks yeah, at number we, 12. We, we said it we said it was out on budget so yeah, there it is and there it is yogi bear a re-release oh, God, oh, sorry yeah awful. alternative at number 13 is a new entry end zone number 14 mm-hmm. okay i'm not seeing that uh, one football manager 2 at 15 uh new is it entry ever out the chart? you what sorry is it ever out the chart no it's never out the chart now because it's gone up for number 20 school days a new entry at number 16 on alternative yeah. Fifth Gear from Racket on seventeen at number seventeen. So that ages ago, didn't we? Fifth Gear. Yeah. Uh, Super Stuntman from Codemasters in at number eighteen. Uh, alternative Rugby Simulator from Codemasters at number alternative nineteen. Alternative Rugby. What is that? How does that work? I don't want to know. <laughs> we don't know. We've not seen it. We don't want to see it. And uh, in at number twenty is Return of the Jedi from Domark. Okay. So there we go. April. Now, I'm actually, because it's getting quite tricky to pick out the Amiga. Well, let's say Amiga. If you don't say Amiga, I'm going to say we're going to look at it. We've got, coming up for April, I think there are 20 games. So we've got, going by this lot, Blasteroids. Okay. Butcher Hill. Okay. Uh, Dan Dare 2 we've already looked at. Uh, DNA Warrior. Okay, you got Daenerys in there. Oh, is it finally? Uh, that's on Amiga. Oh, Denar- yeah, this Sizzler. It's like, hard to read these bloody things now. Denaris, yeah, Denaris finally shows up. So we'll play our type for the third time. <laughs> yeah, mistake. Uh, Dynamic Duo. Okay. Uh, Eliminator. Okay, it's good music in that. Fish. No idea. Hopefully it's not the uh, a Merillion simulator. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. Uh, four Soccer Simulators. That doesn't sound good. It's not. It's from Codemasters, and I've seen some... and. It's four bad soccer simulators is what it should be called. Gary Lanica's Hot Shots. Oh, God. He's back. <laughs> Gary Lanica, Lanica like Hot Shots. Good <laughs> film. Grand Prix Circuit. Mm, not good. Uh, Incredible Shrinking Sphere. Okay. You got Sizzler. Um, International Speedway. Oh, no. Oh, God. Mini Golf. Ugh. Motor Massacre. Hey. Monsters. Oh, no. <laughs> Orion. Okay. Uh, Pathfinder, we played that ages ago, didn't we? That was the we uh, did. Uh, Super Trucks. Mm, Tomcat. Like yeah, it's got the an music X. again. Tomcat. What's got good yeah, music? Tomcat. Tomcat does. Yeah. Okay. Wanderer. Okay. Uh, uh, War in Middle Earth. Uh, that sounds dull. I don't, I don't know. I'm willing to give these things like after Times of Lore and Neuromancer and stuff. I'm willing to sort of be a bit uh, more open-minded to many of these things. Who framed Roger Rabbit? I'm not uh, expecting good things. It's not great. The Amiga version that was awful. Okay, and finally, Zone Trooper. Okay, okay, interesting. Yeah, that's it. That's what we've got coming up. April is uh, three issue, uh, three episodes, mm-hmm. um, 20 games. We're sort of giving ourselves a bit of space, quite busy. And there you go. That's March done. What a month. What a month right. March was. A big month, but a big month of massive arcade disappointments. Eggs. Yeah, just one after another, after another, after another. It's been draining. Mm, let's go. It's the only... Menace, the Dullest shoot up ever made. <laughs> yeah, Led Storm was probably the cream of the crop of the arcade conversions, yeah. but that was... Yeah, well Led done. Storm's pretty good, and our type was a good conversion, just late, but it was still good. Led, late to the party, yeah. And you've had some good games in there, the odd one, the odd one, but they've been very few and far between, you know, for every um, yeah. Rocket you know, Ranger, there's been uh, seven other games, you know, that have been <laughs> all rubbish. Yeah, I mean, the, the good ones we've had were Batman, Zamzara, yep. Zach, Zach McCracken... Yep. Uh, SDI won't bad. It's all right. Uh, Lead Storm. Yep. Uh, Rocket Ranger. Super Sports. Obviously, Afterburner was passable, time. I suppose. And Afterburner was okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wasn't as bad as we were led to believe. I think Afterburner. No, but horrors. You know the horrors of Pasteman, Pat, and Jordan versus Ghost Hunters. Jordan and... versus Bird. 
Yeah, and just one horror after another, let alone all of the dragon ninjas, you know, where you've they missed out one of the ninjas or missed out one of the dragons, whichever, <laughs> or one of the bad dudes. Um, just Superman, where uh, the, the game was too easy. Superhero, where you just don't want to continue with it. Superhero, where they cut off sides of the sides of the screen. Exactly. <laughs> Techno crap. Terrifier. Rubbish. No, TKO was another highlight, actually. I thought that was pretty good. Golf Master, which was a boring thingy. Master Blaster, which was dreadful. Yeah, it's been a bad month. It's been a yes, particularly good month. Maybe it's April been be shocking, really. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, if you, I think it's been another long episode. But if you want to support the podcast and keep us going as we plow through 1989, you can do that by going to zap to the uh, patreon dot com forward slash zap to the past. You can join up there. Um, you can buy us a Kofi at Kofi.com. It's up to the past. You can rate reviewers wherever Apple, Spotify, I think Google, whatever, Power of them. Podcast Addict, Podbean. It's- Podbean. It's cool if you do. It's really nice if you actually do leave us a review. It's nice to get. Um, you know, if you do, if you are enjoying us and you can't afford to do it financially, just just drop a line or give us a rating. You know, it's always cool to get this. Sort yeah, of thing. give us a good thumbs up. It um, help. Yeah, I think that's about it. This has been a tiring episode. It is a tiring episode. If you want to buy any of our t-shirts and merch, go to our shops. Zap to the past dot shop mainly for the t-shirts. But if you want, they can look us up on Redbubble as well. I think it's Redbubble slash Zap to the past. But you can Google that. Yeah, and all of the links, of course, are always in the show notes. So have a read of the show notes as well. Right, yeah, that's it. That's March done. The last big month. The last big month. It is the last whopper. There's a whopper full of uh, no. Some there was some good games in there. When the games are good, they're good. But the benchmark is now. It's reached that point now. It's like a tipping point. They're either really good and oh, they're okay, or they are. They tend. They tend to be three camps, don't they? Crap, sailing in the sea of average where they've just done an average conversion of probably an Amiga thing, or they're actually pretty good. And every the good ones are few and far between, but when they're good, they're quite good. Um, but the, it's starting to be taken over by mediocre and rubbish. At I the think moment. there's been some special dog eggs, though, this month. Vecla Mans is going to take me a while to get over. Yeah, Paceman Pat for me, and some of them crappy Spectrum conversions coming out. It seems to be whether if they're converting things, but wet Lamans, wet Lamans, it's just rubbish. Yeah, just don't do those things. You know, just don't. You know, they're just cash. They're just cash grabs. You know, obvious cash grabs. But there you go. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There's been so far in in terms of like um, Double Dragon. Guerrilla War and Vecklemans is going to be one of the hardest conversations to pick out at the end of yes, the year. Yes, isn't it just already? Yeah, we've still got the rest of the year to go yet. There's going to be some real doozers because there's all these average arcade conversions from crappy games that no one really wanted like, anyway, like Soldier of Light and SDI. And- yeah, and stuff like that where they've just gone in the into the arcade and sort of gone, oh, do that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? Why? No, don't do that one. Yeah. What was? Yeah. What was the one that was eighth? Was that? Was that what was that? Was that SDI? I think it might have been. SDI was all right though, but that was another arcade obscura. Yeah, yeah, it was. Tiger Road, that was the one, wasn't it? Tiger Road. Tiger Road, another one. Yeah, just you know, where where, where are they finding these things? <laughs> They're going to that magazine and going, right, don't look for the top five. Go for the you know the bottom twelve. <laughs> People what clearly want them. <laughs> yeah, we can get them yeah, for they, peanuts. We can get them for pennies on the pound. They've never wanted to put the money in it because it's the twelfth most popular. Let's make a version of that. It's bound to be more popular when they don't have to pay for it. Wrong. wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> uh, let's go. I think we've had enough. That's it. Time uh, to go. It is. Right. Yeah. So, uh, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. And I have been Graham Raddings. Um, and you have been listening to what was that music from uh, Menace? <laughs> Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
And on that note, we will see you again next week. So uh, goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptuda, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.